when jujitsu in the UFC happened, it was like an Oumuamua event. Do you know what Oumuamua is? I'm about to. Oumuamua is the first thing that humans have ever observed from another solar system. So it's this thing floating through space. And Oumuamua was found by a, sat- or a telescope in Hawaii. So Oumuamua is a Hawaii word. Hawaiian word means uh, messenger from afar arriving first. So the first thing we've ever seen that we knew came from interstellar space. That's what jujitsu and the UFC was to the traditional martial art world. It was like, oh, there's this thing out there that exists that has shaken up our world. Like we know now it's just not about doing kata and doing these traditional things in the martial art world. It's like there's something out there that we don't quite understand that has basically changed what we know about the martial arts in general. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Pohada Podcast. This is the 11th episode and the 7th installment in the Booze with a Black Belt series. As you heard there, my guest this time around is Ishmael Bentley, a third-degree black belt under Pedro Sauer and owner and head instructor at M-Theory Martial Arts, which is without question the best jiu-jitsu gym in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. My usual shout-out to the Brooks family for hosting and serving the drinks. And a quick ask before we get back into it, Subscribe to the podcast wherever you do that and throw down a five-star review on Apple. Pretty, pretty please. It helps a lot. If yours is funny, I'll give you a shout-out and hit you with a gift card from 5 Watt Coffee, the single most important elixir in the world. And make sure to stick around again toward the end of the episode to hear a clip from next week's conversation with Travis the Hurricane. And without further ado, my conversation with Ishmael Bentley. All right, but I think March, like March, is going to be interesting. We have a lot of people that we know have just kind of been like waiting, waiting, like super conservative with it. That are saying they're coming back in March, so hopefully things will start to pick up. Is there like a projection regarding the vaccine at that point? Is March like a you know, like honestly, like I think we, I mean, we haven't like calculated it. We th- we think fifty to fifty five percent of the people in the gym have either had it or are vaccinated at this point. Yeah. Right, which is cruising up on your usual herd of yeah. standards. They say that there's more for this so, thing, right? But I mean, I it's you know it's hard to say compared to like the whole population. But I yeah. I think in April, I think like if somebody gets COVID in actually inside the gym, I think it's going to be super rare because I think seventy or eighty percent of people will right. have had it or had the vaccine by that point. Yeah, I don't give a shit what what the current rates are in Oregon. I'm, yeah. over, I'm over here in St. Louis yeah. Park. I don't, yeah, you know, sure. like I mean, it, for for the greater yeah. good, sure, I got you. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. for like my purposes, I go to yeah. two buildings. Yeah. So I think a lot of the people that are like trying to limit where they go and like they're you know, you know, and everybody kind of deals with it their own way. I think those people like March, April, all of a sudden we're going to see like a wave of people come back. I hope so. Yeah, hopefully the summer ever it'll be able to go kind of. You know, walking into the gym won't be like, oh, am I going to get COVID? Am I not going to get COVID tonight? It'll just be back to normal. So, When I walked in yesterday, which was the first time since the second reopen, I think, because I came back after a few weeks of the, uh, into the initial reopen, but like my girlfriend had a surgery and then it kept getting bumped back for this administrative issue and that administrative yeah. issue, you know. So it was like, well, okay, cool. We don't need to be the people bringing it into a hospital or whatever. And they got they get retested every time it got bumped back anyway. But I didn't. I had zero hesitation this time. Yeah. I think it 
it's either laziness on all of our parts where you're like finally just like okay i feel relaxed about it or it is just kind of this herd immunity thing yeah. vaccination thing where you're going what's my actual risk yeah now? i think the whole covid fatigue thing just mentally is real man like oh for real yeah. just like i gotta get kind of back to my life and try to you know manage everything as smartly as possible but yeah it's it's for sure like especially the second lockdown like the first lockdown is like okay when's this gonna end and then the second one's like okay we're gonna do this for another four or six weeks right but mm-hmm. are we gonna open for a month and then have to do this again so yeah, that's what i thought was gonna happen so so i think we're done with that part of it but because it was it was four weeks to flatten the curve originally right <laughs> so then they close it again you're like what two weeks yeah, was it? it's I mean, funny man like it's yeah, yeah like you know i i uh you know, I spent so much time in the medical world. I, the the day, the day we we announced we were closing the gym, um, actually the day before we announced we were closing the gym. So I was like, I told Ryan, I was like, I think we're going to need to close the gym for a couple of weeks, man. Kind of get in front of this. And then he was like, Are we really going to be closed for two weeks? And I was like, No way. <laughs> he was like, But like, what do you tell people? Like, we're going to be closed indefinitely. I was like, You know, two weeks. We'll see what's happening. Yeah. But there was just no way in two weeks everything was going to get back to normal. Well, I think that was even part of the thing with like the recommendations from public health officials was they can't say, hey, we got to shut it down for nine months. For no. sure. You know, no matter how compliant a person was willing to be, non-radicalized, however you want to think of it, everybody would have been like, whoa. Yeah. Wait a minute. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you got to sell it as yeah, two weeks or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that first two weeks, like I talked to, I mean, I talked to so many people like, you know, in the, especially in Minnesota. And then I got, you know, a lot of friends out in California that own gyms. And they're like, oh, yeah, two weeks? Are we going to? I was like, no way, man. I think we're not opening in two weeks. Like, you got to have, basically, you got to batten down for like, this is like the winter storms coming and like, we got to get through this. This is going to be a while. It is what it is. I guess live through it. So, yeah, for sure. Like, Matt, I know. Matt's you bought on a whim. You ended up actually yeah. using them. Yeah, I know a lot of people now, they can finally say, oh, I got use out of my mats. All right. So, for sure. I, some, I mean, we know some people are still are training in their basements on their mats. So, because so most people put their mats in and they roll a couple of times and then 10 years later it's like oh the mat's still nook no <laughs> yeah, like like a bench press or a treadmill or any <laughs> exactly. of that yeah treadmills are great for drying t-shirts that you don't want to shrink in the in the drying machine you know that's what they get used for, for. Sure. <laughs> everybody i've ever trained at the gym or most members i've ever talked to own the equipment that they use at the gym but they just they show up to use the dumbbells we have like well that's stupid yeah. but you know there's more to it than yeah. just the exercise part Ishmael, there's the thing we do um, on this with anybody that's got M-theory ties. Yeah. No way, dude. <laughs> See, you got both of them. I did an imitation of myself. Yeah, I was going to say you think you can do your best And Ishmael. I said I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. got them both. It's on brand for both accounts, yeah. I was going to say, can you do an Ishmael Benley who, impression? Who, who's the done the best hours? one? You guys think who's no, done the best no, one? No, that was going to be my next question for you. Uh, Marcus is probably the closest, I'd yeah. say. You trained him right? for 10 so, years. So, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been at the gym since he's 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I mean, and he's there, you know, other before him starting to teach at MTT, like, I mean, Marcus is, Marcus is kind of like Siobhan is now, right? There oh. all day, training 7 a.m., train at noon, come back and start training again at 6, right? So, yeah, so, I mean. Drop out of school. Yeah, up until... <laughs> Kind of. Up until like a year, year and a half ago, right? Like Marcus was just like always in the gym. Yeah. Right? And then I gave him a key. I was like, yeah, man, like you can come in and train all you want at 6 o'clock if you can find somebody else that'll do it. And then we bought him a couple of cots. We were like, oh, we'll buy cots for you so you can sleep in the gym if you want. Right? Mm. So, yeah. So, (laughs) but 
you know and that's kind of where Siobhan is now yeah so I actually saw Siobhan this morning I had a private and Siobhan gratefully came and like helped me do the private so I wouldn't have to take the throws the whole time so oh yeah I heard you talking about one where no one else had showed up the one time and I was like what do you need anybody else for well yeah if you're you need to be able to see it and demonstrate it yeah yeah or as you get closer to 50 not get thrown yeah for 20 or 30 minutes right, right. have a 24 year old do that you just got to throw people how I throw people just catch them <laughs> and then set them down yeah good. this morning though we pulled out the crash pad so I let yeah. the guy taking the private really throw Siobhan. So yeah. it's it's kind of like, for somebody that's like relatively new to it, it's, you obviously want to take care of your partner, but now to like get to see it, like, oh, this is what this can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's eye-opening. And that was the person who hadn't done any, you were saying? This was his third private. Yeah. Yeah. So he did two, Tuesday, Thursday at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. is the one that my cohorts didn't show up for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Thursday morning, Siobhan came in. And then, uh, yeah, this morning, 1230, after I got in snowboarding, we did another one. So, but yeah, yeah, the other guy, the guy's a CEO of a medical company. So, and he's actually picking it up pretty quickly, right? I mean, pretty, really, really quickly, actually. sharp. Yeah. He's probably a clear thinking cat. For somebody that's never, for somebody that's never done like any type of martial arts, like we do like the side rule, right? And that's something people kind of initially, he, he picked it up right away. Yeah, one of the things that people do when they're first learning it is, is people, like, they learn how to, like, they get excited, right? You learn how to do, like, a, you know, mm-hmm. basic judo hip throw. And then there there's a, sometimes you forget there's, like, the other part to it. Like, oh, somebody's got to take this thing. So yeah. sometimes we see people, when they, like, start to figure it out, they start dropping people in the air. Yeah. So they're just dropping them, right? So they're not controlling their descent. What did you say about working in the medical field? Oh, man. I moved to Minnesota in 2000. So I had just come from Kentucky, South Carolina. I grew up in Kentucky, went to grad school in South Carolina, came graduated from South uh, Clemson in South Carolina, came back to Kentucky, spent I spent a while back in Kentucky just kind of figuring out like where did I want to go, what I want to do. Finally in 2000, I was like, oh, I, I need to move on and do something with my life, I guess. So, hmm. but in that year, or not year, but in those months I took off from graduating from Clemson going to Kentucky and then coming to Minnesota, that's when I started jujitsu. That was obviously now that was one of the most important things I ever did. And when I started jujitsu, I literally drove 60 miles each way to go to the jujitsu gym Monday through Saturday. And then finally it's like, well, I guess I need to start looking for a job. Interviewed at a couple of places. Um, The company in Minnesota was the first one to offer me a job, moved here in 2000. And then from 2000, 2018 spent most of my my waking day working on medical device products so and then 2013 to 2018 i was doing that full-time as a consultant and i was we had opened m3 in 2013 so we were running the gym so i was doing basically 40 hours of consulting a week and then i had started this gym and was running this gym which probably had 20 classes a week Mm -hmm. and then um (laughs) my dad my dad told me the day we opened the gym, he was like, this is not sustainable. Like, and I was like, what do you mean, dad? He was like, <laughs> working 40 hours a week and then having a gym full time is going to wear on you. Mm-hmm. All right. And then five years later, I was finally like, yeah, dad was right. Like, I just mentally just exhausted all day. And then, uh, but the gym had gotten to a point where it's like, okay, we can close the gym or we can, I can retire theoretically from the medical device world now and we'll run the gym full time. So the gym had gotten to a point where I was comfortable doing that. So in April of 2018 is when I retired from the medical world. 
So, and uh, yeah, so April will be three years. So, yeah, and I haven't gone back at all. So, I've had a, conversations with people about stuff that they're working on, but other than that, I haven't had anybody try to recruit me out of back out of jujitsu. So, which was just a little bit surprising. So, I thought most of my consulting clients, when they run into trouble, they were going to call Ishmael. But I have one company that calls me periodically, but once every seven or eight months, and we get on a call for forty-five minutes, and he's taken care of. You, where'd you start jujitsu? Lexington, Kentucky. Four Seasons Martial Arts. Four Seasons Martial Arts is still open today. It's in a different location than when mm-hmm. I started, but yeah, it's still there. So Four Seasons was, if not the first, probably one of the first two or three gyms in Kentucky that had jujitsu. So I started there. The instru- there were two instructors. One was a blue belt. Uh, the other was a purple belt. The blue belt owned the gym. The purple belt just kind of came and taught there. And in 1999, like, a purple belt was, you know, I think maybe there was one purple belt in the whole state of Kentucky. Right, yeah. So I started with those guys. Uh, I trained with them probably nine or ten months, and then that's when I moved to uh, moved to Minnesota. But, yeah, Four Seasons is still open. It's just, it's funny. I haven't, I haven't talked to any of the guys from there probably in years, but um, I saw a Facebook or Instagram post from something from them the other day. So it's the first time I'd seen anything from them in probably months. I was like, oh, they're still around, so... That's good. So you, you never you've never been back to to train. It was kind of a. <clears throat> I went back to train with them the first time I went back to Kentucky after I moved to Minnesota, and I don't know exactly when that was. I don't know if that was a year after I'd been here or years. Sure. Um, that's the only time I ever went back, um, and now it's in a completely different different location. So. Did you have a gap in training when you came out here? <laughs> I I I've had two gaps in training the 22 years I've been doing it. 3 months into jiu-jitsu, I tore a ligament in my arm. Mm-hmm. So I'm 3 months in like, oh, this is really cool. I'm like starting to figure this out. Tore a ligament in my arm, couldn't train for 3 months. So I was like, well, I started and now I take <laughs> so now it's kind of like I got to start over. So, um and then I took <laughs> oh well, I took 2 weeks off when we had Valentina. So Sue was like, hey, can you take a couple of weeks off from the gym when we have the baby? I was like, okay, we can do that. You gave her two weeks, huh? Two weeks. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Valentina separated my shoulder in Cambodia in 2019. Yeah, I remember that uh, one. Yeah, so Valentina did that when we were doing a demo. That saved um, me from any squishmallow rolls in my first <laughs> year. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't like train then, but, but I was there teaching. As soon as I got back from Cambodia, I just kind of like dealt with it and taught, but other than uh, the two weeks off for Valentina's birth and the three the three uh, months of being hurt, I have, I have no gaps. So I either have been training or teaching almost, you know, at least six days a week, almost t- for 22 years. So How many hours is that, you think? Oh, that's so many, yeah. right? Because there was like when I was training, when I first started, I probably trained, you know, probably three or four hours a day, you know, Monday through Saturday. And then... Uh, sometimes on Sundays, um, but I usually try to take Sundays off because when I started, especially when I moved here, <clears throat> when I moved here and started training at the academy, like <clears throat> kind of the core group of people that trained, we trained so hard. So like Sunday, you needed that day off. Um, um, but now, you know, I'm a little bit older. I don't train quite as, you know, as hard as I used to. So coming in and doing a private on a Sunday is like, okay, I can do that. Um, but yeah, the hours I have in the jujitsu is, is crazy. And that doesn't even take into account like the hours like I spend watching. I, like people think I'm joking. Like I'm not joking. 
I literally, like this past week, watched 50 UFC fights, right? Um, and then I'll watch a jiu-jitsu tournament. And then if there's a boxing match I want to watch, I'll watch it, right? So, um, yeah, like not consulting in the medical world opens up a lot of time to do a lot of <laughs> Being things. Being unemployed, right? more yeah. or less, right? You can you can do what you want. Yeah, yeah. so I, uh, I spend so much time like uh, – and my wife bought me like a, an iPad Pro tablet. Mm-mm. That's like my best friend. Like oh, I sit boy. there all day with that thing in front of me, just like on UFC Fight Pass, right? And now, like you know, everything's hopefully going to start to get back to normal. But now we're starting to see like you know, jujitsu competitions are opening up again. So a couple of weeks ago was the BJJ Stars, yep. right? So which lasted like several hours. So I sat and watched that for several hours. So yeah, but yeah, like the amount of like physical time I spend. And, and jujitsu is is a lot, but the amount of like time just like studying it, and studying like MMA or whatever is, is probably close to as much as I actually spend on the mat at this point. Right. So. Did you watch fights this weekend then? I mean, oh obviously, yeah. Obviously, yeah. So our, yeah. what what's his name? Our local guy. Oh, John Castaneda. Castaneda, yeah. Yeah, that's a big win for John. Yeah, so you know John's had a few fights in the UFC now. Yeah, that's a big win for him. So the UFC. That's not his first like big time televised UFC fight. Yeah, he had a fight. He had he fought on Fight Island a few months ago. Oh, okay, yeah. right. I think he lost a decision. Um, he fought in contenders as well um, some time ago. Uh, this, I mean, this is probably honestly a, like a really important fight for him because you know like, the UFC has like so many fighters on the roster. Like you know they're kind of going through the process of kind of trimming the roster at this point, right? And for him, like winning this fight is probably like okay, like. Okay, I know there's going to be another UFC fight now, right? Yeah. Um, especially with a highlight-worthy knockout. Like, yeah, especially was, with something that. Yeah, like it. Yeah, because I think, um, I think the UFC posted it on their Facebook yeah. or Instagram yep. or something. That's where right? I saw it. It's going around. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so yeah, that was a that was a good, yeah, that was a good showing for John. So hopefully he'll be able to like you know build up on that and and keep you know moving forward in the UFC. So. And those divisions, like, you know, when you get into those, I mean, all the weight classes are, are fun if you're, like, really into the sport, mm-hmm. right? But watching, like, the, you know, the 125, 135, 145, 150, I mean, they, you know, they have so much, like, skill, and then some of them are just so fast, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to, like, watch and kind of dissect those fights, right? Because watching Curtis Blades and, and Derek Lewis is fun, Right, but things are moving at a little bit slower pace, so it's a little bit easier to like, oh, this is what's happening. So Derek Lewis has come up on here a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm surprised. And uh, <laughs> and I just I got to say it, especially after you know he's your favorite. He, he, he's he's the greatest of all time. He's the best. <laughs> he's he, he's the goat for he, sure. He may be the funniest. Of oh, all that's time. what I mean. Like if. If part of Connor's thing is his WWE style draw, like he's the character, well, yeah. what's up with my boy Lewis? That, <laughs> Derek, you know, he's so funny. He's so good. His Instagram is so funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you did. Uh, I'm gonna back up a little bit. You did martial arts before jujitsu, though, didn't you? Oh I yeah. I feel like I wait. <clears throat> so go, go to the very earliest martial art. <laughs> well, go way back. First one I ever did was judo. Uh, this was when I was in college. So I took a, you know, and at this point I know, I don't know anything. So I took a class in college. So judo was one of the courses you could take. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm going to take judo. All right. Um, I did that. 
And then learn the, you, learn the judo chop, right? <laughs> yeah. And years go by, right? And then I'm like, ah, I really don't know how much judo we did. I'm not sure the guy teaching the class was really an expert at judo. I think maybe he was an expert at something else. He was an HPE right? professor, and he just took the <laughs> class, kind of thing. Right. So, so I learned like learned how to count in Japanese. Um, well, uh, now hold on, was it like just mixed in with like traditional Japanese jujitsu kind of, you know, like a or was no, it just the dude didn't know what he was doing? We actually like did like some of the basic throws of judo, learned how to fall, do stuff like no ground fighting at all. So it was all on all on the feet. Um, but I, I I think he had probably learned some of the like basic throws and the more short he was that mm-hmm. he did, yeah. right? And he was just basically kind of recycling these sure. for for us. So it wasn't like I I started and did judo with like a you know. Uh, somebody that's been doing judo for 20, 30 years, black yeah. belt, yeah. right? But when you start, right, you don't know what you don't know, right? And then... Um, that's what's dangerous is not knowing. <laughs> not, and then I got really lucky. Um, actually, we would do judo in a gym, in a matted room, in a gymnasium, um, in kind of the school gymnasium, right? And it had kind of open windows, and then there was a couple of amateur boxers and a professional boxer that would sometimes train in that room. So they mm-hmm. would go in there and train. And then one day, like in between us ending our class and those guys waiting to go in there and, and, and box, um, one of them luckily lived in my dorm. So we crossed paths all the time. Right? And he was like, oh, you should come and box with us sometime. And I was like, oh, okay, like I'll do that. Right. And then the first time and sometimes boxing, like it's like, okay, we're going to see if you're going to be able to like survive this. And then we'll ask you back and actually maybe show you something. Mm. So the first person I ever sparred with in boxing was a professional boxer (laughs) and three minute round. And you think three minutes, not so bad. I don't think that 30 Mm. seconds. I was like, this is. Like I'm just taking like punch after punch. I don't know how to protect myself. I obviously can't generate any offense. I was like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to breathe because I don't feel like I am breathing. Yeah. Just, right? just try to flail around and get out of the yeah. way for 30 seconds. Tell me how, how good you feel after that. So I, I got my roommate to go with me. So I'm like, hey, let's go let's go bo- learn how to box. Uh, so we get done with that because the the pro the professional boxer like, and he wasn't like a really well known professional boxer. But he was a guy that professionally boxed, right, and could be competitive with people that were going to make real careers out of this. And uh, so he got done with me. He's like, oh, now I'm going to go with the other guy, right? And then after we get done, my roommate's like, I am never doing this again. (laughs) Me, I'm like, well, I'm going to go back and see what happens now. And then when they came back, it was like, oh, we thought we'd never see you again, so now we'll actually teach you how to box. Oh, that's the test. Yeah. So... And then you get stomped uh, in. It's like like gangland stuff. This is totally what it was. Blood in, blood out. It's like now that you've shown like you 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 have some grit, we'll actually teach you what you're doing. And um, and then months go by after I've been doing it, I finally convinced my roommate to go back. I was like, you got to go back. It was like so pleasing. It was like now I know a little Mm -hmm. bit, and he knows nothing. You have to jump him (laughs) in this time. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, so I did that for a while, and then me and my oldest brother, my oldest brother did karate for years and my oldest brother taught karate for a few years and then um uh my brother and i lived probably oh probably about 60 to 70 miles apart 
while I'm while I'm initially in college, and eventually like we get closer. And he's my brother, my oldest brother was really into karate for a while, so I start doing karate with my older brother. I get my black belt in karate, and then in April of 1999, all right. So you got to imagine like in the 90s when the UFC starts in 93 and is happening, right? If you're doing like traditional martial arts, when jujitsu and the UFC happened, it was like an Umuamua event. Do you know what Umuamua is? I'm about to. <clears throat> Umuamua is the first thing that humans have ever observed from another solar system. So it's this okay. thing floating through space. And Umuamua was captured, found by a, sat- or a telescope in Hawaii. So Umuamua is a Hawaii yeah. word. Hawaiian word means uh, messenger from afar arriving first. So the first thing we've ever seen that we knew came from interstellar space. That's what jujitsu and the UFC was to the traditional martial art world. It was like, oh, there's this thing out there that exists that has shaken up our world. Like mm-hmm. we know now it's just not about doing kata and doing these traditional things in the martial art world. It's like there's something out there that we don't quite understand that has basically changed what we know about the martial arts in general. So for years, as I was doing karate, that was the kind of the narrative, like, oh, jiu-jitsu, the UFC is kind of a sport, you know, in real fighting, these are the things that would happen. So finally in 1999, I uh, went to Four Seasons, and I was like, I'm going to go find out. And the purple belt that was teaching at the gym was the first person I ever rolled with. And when I got done, I was like, ah, I was like, I don't think this is just a sport <laughs> because I was like this person could have literally done whatever he wanted to at me yeah. some point yeah. right and I've been doing all of these things and on the ground I was completely helpless right and somebody that's at that time been you know training in martial arts for about seven years different different types of arts and to feel like oh I'm I'm helpless right right that was like an I uh, uh that was an awakening moment I literally start stopped Everything I was doing training-wise that day and focused 100% on jiu-jitsu and never looked back. Like, literally, I stopped doing karate. I stopped doing everything. I was like, I'm going to get as good at this as I can. Um, and then eventually I convinced my brother to do it. I was like, hey, man, you got to go. We got to do You got to do this. Like, this is, like, you know, we've kind of like, you know, like, oh, this is like, you know, in a real fight, this is what happened. I was like, this guy in a real fight would do whatever he wants to to me. Like, there's nothing I could do to stop this guy. Right. And then my oldest brother started. So we did it probably close to nine or 10 months together. Um, Got our blue belts around the same time. And that's when I came to Minnesota. So I moved to Minnesota not long after in 2000. So I came here in May of 2000. So, yeah. So um, so I was at four seasons for probably like 12 or 13 months. And then three months I was out of commission with torn ligament in my arms. So your brother still do it? No. My oldest brother doesn't. My oldest brother owns a, a resort in Kentucky now. Mm-hmm. So he owns a resort near Red River Gorge. That's a big gorge where people literally from all over the world come to go rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So my oldest brother owns a resort there now. And uh, he runs that resort and takes people rock climbing. So that's what he does now. So I just wanted to be able to hear you smile through the audio as you said <laughs> no it's a little brotherly rivalry thing yeah, there yeah. you can hear smiles i've learned from doing yeah this. yeah so yeah my me and my brother we did karate de- years together and then we did jujitsu about a about a year together um 
And then my, my oldest brother taught jujitsu or taught karate for a while, had a couple of karate studios. So, you know, when he opened those, I kind of helped him like, you know, teach classes and stuff. Um, so, and then a he lot just of shouting karate. It's a lot of no, shouting. Not too much shouting. That's, I, that's, I was, the, that's the movie version. I, I was never actually, done it. We were actually pretty lucky, like to be honest. Like you know, we I did kempo karate, and the the karate style that we did was really heavily focused on like sparring. Like so, we did a lot of sparring. So we did like a lot of like not like Muay Thai, but we did a lot of what would look like kind of American kickboxing. Yeah. Like we literally sparred like every night. So. So I, we I, we were both lucky in that sense that we were in a karate style that yeah it had its katas it had its forms it had all these things like you requirements to get your belts right, right. right? but every night like we put gloves and shin pads on and sparred um, so that because yeah, you'd spend a certain amount of time working on how well a basketball rolls off your fingers but sooner or later you also gotta try the part where it goes through the fucking hoop yeah, yeah you know for I mean, sure rolling it nicely off your fingers into the air like is good right yeah but it's got to connect on it's the gotta other connect end. on the other end so yeah so that was good so i was like i uh yeah so we were pretty fortunate that that's the style of karate we kind of fell into yeah. that was pretty heavily influenced by like american kickboxing um and then when i you know at one point i was like well all these things we all these things we do in our in our katas and our forms when we spar we don't do any of that stuff we just like we just square it was like so so and it was like yeah yeah kind of and then i did jujitsu and i was like oh like yeah jujitsu is like the jujitsu is the real deal well so. the strange thing you said is that the the impression and we're generalizing here but the impression as you stated of like the traditional martial arts world was the like oh that wouldn't work in a real fight kind of scenario well, this is clearly somebody who's been practicing fighting but never been in a fight. Yeah, yeah. Like if we both throw a leg at each other and then agree to back up and, and bounce around a little bit yeah. and wait for the other one to move, well, that's not a fight. You know, yeah. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. And it's that, impressive, and, but it's not a fight. Yeah, and now you see some people like, you know, not a lot, but I mean, you see some people that definitely are incorporating like yeah. aspects of karate in the UFC, like Machida and, you know, Wonderboy yep. Thompson are probably the two most, you know, or two of the most successful. And but the thing about like I tell people is like yeah you know, those 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 two guys have figured out how to like incorporate this and be elusive and make it successful. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but you have to understand like those two guys are Machida's a black belt in jujitsu, right? Dealing with exceptions, you know. Wonder Boy's father-in-law is a legendary jujitsu practitioner. Like so, and you have to understand like these two guys are doing karate, they're doing jujitsu. They're training with boxers and Muay Thai fighters, mm-hmm. right? So they've put themselves in a situation where they've learned how to use elements of it to make it work in this situation, right? So anybody, somebody's like, oh, you know, you know, what do you, I was like, if, if you want to have karate be successful, like in MMA, like you have to like try to use it in situations where you need to encounter like all those other variables. Like if you are doing karate and you're just sparring with other karate people, you're not going to go very far in MMA, mm-hmm. right? It's just, that's just the reality of it. I mean, it's pretty obviously, it's pretty obvious in a cage at this point what works. Yeah. I mean, we have like, you know, November will have like 28 years of just UFC data. That doesn't even include like all the data from Japan, all the things that were happening before the UFC that were already kind of tending towards like MMA, right? At this point, like we know what are the things that are like high percentage in a combat situation. Yeah. There's the things you don't see people doing 
in the cage. There's a reason. There's that a reason for that at this point. Not yep. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still waiting for sumo to come back, though. Like some of them <laughs> sumo techniques. <laughs> My boy Lewis will do it. He's a big old boy. Yeah, sumo's pretty cool. I like to just sit down and watch sumo, it. Because yeah. a lot of people just think you got two big people running at each other. Uh, it's so much more than that. Yeah. All right. So much more than that. So, yeah, because you watch the people. I mean, obviously, the size, you know, is a, is a factor. But sometimes you watch, like, people that just, like, know how to move at the right time and then the guy goes flying off the stage yeah 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 well, it was actually a pretty cool sport well it's sort of it's, it's like a piece of football you know they're, yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're doing what the line's doing you know in pieces and parts you know? pieces and parts for it's sure the same kind of art form so yeah. to speak right so i had it in my head for some reason that you were like martial arts as a kid but you started later on in college no like i grew did, up did and, you do any sports when you were a kid yeah so first sport i ever played was baseball i played baseball when i was really young for a couple of years probably you know seven eight get a good tan um, <laughs> eat some seeds <laughs> right <laughs> then i get played good base. I, I played i played basketball for a, a little bit like a little bit of basketball we played like pickup basketball basically all the way through my high school years so like the people in the neighborhood would get together and play but as a as competitively i i didn't play i played long enough to understand how basketball was played at an early age but i'm a big football fan and uh when i when i started playing basketball when i was like nine or ten the basketball games the actual games were always on sunday and then eventually I told my mom and dad, I was like, playing basketball is not important enough to me to miss the football games. So that was the end of my basketball career. <laughs> right? At least you're clear on your priorities. You and know. then in middle school, I started playing football, and then I played football all, through, all the way through high school. My oldest brother actually played football in college. All right? So that was kind of like, oh, I'm going to play. But my oldest brother, to be honest, was like a, a just, a, he's just a better athlete than I was. So my oldest brother had enough football skill to actually go to college and play football for a while, mm. right? And then probably when I was a junior, I was like, I don't think this dream is going to work out for me. So I got to figure out what I'm actually going to do with life. So, Not football. was not football, but I love football. Yeah, I, I watch way too much football. On Sundays when football season's going on, it's like first game all the way through the third game. I don't, you know. Whoever's playing, like I'll sit down and watch the football game. Oh, when's, when do they start the pregame stuff? Like nine a.m. and like it's all the all the stuff is done at what yeah. like midnight. Yeah, I yeah I don't yeah I I do watch like the highlights at the end of after sure. the Sunday sure. night game, um, and then if I get home in time on Monday night, I'll watch the Monday night game, all right? And you know, <laughs> not that uh, you know, COVID has obviously been a disruptive thing to the whole world, but when like there was football games on like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> Saturday, my, my brother and I would text each other and it's like, this is so awesome. It's like we can literally <laughs> come home and watch a football game every night. Yeah. It's like the NFL should just adopt this as the regular schedule, like figure out how to how to make a football yeah. game happen every night, Plus, right? And then Saturday's okay because we got college football and then we just go back on Sunday and we do it all over again, right? Pretty yeah. much what the UFC schedule is. Like uh, the UFC schedule is crazy. Like the UFC is like, it's amazing how many events they have, right? So... Yeah. I think I said on here before, it's a genius like business move. You know, it reverses the Don King thing. Don King took boxing off TV, made you pay for it. It kills the sport, sort of, roughly, at least, you know, for a certain generation. So here, yeah, put it right in front of everybody all the damn time. It's but always can't, on. I mean, at least I'm not a, a sports fan in a general sense. So I'm just terrible at following any of it. 
So it's like you watch the fights. Which fights? You know, which is like four of them. Yeah, and when all the sports were shut down and they they figured out how to get it back on and like they were the only thing on for a while, it was like, oh yeah, this is going to be like it's interesting because I I think like you know the UFC had got to a point where there were there was a good show and there was a bad show. Yes. And you don't have that many superstars to have four cards a week. Yeah. And sometimes you would look at a card and be like, oh, this is going to be so amazing. Yeah. And it would just be a total dud. Yes. Right? I haven't watched a bad UFC event, I don't think, during the whole COVID thing. Since March or, or yeah. May, whenever they brought it back. That first card that, like, again, I'm a super filthy casual UFC fan. Like, still my favorite fight is Stefan Bonner and what's his name from. Oh, Forrest? Yeah, from, from season Ultimate one. Fighter. You know, that's still it's just so raw and gross, right? But that first card, who was the headliners on that first card after COVID? Tony Ferguson. That whole, I recognize every single name on the yeah. whole card, and that's never happened. Yeah. They started strong. Yeah. I mean, you had, you had Caitlin on here, and she and I have actually talked about it because um, there was an Evicta show that I went to her with that she was potentially going to fight in. Um, and... Um, you know, she has this idea that during COVID, the people that are fighting are people that are that want to fight and they're figuring out how to make it work so I can fight. So if I have to train in a garage with four people, I'm going to figure out how to make it. So they're they're yeah. hungry. Yeah. Right. So I think what you're seeing right now is in the UFC is I think you have a lot of hungry people that I want to fight and I'm going to figure out how to make this happen, you know, whether you know, my gym is closed or, you know, I have to be very careful about, you know, how, who's coaching me and be coaching me. I can only have this many training partners. And I think that that desire to fight has made for really good events. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's another, another kind of weeding out mechanism, like somebody that was kind of had the record to justify still being around and made his way yeah. to a fight. They're, they're gone now because yeah. they just haven't probably had the access. Because it was much. overwhelming at a point. It was just like, I just yes. can't watch all of this. It's yeah. like, how, how does anybody find the time to watch all of this, right? And and there's always that in the back of it. It's like, and if I watch it, I might waste three hours of my life because well, I just watched fights. Or I may be the greatest MMA show that's ever happened. But like now, like you know, I, I, at least it seems to me like you know the one that's going to happen this saturday i'm confident that's going to be a good event right i'm just the circumstances have just made it that way so and it'll be interesting when things start to get back to normal and depending on what the you know the ufc and the other events like what happens with the rosters you know how many fighters they have and who's fighting right we're all of a sudden we go back to where it's like well we have a couple of good shows we kind of have a dud because yeah like you're right over the last year like whether it's you know the stuff going on in bellator like you know, um, Invicta, the UFC, like the stuff that happens overseas in one, like there's been a lot of good fights, all right? Which is kind of like a weird thing. I, it, I, I initially I, I was wondering, I was like, wonder what would do with it, what would this do to the sport? Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be uh, positive? Is it going to be negative? Um, it's been very positive for a lot of people's careers, especially those guys that have been willing to fight and then two weeks later come back and do it again. I mean, to win five MMA fights in a year, that's crazy, right? But now, Kevin Holland is a star. Right, right. Well, and yeah, if uh, if if Dana wants to open it back up and get back in business and 
there's people that aren't aren't agreeing to come back. Well, there's your chance, you know, much to that grit and determination point yeah, you made. So. What's your favorite fight of all time? Not necessarily mixed martial arts, not necessarily just jiu-jitsu. could be oh. boxing. What's your favorite fight? The most entertaining fight I've ever seen is uh, Marvin Hagler-Thomas Hearns. Have you seen that fight? It, it's notorious enough that I know it. I'm trying to picture if I've actually if you watched have, it. Why, if you why is it? Why is it the most entertaining fight? So, in kind of like the '80s in boxing, you had their um, their their they were called the Four Kings. You had Sugar. Uh, you had uh, mm-hmm. you had Tommy Hearns. You had Marvin Hagler. You had Sugar Ray Leonard. You had Roberto Duran, um, and a lot of times when the the top level um boxers would fight um you know we're both at the top of our game we're both you know considered two of the best boxers in the world you know and most of the time honestly when when those four fall the the fights were entertaining but when Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hagler fought Tommy Hearns was a long lanky fighter devastating puncher right and um people thought well he's going to use his length and he's going to try to outbox marvin Hagler and use that to his advantage and try to get into the deep rounds marvin Hagler's probably one of the grittiest humans that's ever lived um could fight orthodox or unorthodox so left foot forward or right foot forward could box could could brawl and literally from the minute the bell rings to start the fight it was like these guys are gonna one of these guys is gonna knock the other one out yeah. no ifs ands and buts about it like tommy hearns is not gonna try to win a tw- uh, maybe 12 maybe 15, 15. rounds back then decision yeah. and marvin Hagler doesn't care what happens until he knocks him out like he has no concern about trying to win a round it's basically like we're gonna and it was like uh so it wasn't a sport that night it was a fight it was it's amazing Right. Anybody that watches any type of combat sport has to watch it. It's amazing, right? And Marvin Hagler gets cut really bad in the first round to the point where the announcers at the time was like, oh, this fight might be over. Like, they may have to stop this, right? And then uh, – and they both get rocked in the first round. In the first round, I think Tommy Hearns probably wins the round because – but Marvin Hagler was just, like, hitting a piece of granite. And in the second round, you can start to see, like, oh, like Tommy Hearns has, has he's taken his best shot, and his best shot didn't work, and this guy has got a lot more shots left to throw. And in the third round is when the the fight is. So it's a, I think the whole fight is like eight, the whole fight is like eight minutes. It's amazing, right? Don't say so, who won. I won't tell you who won. Yeah. I just like, did, like, but no, kind of, no. but you can go. Well, it's amazing. Just go on YouTube and watch so you, it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's one of the greatest sporting events of all time. Right, and I tell people, like, and it's amazing to me how many people that are in combat sports haven't seen it. Right, and I'm like, I, you know, maybe you don't like boxing, but like you watch this, and you at least be a fan of what these two guys did that night. Right, it's amazing. So that was an easy answer. Like, you'd you'd have thought of that any time and place I asked you that. Most entertaining fight I've ever watched. So what's the second answer? Favorite entertaining? Whatever. Most entertaining, and the, um. Maybe the greatest fight I've ever seen, not the most entertaining, but was when Hoist and Sakuraba fought the first time. Yeah. 
Like it's hard now to like watch that fight and like appreciate it for what it was. But you go back in time because they fought in a Pride Grand Prix tournament, right? And so you go back in time, and those are some things that happened before that fight to actually led to them fighting. Because I think they fight in the round of eight, um, and then of course like you know horse had a lot of special rules like you know there's we're going to go until there's a winner right no decisions uh each round is 15 minutes it's a 90 minute fight exactly so there's six 15 minute rounds it's like watching a movie it's literally like watching a movie unfold right because there's the opening of the movie right um sakuraba obviously is a as a a character beloved in japan um and there's this tactical part of the movie there's this tactical part of the fight that happens very early on Right, first round ends, and Sakuraba has Hoist in a knee bar. Probably not a knee bar he's going to tap from, but it's like, oh, like maybe this guy can beat him. And then as the fight unfolds, right, you know, Hoist spends a lot of time on his back, and then Sakuraba just basically starts chopping him down with like leg kicks while he's on his back in the guard. So Sakuraba starts, and then Sakuraba engages, engages with him on the ground too. So they fight on the ground. And then as you start to, like, see the fight get into, like, the sixth round, it's like, you know, Hoist is not walking around around very well. And then the referee doesn't stop the fight. He doesn't get knocked out because Hoist is a super tough individual. The corner, like, Horion Gracie and Elio Elio Gracie decide they have to throw the towel in, right? Which in in the year of that fight, imagining a, a, a member of the Gracie family having to throw the towel in, because basically he's can no longer function was people didn't think it could happen. So it's literally like watching a movie unfold. But for most people, you're sitting out, oh, you're going to watch this fight and it's going to last 90 minutes. Most people are like, what? It's like, I'm used to watching three, five minute rounds, not six, 15 minute rounds. But it's like, it's literally like watching a movie. What, right? What's Sakura, Sakuraba's nickname? <laughs> the Gracie Hunter. Yeah, One Gracie Hunter, Gracie, Gracie Killer, Gracie, Gracie Hunter, Kill, uh, Gracie Hunter, I think. Hunter, yeah, I think you're yeah, right. Gracie yeah. Hunter, and IQ Wrestler. That's his two nicknames. Because he's the, it was like Japanese pro wrestling, yeah. which isn't quite like the wrestling quote unquote that yeah. we know. It's a little more. Yeah, Sakuraba is one of the few people in my life I've actually followed to get a picture with. You have done that. I have done that. Yes. <laughs> so, we we. Uh, See who all Kevin, Ethan, Heidi, these are all members of M Theory's gym. Mm-hmm. Kevin, Ethan, Heidi, um, Max, Max Bolo, Max mm-hmm. Bolo may have been there. Mm-hmm. So one year they go out to do American Nationals, which is in Las Vegas. American Nationals is a relatively big tournament in the IBJJF. That if you win, there's definitely like some like uh, you know recognition to winning a tournament like that. It's the UFC used to have this thing called fight week where they would have an event on the weekend, but during the week they would induct people into the UFC hall of fame. So the week of that, uh, the week of that tournament is UFC fight week. It's the week Kazushi Sakuraba gets inducted into the UFC hall of fame. All right. So I'm here and I'm like, Oh, like this was like my, this was my literally still to this day. Like this is my favorite MMA fighter of all time. Right. Not just because of, like, what he did in the ring, but, like, he brought, like, an element to fighting that I don't... 
people in other combat sports maybe had done before him. But in MMA, like walking into the ring and you've got two people with you and you both have – all three have on the same mask and you don't know who is Sakuraba. <laughs> like, and, 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 I mean, he, he regularly did stuff like that. Yeah. Right? So he understood, like, this is more than just about, like, you know, who's going to win this fight. Like, you know, this is I, – I, we need to be entertainers. Like, we need to entertain the people that are watching these things. So I'm thinking, like, you know, what's the chances I'm going to see Sakuraba in Las Vegas the week that I'm here and he's here? And uh, so Ethan uh, is flying out. So I, we're, I'm taking Ethan to the airport, right? And I can't. I think we had walked the strip or something that night. So Ethan's flight was getting really close. Like I was like, oh yeah, we gotta like get you to the airport. Or you're gonna miss your flight. And then on the way, walking from the hotel to get the rental car, we crossed paths with Kazushi Sakuraba, right? And I'm like, I'd never imagined this would happen, right? And um, Book a different flight, Ethan. We got, we got a project. <laughs> so I'm like, Ethan, just keep going. I'm going to go try to get a picture with him. I'll meet you up later. Right. So we cross paths and I literally chase him down and I find him like, you know, in the, a little gift shop and he's with two other people. And he has when he's in the United States, he has an interpreter with him basically at all times because sure. he speaks very little English, if any English. And uh, it was so awkward. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing was. So I go up and I'm like, I'm like, so I look at him like Sakuraba and he just looks at me and I'm like Kazushi. And he still just looks at me. So then the the American guy, I'm like, hey, like, can I get a picture with him? And he speaks something to him in Japanese. And he looks at me. He's like, well, why? And I'm like, well, I know who he is. Maybe nobody else in this this hotel knows who he is, but I, like, I know who he is. So we're sitting and they're having this awkward conversation between me and him and his interpreter. And then I finally tell the interpreter, I was like, I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then he hears it. And he's like, picture. Right, and he took the picture, and that was it. Right, jujitsu picture. Yeah. yeah, black belt Brazilian jujitsu, and he's like picture. Right, and that was it. Just, so. it just couldn't be normie trash. You had to have some chops. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's soccer. That's probably the that maybe the last person I've actually like asked to take a picture with. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought I'd meet Kazushi Sakuraba, but yeah, that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Especially just other end of the planet. Like, what yeah. are the odds of that? Yeah, but it was so awkward. The whole thing was so awkward. Well, yeah, you're a grown-ass man going up following a grown-ass man asking <laughs> to take a picture with him. It's inherently awkward, <laughs> you know, still cool. But if you saw Kanye, you'd want a picture with him, right? Again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's a Kanye? <laughs> Your favorite... uh you're a big football guy, huh? I'm not a big football guy, so this will be fun because I don't know nothing about it. Favorite, best football game? Favorite football game? Most entertaining football game? <laughs> Most entertaining football game I've ever watched mm -hmm. was the Kansas City-Los Angeles Rams game from, I think, two years ago. I think it was the the year before the Kansas, Kansas City won the Super Bowl. I think it was the year before. It was the year Los Angeles Rams went to the Super Bowl. I think the final score was like 51-50 to 50 or something. It was insane. Like That's barn, probably the barn burner kind of thing. That may have not been the best football game I've ever watched because there was like no defense. Yes, yes. But it was inter it was amazingly entertaining. Yeah. I think the last one I watched was the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl. That's America's team. I believe you. 
Just that change in posture and eye contact. I definitely believe you. It's but also the it most, had to be like 96 or something. Nah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the most valuable sports franchise in the world. So that's got to count is for it, something, is right? Is it actually? It is actually, Which yes. is just that Michael Jordan tequila yeah. thing. It's just good branding at this yeah. point. No. Five Super Bowls. So can't win them all. I know, haven't won one in a while. It's like but. Al Bundy, four touchdowns, one game. Like, I mean, it's 20 years ago, right? Right? Again, I'm not a football guy, but I'm good. We're in, Mi- we're in Minnesota, right? Yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago is better than ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, they didn't they win it, <laughs> but it was before it was ago. the NFL. Like, they won an AFL <laughs> ring or something. So that tells you how long ago it was, right? I don't know. Actually, I did watch some of the 98 game where Gary uh, – screwed the pooch on the kick so that it wasn't the last game i watched way back i guess it was atlanta okay. yeah yeah i was in clemson i remember watching that game because one, one of the guys i watched it with lived in minnesota and he was so yeah. it's like oh this is the year minnesota's like i think they were 15 and one and then i because i who I, I had no idea i was going to move to minnesota right and i was like this guy from minnesota really thinks they're going to win the super bowl so I'm like, I'm cheering for Atlanta just to be contrary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And then a year later, I live in Minnesota. Yeah. See? And it's cold as shit. It's been negative 10 for two weeks now. I told you the story when I first moved here. Let's do it. 150 days without 50-degree temperature. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was like, what have I done? It was like five months, and it never got to 50. I was like, this doesn't even like seem possible. I think that that's maybe like... Uh, difference between like a quote-unquote native and a transplant like i've never paid attention like just today wendy my girlfriend was like is it snowing out did you check did you look at the weather I'm like why would i look at the weather it's february it's gonna be fucking cold well there's nothing i need to look at the weather bro you know so like yeah. the fact that you know there was like a streak of a uh, certain yeah. like no nah, man it's winter and then sooner or later it won't be and yeah that's like it. the the company i worked for so I, when i moved here i worked for a a spine division of a pretty big medical company um, at the time that was uh, um, just a monster medical company in the spine division. They had bought the spine division. So the spinal medical division was here and we were in a meeting one day and like the, the vice president of research and development is talking to the, talking to everybody in the company about what's going on in the R and D and, and he goes in and he's from Minnesota. So he goes into like, you know, being from Minnesota People in Minnesota love the Four Seasons. They love being here. And at one point, he was like, you know, everybody in this company is from Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and now we have Ishmael. <laughs> and, we, and, he was like, and we don't understand why he came here. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, that first winter, I was like, well, this is crazy. I was like, how can people live here? Um, but, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still here. Well, the funny thing, though, is sticking to that contrast theme is when your boy Hanan is in town <laughs> and like he's on the mat with like two two layers of wool socks and like a stocking cap and stuff. Like. Yeah, when Hanan first came. So he came like in the summer. Right. And then I took him to like some of the lakes and I was like, oh, yeah, in the winter, these freeze over. And he was like, no, what? I was like, yeah, because he's he from was, Brazil, right? He he's from Brazil, right? Brazil lives in Miami now. Oh, lives in Miami. So Brazil. California, uh, he's in the he, you know he's in the Army Reserves now, so he spent some time oh, I think right. in Texas. So now he's in Miami, and uh, I was like, no, they freeze over, and you can literally like drive cars on them. And he was like, I want to come back in winter, 
I was like, okay. <laughs> so he comes back in winter. He spends a couple weeks here. And then when the trip is over, he was like, never ask me to come back in winter again, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you've walked on the lake. You've seen that now. So you, you can tell your Brazilian list. fans you've yeah. checked this off the list. But he That's was like, right. never ask me to do this again, please. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think Hanan's, I think he's 35 or 36. Maybe he's 36 now. Um, but you think about that. Hanan's been doing judo and jiu-jitsu since he's five years old. Right, so it's not only you've got this person that's really good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but you've got this person that's been throwing bodies since he's five years old. But he's such a good dude. Like he's like, you know, I spent a year in California, 2012, 2013, and like, and some of the people, like the friends I made out there when I was like, because I was out there and my wife and daughter were still here, right? And they would come out occasionally, and I'd come back once every so many months. And I was out there thinking I was going to be back in Minnesota relatively soon, and then I got out there and the company was kind of just a cluster. So I spent like a year there, um, and then Sue, my wife, finally made me come home. But when I was out there, basically all I did was like I'd go to work, and I'd go do jiu-jitsu. And I trained at Fabio Leopoldo School, who's a world champion. right? But at the time when Fabio had those schools, like, you know, Hanan was there. There was a lot of Brazilian, you know, instructors that were there teaching classes for him. You know, a guy – so a guy um, – you know, the guy that started the IGF, which is kind of the nonprofit thing uh, – the nonprofit thing that we we were involved with, Eric Klinger, Eric was there at the time. So a lot of these guys are like you know trained with, right? And a year later, I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna go back to Minnesota. But a lot of these guys, I'm like still friends with. Like, and it's it's kind of like one of the bummers bummers about last year when like, you know, pans usually happens in the March, and when pans mm-hmm. got shut down, worlds got shut down. Like those tournaments are always in California, and it's like that's my opportunity every year to go see like you know these like really close friends I made like in the jujitsu world out there. So a lot of those guys, a lot of these guys, I, you know, only communication I've had with them over the last almost two years now has either been like text or, you know, or, or, you know, um, Instagram or email. Right, so right. I haven't actually seen them face to face. So and those are the real bummer knock on effects of, of yeah. not having the events is then people aren't going and seeing people. Et cetera, yeah. Et so like literally like some of these guys I see like literally once a year and I know when I'm going to see them. We don't right. even have to communicate with each other. Yeah, it'll just happen. We know we're going to cross paths at this yep. tournament, right? And we can kind of catch up what's going on with everybody's life. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to the tournament scene getting back to, you know, the, the, the high-level, like, tournament scene getting back to normal so we can start to travel and, like, I can see, like, my buddies again because, yeah, I made some really good friends when I was in California. It was like – and it basically, if I don't move to California, like, EM theory probably doesn't exist, to be honest. It was like a break for me to be like – Oh, I'm teaching full time at the. Or I'm teaching classes full time at the academy to be like, okay, I, I'm going to be gone for you know what turned out to be a year, um, and then Greg Nelson in the academy figured out how to teach the classes when I was gone. So when I came back, it was like, okay, they've got their thing under control. It's probably time for me to do my own thing. So that year in California, you know, I made a lot of good friends, and basically, you know, without that year, like, there's a good chance M theory doesn't even exist. Yeah. So like I'm just teaching somewhere else for somebody right now. So. Right. Or yeah, you'd have stayed with the academy longer and maybe not had that catalyst to yeah, for sure. Was it yeah. on your was it in on your radar? You think? You Whether know, or not it actually would have happened. Was it a thought you had had? Go start a school. It may have teach? happened at some point. I don't know if it would have happened as soon. Because um, I I know people at the academy prior prior to me leaving, like some of the students, like oh, would you ever open your own gym? And like prior to me going to California, I was like no. I was like, this seems like so much like, I mean, obviously I love doing jujitsu and teaching jujitsu, 
but then there's a the whole business aspect to it, right? And, and you yeah. want to have a successful business, right? And then, as you guys know, there's all the dynamics that happen in a gym that nobody talks about. Right? You got to hire Just a weird manager inter- and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you got to hire a weird manager. That's normal personality is just deflective. Um, but there's all these things that are that are happening, right? And I was like, this just seems like it's going to be like, you know, this would have to be something I would do. Is basically, okay, I'm I retire from the medical industry. I know I can financially support myself for the rest of my life. I'm going to have a gym as a hobby, as opposed to having a gym that is now like this is my means of living, mm-hmm. right? So it would have probably happened. It probably wouldn't have happened in the same time frame and it probably wouldn't have been like the same progression but yeah it was probably the catalyst that actually led to m theory to be honest so that's cool that's where i met hanan yeah yeah Yeah. and then where i was living was awesome like i worked at a company uh, a small startup medical company in carpinteria which is about 10 miles south of santa barbara it was amazing so i had my i had my car shipped out there so every day to and from work, I drove up the the West Coast, literally, like feet away from the ocean, like every day. So like that part the road of it was I would drive cool. if I went out on vacation. Yeah, effectively, I did that every yeah, day. That's cool. Like for literally, I was literally in California for 365 days, right? And that's I came back on what would have been day 366, hmm. right? So that part of it was that part of it was cool, and that's where I met Hanan and a bunch of other people. Yeah. Hold so on, I, hold on. A car engineer? Automotive engineer. Automotive or aerospace engineer. engineer. Oh. Like so when I was in high school, like like I was always I was always like into like academics. But when I was in high school I really was like uh, yeah, I still had this dream I was gonna play college football and then finally I was like, oh, that's not gonna happen. So now I need to like figure out like what I'm gonna go and do in college and um uh, I was do the school part. Yeah, (laughs) I was always focused on being doing really well in academics, but up until I was probably like a junior in high school, I had never really thought, well, what am I going to do? And then somebody like suggested, like Ishmael, you should, you should be an engineer. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So, so when I and I love you, you straight Forrest Gump your your like lifelong (laughs) career. Okay, okay. I was like, and I I just felt like engineering, (laughs) like. What? Okay, <laughs> and I and I love cars. Right? So I was like, oh, I'll I'll go and like get into the automotive industry. Like I'll get an engineering degree, and then I'll and then um, uh, Toyota has a massive plant in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is pretty close to Lexington, Kentucky. So then, as I'm like in school, I'm starting to see like. <laughs> the people that are going into like Toyota to work as engineers. And it was like, they're sitting in front of a computer all day. Like, you know, like and signing stuff. It was like, I want to be the guy that makes a, you know, a car look the way it looks. And I was like, I don't think this is really good. Like this is going to work. So then I was like, Oh, I'm now I'm going to like, I want to design fighter jets. Right. Yeah, natural progression. So I was on that for a while, but like I was all like, sedans you know, to fighter jets. but I was getting a mechanical yeah. engineering degree. So it's like, okay, I can kind of like figure this out. And then I still remember really where, where I was when I made the decision. I was like, do I really want to design fighter jets or would I rather do something in medical where I can literally like design something that you can put in people and it's going to help them live a better life. Yeah. And that's how I, but at that time, like 
I, We're talking like insulin pumps and other inject. Uh, yeah, most of the stuff I did most of my career was like spine implants. Oh, yeah. So, but naturally. yeah, like like kind of along that those lines. Sure. And that's how I made the decision. It's like okay, but I didn't have like a bioengineering degree. I had a mechanical engineering degree. But you can have a mechanical engineering degree and get into the medical industry. But I was like, but it'll be easier for me if I go get a bioengineering degree. And I did that. I got a master's in bioengineering. I went. I lived in South Carolina. I went to Clemson for a couple of years. And then, of course, Minneapolis is like a hub for this type of thing. Yeah. So that's how I ended up here. So, yeah, that was my progression. I wanted to design cars. And then I finally realized, oh, I'm not going to be the guy that's sitting drawing the car and making it look the way. I'm going to be like some guy that's told, go make this part. And then I wanted to design fighter jets. And then I was like, oh, I want to do something in medicine. So that's kind of like the progression. So now The line on the graph there is yeah. pretty dramatic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love cars, so that was kind of like the what precipitated that. But you got a you got like a matchbox car that you drive around, right? I've got I, a Lotus. I don't know, I don't know nothing. So yeah, a Lotus. I've had a four Lotus. Lotuses. Yeah, a four Lodi. Well, give me like this is give me like something comparable. There is nothing comparable like to I a have... Lotus. <laughs> Should have predicted that answer. England, Hethel, England. Cause, so like I drive like a, a 2008 Honda Civic base model. Where is it in like the hierarchy of vehicle it's, quality it, relative to that? The top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm so serious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, like I've had four of them. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're pretty tightly packaged. Right. The first one I had was way less than 2,000 pounds. Which is unheard of for a car in the United States nowadays, what? right? Um, so literally, it weighed less than two thousand pounds. Yeah. So when you say Matchbox, it kind of looks like it's so tiny. Oh wow! Right. But the original version of that. Well, hold on. Is that the overall size, or is that just the the engineering and materials and both probably? Uh, it very small. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is the engineering. The the passenger seat is two thirds the size of the driver's seat, right? Because the driver it's a driver's car. Yeah. It's not a passenger's car. It's a driver's car, yeah. and you're literally like elbow to elbow, right? Yeah. So it's like really tightly packed, and it is like brilliantly engineered. The chassis of the car is the first production car in the world. It's glued together. What? It's glued together. You can actually look into the chassis, like if you lift up, like. The original ones like didn't even have like the amenities like when they came to the United States they had, right? You would just see the bare chassis in the car, and you can see the glue holding the car together, right? And it's like an aerospace glue. It's like an adhesive yeah. they use for airplanes and stuff. Um, but when I got mine, right, it had like minimal carpet, right? And I took it all out right away because I was like, I wanted people to see that this car is like glued together. So that was my first one. And not the, like not like putting gorilla glue oh, in your I've, hair I've, or I've anything a, like that. No. <laughs> Oh, okay. I've got a good story about buying this car, too. Oh, yeah. So there used to be this Cambodian restaurant in St. Paul called Kalop, like authentic Cambodian, and Sue's from Cambodia. So one day I meet Sue and her friends at, uh, I think this was, I think the year is like 2005, I think. So I meet Sue and some of her friends at this restaurant, and I'm like, hey, I want to go, and it's a Saturday. I was like, hey, I want to go look at this car. Because, like, they had just come into the United States. Like, the this is, like, the one I bought was the second generation. The first generation was never sold in the United States. And the first generation was 1,500 pounds. 
So obviously it comes to the United States, you got to pass all the safety regulations. So they've got to bulk the car up. So it's like 1900 pounds. And so he was like, okay, we'll go look at this car. I was like, you know, they, they're just now arriving in the United States. So they have a demo there for people to look at and drive. And, uh, so we, we walk into the dealership and the, and, and like at the time, like I have like shorts and a t-shirt on. So, uh, and it's a, you know, a dealership that sells Lotus. So I, 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 nobody's giving me any attention. And then like somebody looks at me finally and says, Hey, you know, can I help you? And I'm like, you see that black car? I was like, I'm buying that. <laughs> <laughs> they thought you were looking like, for what? a cell phone bank or something. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. And, uh, and so, but at the time, like you could either go buy them off the lot Right. But if you wanted a specific one, you had to order it. So yeah. we sat down. I was like, this is what I want. Like, I want this on it. I don't want this. I don't I want this to be as light as possible. Um, and then, yeah. And then like nine months later, the thing showed up. And then 2008. It's like a baby boy. Yeah, kind of. Mm. And then 2008, I, I sold that one. Um, and then in 2008, um, I bought the, basically the, version of that that's intended for the racetrack so i bought like the next version <laughs> same thing same size basically everything basically the same just faster uh, more aerodynamic stuff on it and then that same year within like literally a month right like um i bought another one off ebay <laughs> what? and but i bought a 1977 lotus if you know anything about a Lotus, a, a Lotus from a 1977 is a disaster from a quality standpoint. Oh, okay, yeah. But I bought the a, a, a Lotus Esprit S1. S1 means the first version of it. Have you seen the James Bond movie that has the white submarine car? The the car that goes under the water. I, I think I can picture. I that's a seen Lotus. It, but I, that's a Lotus. That's okay. what I bought. I bought that car. <laughs> Right, so I bought it off. It's like having a DeLorean kind of like, right? So, (laughs) yeah, I think I maybe drove that car 200 miles. The I think I had it for I think I had that car for almost 10 years. I think I maybe drove it 200 miles. Every time I got in, it was like, okay, like, am I going to make it home? (laughs) But I bought it off eBay, and uh, there was only like 400 of those cars left in the world. I was like, oh, and when I bought it off eBay. Like there's a reserve price, right? And I put in a bid and I'm like, there's no way this guy will sell me one of these examples of this car that's the James Bond color for this price. Um, and there's only maybe 400 of these left in the world. And sure enough, it was the hit the reserve price with like 30 seconds to go on the auction. And then it was like, okay, I bought this. And then I was like, Sue, I, I bought another Lotus. All right. She's like, why? It's like, well, there's only 400 of them. Right. And it was in Indiana, so the guy had to, this would have been the first sign. So I get a hold of him, and he was like, "All right." He's like, "I'm going to ship the car to." He's like, "No, no, no, man! I'm going to fly down and I'm going to drive it back to Minnesota." And he was like, "That is a bad idea." <laughs> That's funny. He was like, "He was like, I think it'll make it, but yeah. it will be the worst ten or twelve hours of your life yeah. driving this car back to Minnesota." So then, yeah, and then um, a few years later, because it just sat in the garage, taking up a garage space for years. And then finally, I was like, okay, I probably need to sell this car. So then I sold the, the, the second one I had, and then I sold this one. And then uh, I sold this one to a guy in England. He flew over here and got it. Oh, it was wow. crazy. Just, just Music producer, okay. right? He was obsessed. He wanted to have yeah. one of these cars that had the original paint on it, 
that looked like the one in James Bond. Because the car I had had never been repainted to a different color. Because a lot of people will repaint them white. This one was the original color. So I put it on something, and then right away, people start bidding on it. And I was like, oh, I didn't, like, you know, I thought I was going to have to, like, take weeks to figure out how to sell this thing. All right, so I had people from, like, Pakistan calling me. This guy from England called me. Right, and eventually, like we we agreed to something, and I was like, "Well, how are you going to get it?" He's like, "Oh, I'm flying over there." He was like, "I'm going to come and get it." And I was like, "Okay." So he flew here. He was a music producer, um, and he flew here not long after I think Prince died. Mm. Right? He was like, "Hey, can you take me to Paisley?" So I took him to Paisley Park. <laughs> he he comes and drives the car, and then um, I'm like, "How are you going to get this thing back to England, man?" And right, he was like, "Oh, well." You know, there's some things in the United States I want to see, so I'm going to go do some things. I'm going to have a trailer come and get this car. It's going to take it to New York, and then I'm going to ship it from New York to England on a boat. I was like, okay, because he apparently had done it before, so he looked knew how to do it. Mm. And then, true story, like, we're driving the car from my house to, like, five miles away to meet the trailer to put it on, and it doesn't make it. Oh. I mean, we get like a mile and the car shuts completely down, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, man. I was like, I, I'm sorry, dude. I was like, you know, I, I, I mean, the car was, you know, I mean, it is what it is, but I had driven it like the week before and it like, you know, like 10 miles or 15 miles just to make sure like you weren't going to come here and buy. And he was like, oh, it's no problem, man. And he's like, I'll just go down to the mechanic on my street. He lived in London. So he lived in like a really like high end of London. He's yeah. like, I'll just go down to my local mechanic and he'll sort all this out. Like he was like, don't worry about it. All right. So, yeah. James Bond would have had a move in that and, situation. And then I bought the fourth one. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one you have now? That's the one I have now. That's like a new one. Lotus Evora. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a little bit bigger. Right. It weighs like 3,000 pounds. Which is still super light for That's a car, really small, yeah. right? But it's not nineteen hundred pounds, so. But it has a back seat, kinda. So I bought it. <laughs> I bought it so I could take Valentino to places with me. So we put Valent, but now the Valentina can ride the front seat. So, but yeah, I was like, oh, I need something that has a back seat so I can put a booster chair back there so Valentina can jump in. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's the one I have now. But so I, I mean, I mean, are the is that like a, a like a. a high performance sports car i mean it's like a ferrari comparable you know in terms of like the category or whatever it's all snobbishness and brand loyalty aside i'm just like where does this fall on the the top yeah i knew he was gonna say that <laughs> i knew he was gonna say that <laughs> so it's definitely a sports car like like yeah, yeah. like what they're known for is like the handling and like the precision of them sure like um there's definitely like well now they're now lo- the Lotus brand is becoming electrified. So they're owned majority of Lotus is owned by a Chinese company. So now they have like a, a lot of resources to kind of dump into the brand. So Lotus is getting ready to go through a pretty transformative period where, cause a lot of times you'll like, you know, look, look, look at like a McLaren, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini. Like sometimes, you know, these cars nowadays, they come out, they have 600, 700, 800 horsepower. Mm-hmm. That's getting ready to happen to Lotus. Lotus literally has a car. It's an all-electric car that's getting ready to come out that has 2,000 horsepower. <laughs> that's not what they're known for historically, though. Sure. They're known for being super light, and they're known for being, like, super precise and having, like, the best handling in the world. Yeah. Um, so if you're a driver, and they're one of the few cars now that the majority of them are still made with manual. They're not sure. automatic. Sure, you know, sure, you can sure. buy them with paddles, but almost nobody does. Um, whereas, like, Ferrari doesn't make a car that has a manual anymore 
Porsche does, really? but it's very specific models. Lamborghini doesn't have a manual. So everybody's kind of gone that way. So this is one of the few like historic brands that's left around that like when you it's considered literally a driver's car. The driver has to do everything. Yeah, the point is right? I am an active participant. You're, you, 100%. Right? And the and the 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 lotus saying has always been like, you know, if there's a pebble on the road and you drive over top of it, you can feel it through the steering wheel. All right. That's obviously an exaggeration, yeah. but that's how people kind of Makes the point. explain the brand. Like, you know, this car is intended to be as almost intended to be as analog as possible as opposed to digital. Sure. But now they're transforming. They're getting ready to become like maybe even more digital than the, you know, so. Well, even, even if you just start moving in that direction, you're still behind the market. So you're still. Yeah. You got you to keep up with it a little bit, though. Yeah. I mean, 2,000 horsepower also costs $2 million. So, yeah. Uh, but there's only going to be 130 of them. So, like, honestly, like, I'll probably yeah. never even see one of those well, cars yeah. in my life. If you do, go up and tell it you're a black belt and get a picture <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah. It'll be brilliant, though. It's, I mean, yeah. it's a Lotus. I've been to the Lotus factory. I've been on the racetrack. Oh, they have a racetrack? I took my dad there. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> 2010, like, uh, the guy I had bought a couple of my Lotuses from um in chicago um because i bought my second one out of chicago um and i met this guy at a track event and he called me one day and he was like ishmael lotus is doing this thing where they're inviting people from america like 20 people or 10 people or whatever to come and they're going to give like a tour you're going to spend some time with the ceo you're going to spend time on the racetrack you're going to get to be on the racetrack with a professional driver um and i was like well what's the catch He's like, all you got to do is buy the flight. I was like, okay, like, where am I staying? He's like, it's all taken care of. Lotus is paying for everything, right? They just want to build, like, brand loyalty. So they're looking for people that have bought a car in so many years. Uh, yeah, so I took my dad. So it was awesome. So I was like, dad, you want to go to England and go to the Lotus factory and drive on the racetrack? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so we spent three days at the Lotus factory driving on the racetrack. It was awesome. That is pretty cool, yeah. And mm. when I was there, uh, everybody knows what Tesla is. The original Teslas were made at the Lotus factory. Oh, yeah. They, like, used their facilities before Lotus, they had their own. Lotus did everything, shipped it to California, and Tesla put the battery in. Oh. So the original the original Teslas are made at, were made at the Lotus factory. That is actually really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I was there when they were rolling off the line. So. Oh, that's cool. Uh, pretty good ground clearance, four-wheel drive. Can I get a, a plow blade on the front of one of these? What? Nope, just assume you're going to have damage on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> did you clip something? Sure did. It happens be, all the time. Be man. careful how you pull into your driveway. How do you get that into the parking lot at the gym with that, that angle? At a very steep angle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to come in like super sharp to get it in. Yeah, if you're not careful, you'll like bottom it out for sure. Like well, you hit I, I've done it in my little Civic a bunch yeah. of times. Yeah, I can get it in and out, but it's like I have to make sure like nobody is coming in or yeah. out. Yeah. So I've got like all this room to maneuver the car in. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but like to be honest, like the the one I have now is like, you know, it's 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 definitely like more like the inside of it is more like premium. It's more comfortable than the ones I've had previously. The the ones I had originally, I don't think could have made it into the gym parking lot without just accepting there's going to be some underneath cosmetic damage here. <laughs> yeah. A little reshaping on the bottom. A little reshaping of the bottom, yeah. But Lotus is the most... Uh, people wonder why I love Lotus so much. Lotus isn't in Formula One anymore. Lotus has had more to do with 
innovation. That's why I'm such a big Lotus fan. Most of the, uh, not most, but a lot of the innovations that have made Formula One what it is today all came from the founder of Lotus. So that's why I'm such a big Lotus fan. So if you go back and look at the Formula One cars of the 60s and 70s, the way they look, the way they look is because of Lotus. Right? Like, no ifs, ands, and buts about yeah, that's it. That's cool. So, yeah, before I saw yours, I never even heard of such a thing. I'm not a car guy. Mm-hmm. So, it's cool to, to hear that there's actually a load of, of history there. Yep. And Lotus was the first non US organization to win the Indy 500. In 1965, Lotus brought a car here and said, and it literally changed how the Indy 500 was run. Because in 1965, all all cars in the Indy 500 were front engine. Yeah. Lotus brought a, a mid-engine car and basically like lapped the field and then went back to England and said, okay, now we've changed your sport. Now we're going to yeah. go do something different. <laughs> so The original mic drop. So that's why I'm such a big Lotus fan is because of like the innovation. So oh, That's pretty cool. Are you a Pedro Sauer black belt? I am since 2006. So I met Pedro in 2000. So I moved here in 2000. I met Pedro right after I moved here. I think I moved here in May. I literally may have met Pedro in like May or June. So not long after I moved here, I remember he came and did a, a seminar at the academy. Because the academy at the time was like a, you know, really small space, you know, pretty tight number of students. Everybody kind of knew and trained with each other. So when I, when, when I, when I moved here, like Pedro Sauer, like right away, like, oh, you're not one of the normal crew. I was like, oh, I just moved here from Kentucky. <laughs> All right, so I met Pedro in 2000 and 2006. I got my black belt. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time with, even though Pedro was at the time in Utah, in like the early 2000s, I spent a lot of time with Pedro. So every summer I'd fly out to Utah to train with him. And then at the time, he used to come through the Midwest like a lot. So he'd come to Chicago, be there for a few days, do some seminars. So then he'd go to like Milwaukee and Madison, do some seminars. Then he'd come to Minnesota. So he'd like make a little tour. So I would go and wherever he was, and I would be like, "Oh, I'm going to go Chicago." And then basically, I'm just we're just going to like go to each stop with Pedro until he comes to Minnesota, All right? So I used to see him like a lot every year. So now I like see him maybe once every two, three, sometimes four years. I don't see him that often anymore. Now he lives in Savannah, Georgia. So because he was like Utah or something. Wasn't he was he? in Utah for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, he was in Virginia for the last several years. So he moved to uh, um, Virginia several years ago. So he kind of set up camp there. And then within the last six to nine months, he moved to Savannah, Georgia. He's he's in effect retired now. He still does sure. seminars. Sure. But he doesn't have like his own school anymore. So when he left like Virginia, he basically kind of left the school to those guys that were there and now he's in Savannah, Georgia with his wife. Because, like, I think all of his kids are, like, either in college or out of college. And I think they may have one that's in high school, but I think she's she's going to be done. She could be in college, but I think she's still in high school. So, yeah. So he's at a point in his life now where mm-hmm. I think he likes Savannah, Georgia. He's done some seminars there, and that's where he lives. So yeah. Now, you said you started jiu-jitsu in 1999, and you got your black belt in 2006? Correct. Whew. Now, and you also said earlier you train three, four hours a day. Yep. Talk, tell me tell me about this training. Like, how much of that is time, like, 
you know, medium to low level drilling, how much of that is, I mean, we're not talking three hours of open roll, let's go. No. Okay. Like, it's, so it's it's a little cliche, but like how to train. Cliches are true, so let's do this. Yeah, well, in jiu-jitsu, like the triangle is such a big thing. Like a lot of the logos are triangles, Mm -hmm. right? So when people ask me, I'm like, you know, you should look at your training as a triangle. Like, you know, one point of that triangle is like just the technical session. Go to class learn techniques the second point of that is like now like the drilling part of it is where i'm going to take those techniques i'm going to drill them with a partner and as i get more proficient at them i'm going to drill them kind of at what i would say is like normal speed this is how this is going to transpire and it's important to have a partner that understands like oh they're doing this i need to do this because this kind of leads them to doing this okay and then the third element of that is like the live training like that's where you got to solve problems that's where you have to, you know, you know, uh, you know, you experiment. Sometimes you're on the side where you're more experienced. Okay, I can experiment with this person. They don't have as much experience as me. Sometimes you're on the other side. And it's like, oh, this person's a lot better than me. So now I have to like kind of learn how to survive and deal with this. And the third person, again, like three points, you should have like the person that your skills are basically the same. And that's kind of like your battle, like who can do their techniques to the other person. Right. So I'm a big believer, like and it, the changes, like depending on like, if we have a big tournament coming up or something or a big event, like we will modify the training to like, oh, I think this person needs more drill time. Well, I think this person needs more live go time. Right. But if like we're just in standard, like kind of a standard part of like training, that's how I believe people should train. A third is focused on just learning technique or learning two new techniques. Third on drilling, third on live training. Right. And as you get experience, right, I mean, the people that are really experienced kind of like can even figure it out themselves. Like, oh, I need to spend more time drilling tomorrow than I do live training or I need to spend more time live training than drilling. And as you get older, it also changes. Right. I mean, if you've been doing jujitsu for 20 or 25 years, you kind of know what you're good at. Right. Um, So then, you know, jujitsu becomes a lot about like, like for me, like, you know, being 47, like obviously it's it's my passion. It's also the way I get like physical activity in. And for me, I try to spend a lot of time, especially like when I see a lot of like, you know, before COVID, like every night, it seemed like we just have a new person in the gym every day. And when we get comfortable with letting them roll, you know, I take it up on myself, like, because you can ask the guys when the gym first started, when we had a lot less people, I would spend a lot of time training with like the black and the brown and purple belts. But now like as the gym has grown, I take it up on myself that I feel like, oh, I need to like train with like the white belt that's going to be in their first class where there's going to be live rolling so I can make them comfortable and like not just let them feel like what jujitsu can do, but like make sure that person's comfortable in this situation. And, you know, and like I'm just not going to come in and like I'm going to get smashed. So that's important to like have people like an instructor that is because like all the people that are like black belts in the gym, brown belts in the gym, they, a lot of them will probably tell you like, Oh, when I was like a white and blue belt, like Ishmael rolled with me all the time. Right. Because now like you become a brown and black belt. And especially when you're younger, you have kind of that pool you're training with. Right. So I spend a lot of time focused on like the white belts and the blue belts. Cause I want to make sure those people are comfortable and they stick with it. Right. And they're like, Oh, this like black belt takes the time. Like the person that owns the gym and runs the classes, mm-hmm. like takes the time to roll with me and make sure like I understand how to roll. Right. Because 
probably like 10 years ago, like I probably was finding, that's when I was finally like, okay, like me coming and training and teaching a class is not about Ishmael making Ishmael feel good about himself. Like I want like the person that comes through the door that's never done jujitsu or maybe never done anything physically active or any kind of physical activity. I want to make sure that person like wants to come back and do this tomorrow. Right. So, so yeah, when we have new people, I try to like make an effort and um, over the years, it's gotten harder, right? Before COVID, we had so many students. It was just like, wow, like, because I'm like really cognizant of like, I need to know everybody's name. And I remember like uh, Ryan Dixon or Dorkson, as Rand, you guys Randy call Dorkson. him. Randy, Randy Dorkson. Randy Dorkson. Yeah. I remember like right before the whole COVID shutdown, um, I went in one night and I was like, Ryan, I was like, I, I just can't remember everybody's name, man. I was like, there's just so many people coming in, right? But I want to make those sure those people feel comfortable right and and they like the instructor is going to make you feel comfortable and it's more important to make me um it's more important for me to make the new people feel comfortable and sometimes you know sometimes and we have people from other gyms come in right make sure they they feel comfortable in the environment that's more important to me at this point than me trying to go tap out some brown belt or black belt because that's going to make me feel good about myself because at this point i know i'm not usually the toughest guy in the training room that's somebody that's probably half my age at this point, right? And as as you get older, as an instructor, when you finally make that, understand that, like, that allows you to, like, do so much more for your students. And when you understand, it's like, oh, my focus is my students. My focus is no longer myself. Yeah. Well, and, and I would say at this point, you and your place probably, that's probably fine that it's hard to keep up with because there's so many people again pre-covid and presumably at some point in the near future hopefully because that person for me personally was dave scora oh for sure you know yeah. like there's enough there's a the, the water's deep enough and the levels of advocacy are quality and uh, him and jody actually and actually dave kind of forced it on jody he's like yeah. talk, talk to jody too I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll talk to jody. you know what i mean but down the line of the top three levels of belts there's there's yeah. enough people doing that same thing making sure people feel welcome and and come yeah, back yeah but like yeah you know even if it is overwhelming because the line of white belts goes all the way around behind the black belts at the start of class you know yeah like, I, there, there's still plenty of, of yeah the of gym positive was, vibes yeah we i mean like the number of people that were coming to the gym prior to covid was like it has grown to to such a level like i mean it was awesome but at the same time it was like oh i, I it was like i don't want to lose like this personal touch where like i know everybody's name Right. And, uh, but yeah, it's good. Like, I mean, Dave's, Dave's really good at that. Like he sees like the new person and you can just look, sometimes look in their eyes and they're like, Oh, this person's kind of out of their element. Like they're yeah. not, they've never done this before. Cause like, I'm, I'm doing snowboarding lessons now. Right. Which has actually been really good for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. cause I'm like, okay, my daughter wants to learn how to snowboard. It's like, you know, I don't, do I really want to learn how to snowboard? Probably not, <laughs> but I want to be able to do with this with my daughter. Yes. So I'm going to like suck it up and I'm going to go do this. But I remember the first time, the first snowboarding, like the night before I was dreading it so bad. I was like, Oh, I'm going to fall. I hope I don't get hurt. This is going to be so embarrassing. You break your hip grandpa. But then I'm like, <laughs> but that's how the new person in jujitsu feels. Yeah. Right. They feel like how I feel now. So, like, how can I ask somebody, like, well, you just got to persevere. You just got to go through it if I can't go to this lesson, right? And then finally I got down the hill, and he was like, oh, let's go up and do it again. I was like, well, you just go do it with my daughter because I'm just slowing her down at this point, right? 
but it, we've done like three or four snowboarding lessons over the last six weeks. But it's been good for me because it like has reminded me like, oh, this is how the person that walks in the gym and it's like, oh, I've seen this thing in the UFC or whatever, and I'm going to go train. And then also, and some nights we'll have like seven or eight black belts. And it's like, oh, and there's like seven or eight black belts in yeah. here. Not only does uh, everybody here know what they're doing, everybody here is an expert. Apparently. Yeah. yeah. That's, so, yeah. That is completely analogous to what I told people when I first started because I spent 15 plus years in weight rooms slinging barbells and lifting atlas stones and had taken the same kind of progression you had where I put myself in a position where I'm more interested in coaching somebody else and make sure it's also what I do for a living. You know, personal trainer, yeah. your job is to make sure people are comfortable in the gym, enjoy showing up to your gym, keep coming back to your gym and achieve what they want. Right. And people ask me, how are you liking that jujitsu stuff? And I said, it's cool to have a first day again. And oh, a second sure. day and a first month and yeah. a first year, you know, you, 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 no matter how like, well, you intellectualize the experience of a beginner, it's an experience yeah. and until you re-experience it, you've lost track of the feeling yeah. of being a beginner. So that's cool. It's cool to hear. I'm not trying to snowboard myself. No way, but it's pretty cool when it, and it goes right. It goes wrong <laughs> a lot. Like jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> jujitsu is real yeah. fun. One thing you said earlier, the like the triangle of like the, the three types of training partners. So yesterday was my first day back training in a couple months or whatever. And my first round was with Dan O'Mano, who's who started a little bit before me. He's yeah. got like a stripe or something, you know, but we were like roughly yeah. like me being a big lug kinda helps me keep up with him a little bit. He's you know? there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And we're roughly kinda like we'll have an even round. I'll I'll kinda, you know, be doing what I want to do the first half and then he'll start whipping my ass you know and then I had a roll so that's one side of my triangle then I had a roll first time ever with Hayden yeah that that is what that was right <laughs> and then I had a roll with like Joe Rudd Joe yep. Rudd Rudd yeah 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 and I like rolling with Joe but he's newer you know he's young yeah. he's younger yeah. to it so to speak he hasn't seen as much so like it's funny you, you can look at an afternoon of rolling and be like yep I got all three just because of the diversity of the room. It's so important. Like, it's hard sometimes to... Because eventually, I mean, you just get to a point like, you know... Uh, I, I mean, there is... I mean, we have a, I mean, we have a lot of, like, good and brown belts. But, I mean, you go to some gyms where, you know... Oh, this guy's won, you know, four world titles. Okay, that's the person in the room that's, you know... Um, but as you're developing, it's so important to be able to have, like... Okay, this person... I'm going to give the opportunity to work on their survival because I'm going to experiment some, you know, this person is like the person I'm chasing. Right. So this is like, you know, I'm trying to close this gap and this is my, and this is kind of my, my battle round because yeah. you do see people sometimes, some people steer themselves to like the person that they can experiment on and try to do that every round. Right. I mean, that that's, that's somewhat normal. Like everybody wants to uh, win but I, I have to remind people all the time, like, nobody today is walking out of here with a gold medal. Like, training and competing are completely two different things. You want to train in a way that gets you ready to compete. But if you roll today and you have six easy rounds, like, you need to ask yourself, like, why did I have six easy rounds? Yeah. Was it because, like, this is just the way things worked out and when we paired up, right? Maybe today was my best day of jiu-jitsu ever. Or did I have six easy rounds because I navigated my way to six people I knew I could yeah. do what I wanted to, right. right? And that's like a, and that's normal. I mean, it's just what humans are, right? 
and like I have to remind people every day, like, you know, sometimes like we'll see the, you know, the black belts train and like sometimes you'll see like each of them tap each other. And I'll tell them, like, that's what I want to see in training. Like, I want to see you guys tap each other. And I want to see you go the next time without the intention of the person that got tapped now is going to try to get revenge. Right. It's not there's like because like what happens like, you know, you walk out of here and nobody's going to give you a million dollars because you won that match. Right. You walk out of here. Maybe you feel good about yourself and for a couple of days. But that's not what training is for. Like training is getting prepared for something, whatever that is. So Well, when you when you train with at least some of the same people five, six days a week, like how long is that dopamine hit going to last? Because you got to come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You, you might be feeling a little tired tomorrow. Yeah, Jiu-Jitsu is crazy. Like you'll see people like figure something out and they have the advantage for a couple of days and then you'll figure that person figure out how to counter that and yeah. then they'll take the advantage. Right. And it's like, you can be in this cycle for the rest of your life if you want to. <laughs> you get real tired. <laughs> Going back to the uh, the triangle thing, the three, like the three different types of training partners or the three specific training partners, you got names in mind? Like, did you have over the years, maybe in a specific time period or? Uh, you know, it's really hard to go back like so long ago. Like, I will say, like, when we were doing no gi training at the academy, everybody was always chasing Sean Shirk. Right. Never and, heard of him. And never heard I'm of Sean Shirt. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So and, <laughs> that actually goes back to when I like paid more attention to yeah. you. And Sean sure. was incredibly I mean you can look at him and be like, Oh, that's an explosive athlete. But he was a great training partner. And when I say chasing him, it was it was like in the best way possible. Right? I mean that was like um, those were some of the, like from a training standpoint, some of the best years of my life because I had a career. I wanted to be as good at jujitsu as possible, but his dream was to be UFC champion. Right. So like those of us that trained with him like daily on a consistent basis, because there was like four of us, five of us that were really like, you know, this is the training group. Right. We were all committed like, OK, we all want to be good at this, but pretty much mo not maybe not all of us, but most of us had like these other careers that, you know, jujitsu was a thing we did a lot. Right. But it wasn't our dream to be UFC champion. Yeah, it wasn't your career ambition. Right? And obviously he was an explosive athlete. So like training with him was, was always a challenge. Right. Um, but we were trying to help this person achieve his dream. Right. And we were so focused on helping him get ready for whatever was coming up. Um, and people, I tell people this all the time. I spent like probably 10 years training with him very consistently and he today is still probably one of the two or three most explosive athletes I've ever trained with. And I never got hurt a single time. Right. And we would, and we literally, when we would train, it's funny, Greg Nelson sent me a video like maybe two months ago. He must have been going through videos or something. He sent me a video of me and Sean Shirk training from probably 2002 or something. All right. And, uh, he and I, when we trained, we trained 100%. Like, it was 100%. I mean, he just knew that's what it was going to be because Sean usually was getting ready for, like, a fight, right? And he was like, well, I want to train with the best people in the gym, and I want to train really hard, and right? So I need partners that are good, and I need partners that are willing to be like, oh, we're going to train really hard. Um, but I tell people all the time, but not a single, single time did I get hurt from training with him because, like, we and I never hurt him. Like, we understood how to train with each other at literally, like, 100% intensity and take care of each other, all right? And so I tell people sometimes, I'm like, yeah, like, this person maybe has a propensity to 
hurt people for whatever reason, right? But I trained with this world-class explosive athlete that never hurt anybody. So you can train super hard, be super explosive. You just have to always be conscious conscious of the person on the other side. Like this is a 50-50% relationship. Like it's 50% my job to take care of myself. You're 50% responsible too and vice versa. Um but yeah, like he obviously was the was the one that was like I mean he was always definitely like the biggest challenge to train with, especially when he started to understand jujitsu. Like it was one thing, it was like okay, when I had moved here, Sean already had a pretty good grasp of jujitsu and then he really wanted to be good at jujitsu. So just you know, every time we would train and practice, like he was he wanted to be good at jujitsu, right? And he's still today, he's probably one of the best guard passers that's ever been in the UFC, right? Um, but yeah, for most of us that were serious about jujitsu, he was, he was the person we were all kind of like chasing, but it was in the best way possible. Not like, oh, I want to beat him. It's like, oh, I want to be able to be competitive with Sean, give him trouble, but I want him to achieve his dream. Yeah. It's what that indicates about me, but also what it's going to mean for him, hopefully. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. And most of us that were training, like we competed, we wanted to be good competitors. We wanted to be successful, right? But I wasn't relying on me being champion of something is what's going to determine my ability to support my family. Yeah. Right? So and a, for him, it was. Yeah. that I think that's one of those things people don't really appreciate about quote-unquote professional athletes in general is like the there's an enormous amount of pressure beyond that. it's one thing to like have a contract at a building that you walk into and punch in every day or whatever it's another thing that your performance and your yeah. physical well-being like you step wrong coming off a step and there goes that paycheck stuff like that like yeah. there's so much pressure there yeah and i mean he was like a, the truest professional when it came getting ready for an event like a lot of people say oh i train this many hours a day right and then um and then you actually watch and it's like well you train half that because you spend the other half in the gym socializing or hanging out, which is perfectly fine. I mean, that's a part of that's a part of like the jujitsu and martial arts and MMA community. It's like there's like a social community here. Yeah, there right? has to be. Yeah. But don't lie to yourself about how much you're training. But when I would tell people, it was like that guy trains six hours a day, like legitimately trains six hours a day, five to six days a week because he's doing wrestling. He's doing Muay Thai. He's doing boxing. He's doing jujitsu. Obviously, by looking at him, was very important to him to be as physically conditioned as possible. Yeah. So that was a significant amount of time. Right. right. I was like, that's a person that's a professional that is like my life is focused around getting ready for this single event that if I'm successful is going to take me to the next rung on the ladder to the next thing, which eventually is going to take me to the top of the ladder. So yeah, it's not not the hours I spend in the gym it's how many minutes with an elevated heart rate yeah <laughs> I'm in a gym all the time but I work there I'm just standing around telling other people what to do yeah, yeah. it doesn't count <laughs> but it's easy to, sometimes to like when I came back from California like so I would I had worked for companies but when I came back from California I started consulting so I had a bunch of clients right and you sit in the office all day at these companies you work for right and you, you know, you have your water cooler talk, you go through your emails, you look at your, you know, you know, you look at the, the news every so many. So then when I came back and started consulting and I was, I was building people and then I was like, you know, I, 
I really do waste a lot of the day because like, <laughs> I'm not going to build these people for me surfing the internet, yeah. but like, but this is kind of like what people do. And then you start to realize like, if you can be focused for three or four hours, what you can accomplish is incredible compared to being not focused for eight or 10 hours. Yeah. 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 And my consulting really like made that cause I like, okay, I have to build these people for the actual work I've done. Oh, like I sat in front of this computer for eight hours today. But I probably did four hours of work, so that's what I'm going to build him. But it also made me like, okay, like when I'm like consulting, I like have to go in and focus and get my thing done. And then whatever other thing I want to do after that, then that's going to be separate from what I'm doing right now. You're an inventor? I, yeah, yeah, I have patents. I don't own them. That's the corporate world. Yeah. So as soon as you you know, have an invention or something and you work for an organization, like one of the things you sign right away, especially if you're in engineering is like, they take, they take ownership of it and then maybe you get something from it. Um, but typically, you know, if it is a product that comes to market, it's peanuts compared to what the corporation will actually make from it. But yeah, I've got a, I've got a significant number of patents and patent applications. So I'm waiting to see if it's a joke or not. Like I'm not not that it's a joke that you would invent something, but oh, apparently it is. you tell <laughs> you like to tell dad jokes, so I'm waiting to see if there's a dad joke here. <laughs> what did you invent? What did you invent? We should go into it. Yeah, at we this should. Point. I want to huh? hear. Well, I invented a, a, a. It's actually it was a sandal for people with one leg. It was a flop. I knew it. See, I knew it. <laughs> See, you, you use that one. I will use. Yeah, yeah, I'll use that one with the kids. Put it in your back the ki- pocket. Yeah, I've told many of your your dad jokes to the kids, they and that's stare. what they tell me. Ishmael, that's a dad joke. It's not <laughs> funny. And I'm like, oh. I'm a dad, you know. But I told the kids Kanye West and Kim Kardashian were getting divorced, and wow, they were like really into that. Like, that's important. It was crazy how much they knew about that. Like, oh really? Uh-huh. Yeah, like I, like last Friday, I was like, "Kids, I have some bad news." Like the news had just broken; it came across on my phone, right? That Kim Kardashian was, and I was like, "I have some bad news, kids." Kim Kardashian and Kanye West were getting divorced, and then they started talking about why, and it was like, "This has gone off the rails." <laughs> I thought I was going to make a funny joke here, and now we're talking about yeah. why they're getting divorced. This might be my first time hearing about it because yeah. who gives a shit? Yeah. You got the TMZ app on your phone? It came through the CNN app. Oh. That I think comes on all iPhones. But, but yeah, you get oh. your news from where you get your news. TMZ, you don't discriminate. Just need three little letters and they'll tell you what you need to know. <laughs> you ever uh, competed in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I did, yeah. Like in the early 2000s, I think the last time I competed was 2003. The early 2000s, I competed. So I did the pans twice. I competed in the pans in, I think, 2001, 2002. Um, I did... Uh, I had I thought, t- hold on, I thought you said 2003. Last time I competed in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu would have been December of 2003. And you're like, oh, how do you know December? Because the day, the day after I got on a plane to go to Cambodia... Why'd you go to Cambodia? Wife's from Cambodia. Oh. So first time in Cambodia, um, I do this jujitsu tournament, 
And the next day we fly to Cambodia for a few weeks. Cause I remember it cause it was my first time in Cambodia. So actually it was my first time out other than going to Canada. It was my first time outside the United States in my life. So, yeah. um, yeah. So the day after I competed, I was a brown belt at the time. And then, uh, yeah, we flew to Cambodia the next day. So I remember it pretty well. Well, I was thinking that you'd remember it. I mean, that was the year I graduated high school. So what are you saying? I'm <laughs> saying what was the highest level tournament you did? That's what oh, I'm saying. Oh, the pans. The pans? Pan, yeah. yeah, the previous two years you yeah, said I earlier. I did pans in 2001, 2002. And then, like, we had some small tournaments, like, in Minnesota. But I, it was maybe one or two tournaments a year. Right? It was so hard. And even back then, like, the IBGGF was not what it is now. Like, when when the world was normal, there was, like, an IBGGF tournament somewhere, like, every weekend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, and then there's all the other tournaments on top of that that are running that are – some of them are almost every weekend. Back then, it was like, okay, if you want to do an IBGGF tournament, like, here's your options. You fly to Florida because they were in Florida at the time. You fly to Florida or you fly to Brazil. So, yeah, so I did the PANS twice. And then there used to be a tournament out of California called the uh, – I'm pretty sure the name was the Grappling Games, which was actually in the United States relative to the PANS, probably the second biggest tournament. So I did that tournament the last time in – 2001 may of 2001 i think and then that tournament within the next year or two actually shut down for some crazy reasons but then i did the pans in 2002 and i did this tournament before i went to cambodia in 2003 and then um as i was at the academy greg nelson was was over the course of some of those years like battling cancer multiple times so i took on like more of a like an instructor's role at the academy while he was kind of dealing with that and then in 2003, after I I, we, I did this tournament, uh, I go to Cambodia for a couple of weeks, and I came back and I was like, you know, I just want to focus on like, teaching now. Like, that's what I want my focus to be. Like, so I went 2003, I would have been, you know, I would have turned 30 that year, right? So, like, my focus became like, oh, I want to help people. It's, I want to be as, I want to be the best instructor I can be. My focus is no longer being the best competitor I can be. I want to focus on helping people become good at jujitsu, and those people that compete, I want to help them become the best competitor they can be. Right. So, kind of the natural flow of things for some people. Eventually, you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But eventually, you move on to teaching other people. And yeah, yeah yeah yeah. We're gonna gloss over those crazy reasons you talked about. What? Cra- oh yeah. We're gonna do that. Yeah, the grab the grappling games out of California was a pretty cool tournament, right? Because they would have a gi day and a no gi day. Mm. But the person that was responsible for that tournament, let's let's, some, let's say he just did some things that the the uh, mm. uh, the law did not care for. Oh, those guys. And the then law. you know he eventually did some time, maybe still doing time for some of the things. Yeah, but it was too bad because that tournament was actually pretty good. Right, but then it just collapsed upon itself when this guy got himself into yeah. to a, not a little bit of trouble. He got himself into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Oh. But at the time, that was kind of your two options, right? You did the pans. You could go, there was other stuff going on, like Naga was would have been probably starting around that time. Right. Um, but those were definitely two the tournament two tournaments. Like if you want to go do like a high level tournament, you go to these. 
and it was cool because like obviously in California for the grappling games you obviously now the Brazilians had started to come to California so you were getting to compete against you know students of really like high level people MMA was starting to take off and back in that time like um, a lot of you would go to grappling tournaments in California and a lot of the times like oh it's like I've watched that guy fight in an MMA show last week and He's doing a grappling event because obviously, like, you know, they weren't making quite the money they were now. Yeah. So the risk of getting a hurt in a grappling tournament was like, well, I'm only going to make $500 to fight, right? Versus now it's like, oh, I could make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and getting my arm hyperextended in a grappling yeah. tournament, maybe not the best decision, right? So, so yeah, so like when you used, like early on in the 2000s, you would, you know, you would go like, you know, I went to a uh, at the grappling games. I'm pretty sure like Horace Gracie was there. Right? He was just there sitting and watching, right? Because the grappling games, the venue was relatively close to the Gracie Academy, which he was still at at the time, right? So it was like, oh, like Horace is just like here to watch. Like he's just sitting in the audience with everybody else. But yeah, so now it's completely different, right? It's like it's like a tournament, seemingly every weekend, and right, yeah. and and depending on where you are, like if you're on like, you know, in California you know and like during a regular tournament season right you may be able to compete every weekend if you want maybe not in like a super high level tournament but you can probably find something every weekend or every other weekend in california to go get like competition experience early in your career right which we don't quite have that in the midwest yet but um and that's a huge from a competitive standpoint it's a huge advantage just to go get match after match because eventually when you become like super high level like a lot of the world champions only compete at the world championships and nobody talks about like, well, that 10 years before they became a world champion, like they were competing like every weekend just to get competition experience. And sometimes you can see people just have had a lot of matches because they understand like the rule sets so well, because sometimes you watch people that are not necessarily better at jujitsu, but they have so much competition experience. They know how to manage the rule set to give them the best chances possible to win a match, right? And you can usually see that. Like sometimes you'll see people that they know the rules and know how to like maneuver through the rules so well. You're like that person has to have like 500 jujitsu matches, right? Because they mm -hmm. know every little nuance, right? To I'm going to do this to make sure this person doesn't get two points and they just get like an advantage, right? But I have points on the board and they don't. And at the end of the day, that's the hierarchy. So, um, so hopefully. Like, eventually in the Midwest, like, we'll get there at some point where people can just go throughout the Midwest and, like, every couple of weeks, like, oh, I can go compete, right? And just get that experience. So, hopefully that will happen at some point. You do uh, pretty well when you compete? Uh, locally? I Yeah, I did very well, like, locally. Um, when I did those tournaments, the grappling games, I did really well in. Uh, the pans, I never won the pans or anything like that. Um, but I got to compete against, you know, some international competitors and, you know, um, I may have lost, but I wasn't, I was never like disappointed in my performance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, like there's a, you know, I tell people all the time, there's like, there's levels to jujitsu. Right. There's like right, a black right. belt and there's a world champion black belt. Right. And I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to go train with as many world-class black belts as possible right you know when i was in california living in california like every weekend it's like okay like 
okay, where is this person? How do I get access to them? How do I train with them? Right. So uh, for me, um, being able to compete, but not being able to compete maybe as much as back then I would have liked. Like for me, it was like, well, I want to like see like my, my goal is not here to go and like try to beat this world champion. But my goal is to go here and like when we're done, like they're like, oh, like you're you're good at this. Right. Like there's like a respect there. Like, oh, like in a tournament, maybe you would never beat me. But like this isn't like, you know, I'm playing with a child. Like <laughs> this is like something I have to put effort into right, to like right. beat you. So. So when I was in Brazil, like when we were in Brazil, like Jared and I, Jared from Brainerd, Farabin, Jared and I went to Brazil together in 2003 or 2004. I think it was 2004, right? And we got to train with like so many like world champions and super high level competitors. And like for us, that was like, it was confirmation. Living in Minnesota, training really hard, right going to brazil training with oh, this person's got three world titles this person's got two world titles and being able to get like the respect in the training room right regardless of the outcome like that was confirmation to like us like oh we're like doing this the right way right maybe we'll never have like the accolades of that person but that person like obviously when we were like done training like oh like you guys are good at this Right. So, and that was yeah. like confirmation for us. Like when we came back from Brazil, like, okay, like what we're doing is the right path. We just got to stay on the path. Right. And, and then you think about those years, like now it's so different. Like I tell people like we, we used to watch like a world championship or we used to wait for the world championships to come out on VHS. And there might be some of the matches on that VHS tip. Yeah. Now I can see it and I can watch it as it's happening on yeah. like flow, right? Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of times like when the VHS tapes would come out of the world championships, I think it was like the finals, right? Which is great. But a lot of times like the most amazing matches have happened before the finals, right? But, so and now, it's also like kind of watching the NBA finals and only uh, the NBA finals. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. if I compare my basketball game to that – you know, versus the other teams or the collegiate yeah. level, you know, then you're going to have a completely, yeah. you know, dysmorphic view of, of your own game. Yeah. So now, like, you have the ability to, like, watch these things and, like, and you can, like, watch it as it's transpiring. Like, mm -hmm. oh, in the quarterfinals, like, this is going to happen. These two people are going to compete and they've never competed against each other and they're both really good. Like, so I, I got to make sure I watch this. Um, right. And, and when, when early on, like, in the 2000s, like, in the late 90s, like, yeah, you just got delivered whatever they decided to put in the VHS tape, right? <laughs> and, like, the, the the matches maybe you could have learned the most from, you know, obviously you can learn anything from watching, a, you know, two world-class competitors compete. But the match that may have been, like, the most valuable to your specific game may have happened, like, three matches before that. And, right. yeah, good luck seeing that, you know. Yeah. Maybe somebody recorded it on their camcorder or whatever. But, but yeah, those were um, – yeah, those were those were those were crazy times, like uh, crazy times, just in the jujitsu world, in the MMA world. Because at that point, like nobody knew what was going to happen with MMA. Like I was thought, I thought, well, this is like this 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 run is almost over of this sport, right? And then obviously the Fertitas jumped in and kind of saved the whole thing. And then to be honest, like if the Ultimate Fighter show wouldn't have happened, I I those if like the UFC would even exist anymore, right? Um, how how tight is is jujitsu? Do you think 
to the fact that the UFC is what it is. Like, is the success of IBJJF and other jiu-jitsu endeavors tied sort of tangentially to the fact that that skill set is so important to something that's become so huge? I mean, it, it's Im- it's important, obviously. Um, like, does that sport exist if the UFC didn't didn't get the Ultimate Fighter and and start to build into what the, it is the today? IBGF tournaments? If the order, if the UFC was not so popular, um, the IBGF tournaments would still exist, but it would probably be a fraction of what it is. Sure. So right. the fact that it's thriving is yeah. is largely because that it's, skill set is yeah. so important to this. Other yeah, big I fundamentally thing. believe it's been it's been good for jujitsu, the UFC success. It's been good for wrestling. Yes. It's been good for boxing. Yes, right. Not necessarily maybe like boxing pay per view because sometimes for whatever reason, like uh, I think it's a little bit different now. But you have your UFC fans and you have your for years we had that like really hardcore boxing fans are like well this is not a sport yeah I think that's a little bit different now but I think there's still some of that that's right. still left right it's been good for Muay Thai um, it's been good for like judo right it's been good for like what I say or like you know it's been good for like you know I mean there's not a whole lot of sambo in the United States but it's good been good for sambo yeah like the core four skills like that the core you're required. sports right yeah. and I tell people like okay. Wrestling, jiu-jitsu. Valentina, come here. Come on. Sorry, go ahead. So I tell people like UFC, like wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, Muay Thai, judo. Because sometimes people look at judo and they're like, oh, you don't have the you don't have the gi on. Like there's been a lot of fighters that have figured out how to use the judo throws successfully sure. without the gi. And then Sambo, right? Because obviously we see a lot of people that are coming out of Dagestan and places that have Sambo yeah. backgrounds. But I think it's been good for all of those. Just like, like two, kind two of just strikings, two grapplings, and then other similar stuff yeah. to those yeah, two. It's been, yeah. it's been good for like all of those, I think, just to kind of see like, you know. And uh, and again, like, you know, um, you know, Invicta has been great for like mm-hmm. women's martial arts in general. right? It's an MMA organization. But obviously, a lot of the women that are fighting in Invicta are doing boxing, Muay Thai, they're wrestling, they're doing jiu-jitsu, right? And then, you know, all the stuff that happens in Asia and those MMA shows, right? They've just helped grow, like, each of these individual sports, I think, because now, like, people watch. And, and now you have announcers and commentators, right? I mean, a lot of them have fought, right? A lot of the, the analysts are, like, pre- previous fighters, and they're like, oh, that's the Muay Thai clinch. Oh, this is the wrestling clinch. Oh, this is the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guard, right? So you hear those terms in every event, right? Oh, this person has more of a boxing stance than a wrestling stance, right? And people watch the UFC and it's like, oh, this is kind of, this is not like a street fight, but it's about as close as you can get with some rules in place, right? Without actually having a street fight. So that's what makes it fun. (laughs) What about what? It's huge. What was huge? Joe Rogan talking about jujitsu. Yeah, right. and, and fighting in general. And fighting in general, because yeah, he's sure. he's kind of he's done he's yeah. same kind of thing. Renaissance man in terms of martial arts, right? And him having like the fighters on the podcast, yeah. 
right? I mean, it's really good for those fighters. Just like so, some of the, I mean, obviously, like some of the you know bigger name fighters have been there, but he's also had some fighters that maybe don't have quite a big name, yeah. and for him to bring them on and give them exposure, right? Right? I think sometimes he's doing that. It's like, oh, this person doesn't have the exposure that they probably deserve. Well, he's brought on coaches too, like guys that oh, are yeah. now notable coaches. Yeah. You wouldn't really know them yeah. from their fighting days, but they've been coaching yeah. high level people just largely to make fun of Ronda Rousey's boxing <laughs> coach. But, you know, yeah. I don't remember his actual name, the one Edmund. I'm thinking of. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, what's, what's the guy that Rogan had on where they, where they talk? Oh, shoot. Anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. either way. Yeah. I mean, that, that kind of a platform accidentally growing into what it is oh for sure yeah i mean who would have ever imagined joe rogan's podcast would become like basically how a lot of the world gets its information yeah man especially if you watch those first couple hundred yeah like on a laptop just a smoky room oh baby but yeah but i mean i mean i mean i mean i you know i mean obviously he's at a lot of the ufcs i mean he has a lot of experience himself yeah right and uh, you know, and when it comes to like combat sports, he's pretty honest. Like, okay, we know what works now, right? You know, and, and he's seen the UFC from start to finish. Like, right. oh, when it was yeah. style versus style, we understood. Like, oh, like if you want to be able to like fight and defend yourself in all situations, like you have to learn how to grapple, mm-hmm. right? But then, like as we watched the sport progress, it was like, okay, now people like understand how to grapple neutralize grappling okay now we're going to like see like okay now you know boxing muay thai those types of things become so and now like it's just a blend like when somebody like executes it like you know flawlessly it's like oh that person's like a really good striker whatever their background is but they're also really good at taking people down and defending takedowns and on the ground they're like oh that person's a monster like yeah that's like in 15 years like you know, I mean, he talks off. Joe Rogan talks often about like the sport looks so different than it did when it started. Mm-hmm. In fifteen years ago, fifteen years from now, I think it's going to look completely different than it does now. What's going to be different? Because like right now, like you see a lot of people like they're a specialist in something, and then they've gone to like supplement their skills. Sure. Right. So you know they've learned to wrestle or they've learned jujitsu or they've learned. Muay Thai, but they're a specialist in this thing. So 15 years from now, I, I think you're going to see people that are in it that from yeah. five to 10 years old, we're doing jujitsu, mm-hmm. we're doing Muay Thai, we're, we're doing wrestling. I, I, well, like Israel Adesanya just got a purple belt in jujitsu. Yeah. Freaking Israel Adesanya, yeah. like the like top of the game. Yeah. So 15 years yeah. from now, I think you're going to see black you know, belt level in multiple arts 19, 19 20 levels. year old person that you know has trained in thailand has a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu has trained with the national wrestling team and this is not like something they've done to supplement their training this is something they've done as their training yeah right and i think it's just it's going to look like a you know go i tell people like so some people are like oh i don't really think it'll look different Go back and look at boxing 30 years ago and look at boxing today. Yeah. They look very different. And look at Forrest and Stefan Bonner. Watch that fight. Like, again, I'm not any kind of a striking savant. I don't know a lot about striking. I don't know a lot about jiu-jitsu. And now look at now. Oof. Compare that to the fights now. You would think that's like the high school version and this is the pro version, you know? Yeah. And, and like, and and, boxing is not even a great example because boxing is like – 
boxing is a great sport, but it's it's all hands, right? Yeah. And the footwork that sets up the hands. MMA is everything. 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 Right. So now imagine somebody that's literally been doing, you know, even from ten years old, right, and twenty years old, and they've got ten years of experience wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, Muay Thai. Right. It's 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 it, it will be amazing to see. Well, the the correlation I I drew before is I, if you look at strongman competitions, which is kind of my thing for a long time, they in in the seventies, first one was in nineteen seventy seven. Somebody said, so there's big strong guys in football. There's big strong guys in shot put. There's big strong guys in Olympic lifting and power and all these things. Let's get them together and see who does best at this weird shit. It's the same thing as as the UFC. And yeah. it, and it, and its progression is a little bit ahead of the UFC. So like the strongman guys you're maybe familiar with now, like Thor, you know, because he's in the movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Are the the incarnation of UFC fighter you're talking about 15 years from now? Like when I was competing in strongman, I could do everything you saw at World Strongest Man, at the World Championship. I could finish those events, and maybe do kind of okay. I wouldn't win, wouldn't beat anybody. I'm not going to win, you know. But like I, as an amateur level at the time, was training to the level of what I saw at the world championships. But it's progressed. Yeah. You know, because I was good at these things and held my own on these little pieces and I'd figure it out in the scoring system afterwards. You know, it's the same thing with CrossFit. CrossFit is just, hey, there's gymnastics people and Olympic lifting people and this and that and whatever. Let's bring them together, fitness, quote unquote, and see who does the best. And it's going to have that same arc. You know, so I think I think you're right, actually. Like... Like, we're to this point where everybody's good at all of it, but like you say, 15, 20 years from now, everybody's going to be elite at all of it, you know? It's like like the LeBron thing. I'm not a basketball guy, but LeBron came on the scene doing stuff that a 6'8", 270-pound dude doesn't do. Yeah. Suddenly, everybody else is pulled up. You know, the game changed. You compare basketball now to basketball in 1995 and basketball in 1975, you know, that, that plot line, that same plot line has already taken place. Yeah, except Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan would still dominate the sport. I agree 100%, just based on the look in your eyes. <laughs> Not going to disagree. Some people are just special. Yeah, that guy was yeah, that guy was yeah, that guy was special. Like yeah, like uh North Carolina, right? Woo. We won't hold that well. We <laughs> probably we do hold that against him, but North Carolina, yeah. Uh, yeah. They have like a, you know, a secondary basketball program down there. So. Oh, secondary to who? UK. To the United Kingdom? No, the University of Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, thank you. In Kentucky, there's a saying like, um, they make shirts of it. I don't know if they do anymore, but when I lived in Kentucky, they made they made shirts that said this. UK is not a part of college basketball. We are college basketball. Oh, that's cute. Maybe the truest statement ever said. With the exception of Lotus is on top. Of oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I lived in Michigan, a bunch of the guys are all like big football fans, you know, and there was like one or two random Notre Dame fans, you know, and no. some guys were state guys, some guys were Michigan guys. I never cared, you know. I was into lifting rocks, and it's just not my thing, you know. But I remember one of them, and they're just talking shit back and forth to one another. He was like, hey, man, you know how the wind in Michigan always blows south? He's like, what? He goes, yeah, it's because Indiana sucks. <laughs> I thought that was just hilarious. Yeah. Just, I can't talk too idea. much trash this year. The Kentucky basketball team's not so good this year. It's been a weird year for basketball, but but historically, 
Yeah. Why are you standing up, Polly? What's up? Oh, hanging. Valentina, you wanna you wanna talk on the mic? You wanna talk about your jujitsu game? <laughs> yeah. Talk about our snowboarding, falling off the chairlift. Valentina fell off the chairlift trying to get on the chairlift today. <laughs> it was not one of the better moments That'd of the be day. That'd be pretty much <laughs> what my experience would <laughs> so, be. So Valentina fell off it trying to get on it. I fell off it trying to get off it. <laughs> and the instructor, <laughs> poor instructor, this was like the first five minutes of the lesson. The poor instructor was like, this is not a good start. <laughs> and technically, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but, but we finished it. But yeah. It was not the best start to the snowboarding lesson. Jiu-jitsu game. That's a, that's a phrase. Tell me about your jiu-jitsu game. Tell me about my jiu-jitsu game today or tell me about my jiu-jitsu game 15 years ago. You know I want to hear both of them. Come on. Uh, like so like when I was like competing, like I was like uh, my, my, my bottom game was butterfly and X guard. Okay, so that's kind of the two things I played. I was really butterfly some, and X guard. Yeah. Okay. So I was really somebody from the bottom. Like if you're on the bottom, that means butterflies. Like both your feet are inside their thighs. X guard is like your legs make an X, and you're kind of inside their thighs. So I was somebody from the bottom that my focus on wasn't submitting people from the bottom. My focus was to sweep and get on top, past the guard, and then go from there. So. What do you like from there? Um, I like side control. Side control is probably like the strongest position for me still to yeah. this day. Everyone listening just went. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I like side control. Started nodding their head. Um, my game today is like pretty, like, pretty like uh, from the bottom, I still like butterfly guard. I don't really play uh, X guard that much anymore. Uh, I actually do. <laughs> Randy Dorkson will love this because I always give him a tough time about quarter guard i actually play a significant amount of quarter guard yeah right and i always give ryan a tough time about that. that's not a real guard but i myself like <laughs> i actually use it a lot um especially against the people that are like you know younger like you know really technical uh good competitors that's one of the positions like still i feel like oh i can neutralize somebody that's you know a lot younger than me and still and and really technical. That's one of the positions where I feel like, oh, I can still neutralize and sweep people from this position. And then when I get on top, it's pretty much so the same as it was 15 years ago. Like I like weave passing, like weave passing is a thing in jujitsu where you kind of weave their legs together. I've always liked that style of passing and still the same, like get side control. Right. So that part hasn't changed. Just the bottom stuff has changed. True. So, um, but yeah, when I trained, to be honest, like I learned this, uh, I, I, years ago, I trained with a guy named Marcio Fitosa. Marcio Fitosa was, has many world titles. Marcio Fitosa, um, also won ADCC and, uh, he came to Minnesota a couple of times. He came and did a seminar one time. So he was in Chicago and I found out and we flew him up here for a seminar. And then, uh, he came one time for a week um, cause I called him and he came up and he helped us train, uh, Sean Shirk for a fight one time. Um, and then in 2005, I went to watch ADCC in Los Angeles and his gym was relatively close to it. So I got a hold of him. He's like, Hey, can I train with you guys for a week? So, um, Phytosa was a 
an amazing guy to train with because you would roll and you would go all these new positions, but he always wanted to keep like the training session going. So when he would get submissions, he would often just let people just work out of it, like technically just to keep it going. So there wouldn't have to be like this stopping and starting over. So a lot of times now, like when I'm training with people, um, especially the newer people, like when I get a position on them, I will like let them escape. Like, okay, do I, you know, the only time I like need to submit a right, a white belt is just to let them like understand, like this is what jujitsu can do, but I want them to keep moving. So whether that round is six minutes, I want to like, I want them to, and myself to get six minutes of work as opposed to, well, four minutes of work and two minutes of us tying our belts and stuff. You mean catching your breath and stuff? Sometimes. Come on, man. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think that is actually kind of deliberate or not pervaded the upper belts, particularly black belts. When you watch them with like blue belts and down, there's never a finish. Nobody's finishing anything. Yeah. Like, I know you can tap me, you know? Yeah. Like, Kelly Johnson doesn't need to finish an arm bar. He needs to shift to something else. So he yeah. needs to give me a chance to find how do yeah. I get out of this. And they're all really, really good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, like, sometimes, especially when, especially when you start to see, especially at, like, the higher levels, when you start to see these, these people get ready for tournaments, okay, now they're getting focused. They're, like, laser. Fo- and then you'll start to see them really, like, you know, depending on the tournament, like, okay, I need to, like, solidify this point scoring position. I get this submission. I'm going to finish this submission, right? Um, So there's definitely, like, a time and place for that, right? But we don't have anything coming up. Like, I always, like – but sometimes, like, sometimes people do need to be reminded because I – it was so funny. I I would sometimes watch Marcio Fitosa, and this is, like, a, you know, amazing jiu-jitsu practitioner – and then he just liked getting things and letting people work out of it. But sometimes people would be like, Ishmael, like, I'm a blue belt and this world champion couldn't tap me. And it's like they don't have the self-awareness to understand, like, oh, he could have tapped you 30 times. Yeah. But he just yeah. wanted to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes people, like, need to be reminded, like, well, I can tap you if I want, but I'm trying to help you develop a skill set here. I put you in the triangle. Okay, I can finish the triangle. Or I can put you in the triangle and I can kind of guide you to how to technically escape this. And now we keep rolling, right? And then pe- most people that have done jujitsu for a while, they know, okay, I'm caught. Like, it's, right, yeah. so. Yeah, like my, my round on Saturday with Hayden was him. You could, he was he was rehearsing. Yeah. You know, and it was me desperately trying to figure out and remember and do because that's where I'm at, you know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. it, it was a better balance than if he just slammed into the arm bar that yeah. we all know he could have gotten, you yeah. know what I mean? He did right at the end of the round, you know, but it's far more beneficial for us to both. It equalizes the experience. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a time and place for us, like, okay, like, you know. Especially, you know, we've had the fight to win event here like three times now, mm-hmm. right? And that's just like a submission only. But they, they they had like a semi point system, right? But you know, or it goes to like refs or judges, right? And that's like when I, you know, we're getting ready. It's like, okay, guys, there's there's one way to, to guarantee you win this match. You submit them, yeah. right? So now, like when you guys are training, like we need to focus on like submitting each other. Right. Well, that kind of brings it back to other fighting sports where, like, if you leave it up to the judges, there's a chance you might not yeah. like the outcome. Right? Yeah, and I've been to, like, you know, usually the fight, 
usually the fight to wins have about 30 matches. So there's been three in Minnesota. So, you know, about 90 matches approximately, right? And of those 90 matches, of the ones that have gone to decisions, there's definitely been ones that have gone to decisions. And you're like, you know, pretty sure the (laughs) other person won. But for whatever reason, two of the three judges have decided against this person. Well, they heard it was a... a, a submission only so they figure they wouldn't have to pay that much attention it's gonna, it's gonna get some submitted you know? yeah so she fell off the ski lift i never i never was was brave enough to get on the ski lift i played hacky stack with my loser friends in the concession stand yeah i'd like area. to see you go snowboarding actually that'd be i got challenged last week to compete in jujitsu i don't need to be challenge to snowboard Oof. who challenged you dude pot of bomb oh. just grilling into me there was did, a whole did segment he challenge of, you specifically him versus you no 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 <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's got things to do he doesn't need to bother with that but there was a whole segment of him being like listen man just direct eye contact like uh, everybody should do it at least once everybody should do what at least once compete at least once in jujitsu 100 percent. now Ryan said, Ryan Potterbaum said, it's better to, if you're going to do it like sort of one time, it's better to do it early. For sure. Yeah. You agree? Tell me yeah. why. Um, so th- there's a few reasons why. Like you, so I've, I've known people that I had to like coerce into like, okay, you need to do this one th- time. And they're like, Ishmael, I'm going to hate this. I'm like, you might, but you know, let's do it one time. And then like, if you never want to do it again, okay. Um, and then some of those people still compete to this day, right? I've known other people yeah. that have gone in and it's like, that's right. They go in and they prove that's proof. Yeah, I didn't enjoy this. I'm like, that's fine. Like, you know, competition is not everybody's thing. Right? And I agree with that 100%. Like, yep. you, you get, there's only one way to know if you like a thing. If you've never been on a horse, yeah. how do you know you don't like horseback? Riding? And then I know people that are like, oh, this is going to be my thing. And they're just like, I hated this. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Like, now you know. It's not your thing. But here's what I tell everybody you should do it at least once. Like, so if you find yourself in, like, an altercation, like a self-defense altercation, there's mm-hmm. going to be, like, a high level of anxiety mm-hmm. once you start to realize that's happening. You... When you're in an environment you're comfortable with and you're training with your friends or your peers or your kind of jujitsu family, you know, because everybody has that person in the gym, like, this is going to be a hard round. So you have like a little bit of maybe anxiety. Just one? Everybody has just one of those? At at least one. But but there's there's no way the closest thing you can do to replicate anxiety-wise to what it feels like to be in a self-defense situation is to go compete because you're going to because that's not your training partner no matter how hard people train together you have a certain comfort level with each other right and when you go compete against somebody that you have never competed against or maybe you have competed against but you know like you know this is not the person i train with monday through saturday there's an anxiety there that you just cannot match in the training room ever you'll never match it Right, so everybody needs to know kind of what that feels like. And because then I, have, I have no idea what that guy on the other end of the bar wants to do. I know what Dan Manasak's game exactly. looks like. Yeah. Right. And I don't. I have no idea what that other competitor wants to do. Probably. Right. I uh, know people that are exceptional at jujitsu. Exceptional. That did it one time, 
And they're like, yeah, it's just not my thing. It's not my jam. I was like, that's fine. Yeah. Right. But now, you know, but now you also know what it feels like to be in that circumstance. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, because I mean, I mean, the reality of the situation is it's competition is just not everybody's thing, but I tell everybody you should do it at least once. So you know what it feels like. So if you ever do, unfortunately end up in a situation where it's like, Oh, we're squared off. And I think I might be getting in a fight here. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what that is. There's that moment where you're like, is this happening? You have so much like nerves running through you, but at least you're like, well, probably not going to be as bad as this blue or purple belt in this tournament that tried to murder me that day. (laughs) Right. Um, so, I was going to hold that thing until I literally fell asleep. So, yeah. Yeah. Your, your daughter, Valentina, has yellow. She, she competed? Yeah, Valentina's competed. She's yellow belt, you said? Yeah. What's your belt rank, Valentina? Yeah, Valentina's yellow belt. So she's done some of the local tournaments. Then we've had a couple of in-house kids tournaments. She's done those as well. Um, but, yeah, like, you know. You feel like you're ready for the streets, Valentina? <laughs> no? I mean, either. I hear you. <laughs> that's a, that's a true story. <laughs> Look where Paulie lives, and he was toting a gun in his drawers. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think it's probably like just the timing, right? Like it was really cool to like kind of see like the UFC kind of begin, like. IBGGF tournaments be like, oh, there's a couple of these a year to now, like to see like the progression. Mm -hmm. But personally, like it's the only thing I would look back and say is I just wish like I could have said I had the opportunity to go compete every weekend if I wanted to. Right. Because like there's like because I I did like uh, I liked competing. And but the thing I really liked competing is. I like to getting ready for the competition more than the competition itself. That's me too. Yeah. Right? In any sport I've done, I've competed yeah. in a number of things. I like the preparation as yeah. much as I liked the showtime. Yeah. I liked it. So for me to know I was going to compete, like I was okay, I can laser focus on these things. But the preparation, when I look back and like the, all the things, like what I tell people, like what do I miss about the days when I competed? I was like, I miss the training room and the people I trained with and us training to get ready for something mm-hmm. i don't actually like like any of my medals for like anything i want i literally have like no idea where they're at like they t- are irrelevant to me personally like what i miss is like being in that room right obviously being much younger being like you know 30 years old kind of in your physical prime Full learning hair. this thing I, I still had no hair. Oh, okay. I had no hair, my friend. <laughs> I was, I'm sorry. To give me some. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like, I, I, sh- I shaved my head for the first time in October of 2000 when I moved to Minnesota, and mm. that was it. Never looked back. It's like I shaved my head again. Re- I did it for years. I did it again recently, but yeah. I'm shaved and not bald, is what I tell people. <laughs> but yeah, so, but yeah, it took me a few years to realize like that wasn't hair wasn't coming back. Yeah. So, um, but that's what I really miss about competing is like, that training room and like getting ready for yeah. competition yeah. more so than being able to go back and say, well, I won this, I won this like that to me. That's, that doesn't matter. I get, I get much more out of the people that I coach winning something, um, I have significance than 
I ever got out of winning something myself, if that yeah. makes sense. No, no, it, to- it totally does, because yeah. I think I'm largely in that same phase. Like, I brought, I brought like, high school boys to American record-level powerlifting, and it's... I never gave enough of a shit. I like the preparation. I like yeah, getting ready yeah, yeah. for football. I never really like playing football. I like yeah. getting ready. I like lifting and hanging out in the gym. I liked all that. Competing, rock and roll, you know. But uh, there's people that do like that, and I like being a catalyst to help that happen. So, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, you. we had um, – we, we when the first jiu-jitsu tournament we went to, um, we didn't have really many students at the time, and I think it was mostly kids that competed. This is a pretty cool story. I don't. I actually don't know where this. Uh, I won't mention any names, but the father of one of the kids that won his division. When we first put up like medals in the gym, like when we took, we have those shadow boxes of like all the people that have, you know, their titles from Master Worlds, Pans, like all these things, and I mean, had these really nice medals. And this kid went and competed in like a small local tournament, and he got a medal maybe twice the size of a quarter. All right, right. But that was the first medal the gym ever won. Sure, right. Sure. So when we made the first shadow box that had like all these pans medals around it, that was the center medal. Yes. Right. And Absolutely. then I, I, I won't mention his name, but the, the guy, the father of the kid, when he came in and he saw that shadow box, right. He was like, is that my kid's medal? He got like so emotional. Right. And we're like, yeah, man, like your kid was the first person to ever win a medal specifically cool. from this gym. Yeah, yeah. Right. And this guy, you would never imagine would get emotional about anything. Right. But oh, he was see, like, I was going to be, I was going to lean in the mic and be like, where you at? No, he doesn't live but, in Minnesota anymore. Yeah, he's okay. not here. He's no longer at the gym. He's not, he's no longer at the gym, but like, uh, but that meant like so much to him. Like not his, well, just, he's right. He's right. Yeah. Yeah, So he meant so much that we were like, like, yeah, like this was the first thing. Like, yeah, it was a local tournament, but your kid went. We helped him coach him. Yeah. Right. And he was like, yeah, he was like so happy. Like we took the time and like consideration to be like, yeah, man, like he was first. Right. And look at all these crazy medals around this, but he was first. So, yeah, he may have taken the medal when he moved or the shadow boxes somewhere else. Who knows? The shadow boxes with the medals have been rearranged so many times at this point. I'm not sure where all the medals mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. You got a most memorable match, jujitsu-wise? Competition? Watching? No. What? I mean, okay, we'll do that, but, like, your own match. Like, not necessarily, okay, I, got I was bit once. Say, say that again? I got bit in a match once, so I, that's the one I definitely remember <laughs> the most. Tell me about that one. So I had a guy's back, and uh, uh, I had a rear naked choke on him, and it was over his chin, so he bit me. Right. Oh. So then I choked him. We never went over that in essentials class. Is that no. like a? Yeah, he left like marks on my arm when he bit me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course, it was accident. He said. Right. He's like, oh man, I, I accidentally to, clinched my. Teeth I didn't mean on to bite you. Flesh. I'm so sorry. Because yes, I look at like his, you know, his 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 teeth print into my arm. <laughs> so that one I definitely remember because I tell because I'm like, yeah, you might do a tournament and you might get bit. Yo, you hold on now, now that now that you're saying that I remember you explaining it that way and everybody in class being like the fuck what what did you say somebody might bite you in a tournament <laughs> yeah, so sure just enough. be just be prepared for that. Um, <laughs> so I remember that one really really well because that was like biting like we do that in these things because <laughs> I think I was like a blue belt at the time. Yeah, it's like we bite. I was like, there, oh. you, you still might have missed a rule or two that you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Like really. <laughs> Uh, 
What about, tell me about combat jujitsu. What do you think of that? The slap fighting? Yes, sir. I tried to, you know, come in with a good, you know. No comment. Okay. All right. If you want to do slap fighting, go do MMA. Do do real punching. Come yeah. On. I think I like it in principle. Like, I like the idea, like, the idea, the intention. Like, there's an in-between, you know, to make it a little more realistic. But then, fundamentally, also, I go, well, just do that thing over there. I, yeah, I understand the idea behind yeah, it. Yeah. I don't like watching it. Well, yeah, I've never watched a minute of it, yeah. in fairness. Like, it's, it's stupid. Like, I don't, like, I don't. I don't I don't find I don't find anything entertaining in it. Yeah. I don't some so, cuz sometimes I will watch something that's not maybe entertaining but it's intellectually interesting <laughs> and I don't find it intellectually interesting. No, not even that one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, like go buy some gloves. Like go to, to Like I've watched you know, the thousand pound sisters or whatever that show is a couple of times, but I've never watched <laughs> the slap fighting. What's that tell you <laughs> about me and the slap I did, fighting? I did watch a couple. I gave it a chance, but I was sure. just like, yeah, I just can't. This is just not my thing. What would you do if like a largely unknown white belt showed up to your gym with a camera and started taking pictures of training? <laughs> <laughs> Announced or unannounced? <laughs> Let's go factual and say unannounced. <laughs> Can you let us know what you're doing here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> What'd you think of that when I started doing that? You want me to be honest? Yes, I do. Yeah. I think you've done a good job. No, hold on. Now I've maybe done a good job, but I want you oh, to I think the your initial impression of what the fuck is that big I just thought it was something that dorks had arranged. Oh, good. That's I'm like, oh, this is something Dorkson's in charge of. Okay, so that's just my assumption. Okay. But, uh-huh. Yeah, but I think that the stuff's good. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to monitor it to make sure everything's appropriate. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'd really yeah. love to get rid of my Instagram and Facebook, but I can't because I have to watch the M theory stuff. It's like because you'd you'd be shocked, man. Like some of the stuff that on our M theory page, some people have said sometimes, like comments and stuff. People not from the gym, but people that have just seen it. Like people that probably don't even do jujitsu, like. Well, now hold on. I know. I know you're t- you're talking about on the ads when when Ryan Some, pushes an ad. Sometimes the ads. I yeah. hide multiple comments because yeah. I don't reply. Let you reply to those, but I hide multiple comments. Sometimes it's the just ads. incendiary nonsense. But yeah. sometimes we used to have this thing that we did. We early on in the gym's days, we would post like um, three pictures a day from the gym. Yeah. Right. To kind of just build a, like a social yep. media following. Yep. And then eventually we kind of like pared it down to one. And then eventually like you, you kind of took it over and mm-hmm. right. Seems to be good. But there were times like when we would post just regular pictures, like not even ads. And then people would get on them and com- comment like ridiculous stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like um, we, we want, and again, never people from the gym. Right, people always outside the gym that somehow have seen this picture. Because a lot of times it's like you know, oh, this person knows this person who knows this person who's in this picture, right? There's been literally times like we've had people like um, we try to we we want to have like a significant female population in the gym. Yes, of which course. is good and healthy for the gym. Of course, right? Obviously, you know, doing jujitsu if your female's a great thing for you, right? 
so over the years we've taken a lot of effort like we want to show people that are women here yeah we've had mm. men ask for women's phone numbers on pictures yeah who don't know anybody at the gym who never been to we the have gym. no idea who this person is <laughs> stupid and i'm like you've got to be kidding me like so yeah so that was like because i was like i just don't want to be on facebook and Instagram, but then I was like, but I have to like make sure people are not asking for phone numbers for people with pictures. <laughs> I was like, how? This is ridiculous. Like this yeah. is so. Yeah. So social media is regular human interaction minus inhibition. Yeah. You know, and it's not like a joke. It's like, oh, this person's serious. They yeah. really want us to like yeah. forward her phone number to <laughs> him. Stupid. Like that's not what. Right. Think of how that person is in real life. Yeah. yeah. At least if it would be somebody from the gym, we could be like, what are you doing? Like, well, we don't even know who this person is. Like, we'll ref- I- <laughs> we'll refund your last month. Please don't come back. <laughs> so, so yeah, over the years, we've seen, like, some crazy stuff. So, yeah, like, every day I go through and I'm like, okay, let's just make sure there's nothing crazy on any of the pictures or ads that people have, that we posted. It's a good idea. So. There's a lot of people. I don't want to name names specifically. Okay. But like Colin Bartles hates reggae music. What? What's up with what? Does he what, really? Yeah. Like reggae music or Bob Marley? Because those are fundamentally two different things. You're right. And I think the answer is both. Oh, how can you hate Bob Marley? Bob Marley basically stopped a civil war in Jamaica one time because he was Bob Marley. Tell me about it. And he Tell brought me more. it to an end. Tell me more. Had a concert, got up on stage and said, stop fighting guys. And they did. So he, how could he, you hate Bob Marley? He told that bitch to be cool. <laughs> Valentina earmuffs. You know what earmuffs is? <laughs> Valentina loves Bob Marley. Does she love Pulp Fiction? Because I just quoted Pulp Fiction. Bob Marley. Uh, Valentina, oh. favorite Bob Marley song. What's your favorite Bob Marley song? Redemption song? That seems a little easy. Give me another one. No. Redemption song. I mean, she ain't wrong. Is the right answer. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> you you like rolling... Bye. You like rolling to reggae, though? I do. Yeah. No, I like rolling to Bob Marley. Okay, understood. I like the Tool vibe in, in the M-Theory so, gym. I'm a Tool guy, and I like that like slow, low, grindy vibe of any music when it comes to working out. So Tool and rolling seems to work well for me personally. Yeah. But I also, you, you know, you probably shouldn't call it rolling, really. So, so. so you're a Tool fan? Favorite Tool album? Um, I don't know, and here and here's why I don't know, because it's an amalgamation of songs in my head at this point. You know what I mean? Like okay. I I okay. own the first two on CD, so I experienced them as albums. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's been so long that like some of them make sense together, some of them don't. I'm not even sure which album I would prefer, but I'd probably go with the early stuff on them. On favorite tool song, man. See, now she gave a cliche Bob Marley answer. I'm about to give a cliche tool oh, answer. Let's see. I'm probably going 46 and 2. 46 and 2 is a good. But yeah. it's also super cliche. Again, cliches are right, right? Yeah, it's not the best tool song, but it's good. And partly because it's 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 been it was used in a few things over the years, like strongman training videos and stuff. That's so a, yeah. there's like some association for me where it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah, I think Rory McDonald walked out to it to a UFC fight one time, and I was like, oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Really good choice. You ain't wrong, sister. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tool, yeah. Tool, Tool and Bob Marley, that's my two That's my two primary musical interest. And what is there? Is there any motivation for what you choose to play at the gym? 
<laughs> there he is. Tell me. <laughs> it's usually like if um, it depends. Like sometimes, like you know, essentials class, for example. Okay, like I, you know, essentials class. Just I don't know. Probably depends on what mood I'm in. Competition, advanced class. That's different. All right. Like if uh, if you hear the <laughs> the if the first song you hear of the night is Anima, then. Mm-hmm. That's how the training should be. Yeah. <laughs> this is the direction. <laughs> something's some, something's usually coming up, right? Like we're yeah. getting ready for something. Like this is the, this is like how the training should be. Yeah. Um, if we don't, then like maybe we play Bob Marley. So, but now like, Colin really doesn't like Bob Marley. Man, I didn't say names. I don't know where you're getting this Colin <laughs> business from. Did I say names? No, okay, that's right. I didn't hear any. Okay. He and I have argued on the internet about music a couple of times. I, I like Colin, but I don't know where you get in this Colin business. I didn't say that. Well, there's a there. Oh yeah, he he did say he doesn't like Caddyshack. So I gotta unfriend him on Facebook. Everybody thinks so. I'm a big reggae fan. I'm really not. I'm a big Bob Marley fan. True. When you get into like deep cut reggae, like hit Spotify reggae or whatever, yeah. let it go, let it get deep. It, it is different than mm-hmm. like what you think of as reggae yeah. if you haven't listened to it. You're right. Yeah. yeah. My so, girlfriend is a big reggae fan, and we have some contrasting interests okay. in music. Yeah. Like I'm down, and she's down overall. But like your preference is your preference, and right? I've, and I've yeah. tr- and I've tried to listen to like a lot of different reggae artists, even artists from like the Bob Marley era. Yeah. Yep. Right. And the way I describe it to people is like to me, like Bob Marley is the apex of this. And listening to anything other than this is like, why would I just not listen to Bob Marley? Like, sure. It this is this is the best this will ever be, so the other stuff doesn't interest me. Right, it's kind of like Tool too. Like a lot of the bands that progressive rock, like people compare to Tool. I listen to those and I'm like, this is a fraction of Tool. Yeah, I feel you. Right. So why would I ever listen to this when I can just keep listening to Tool? Yeah. Oh. Jared has one, yeah. He has what yeah. now? What did Paulie say? The Bob Marley skateboard that's okay. in the gym. Yep. That's pencil. That's if a you pencil look at that art? closely, that's pencil. That's a that's the tip of a pencil creates all those dots. So if you look at it really closely, you'll see, oh, it's like a, each one of that skateboard is basically the the um the marking left by a strike of a pencil. And that guy has created that art out of it. Like he was old at, school tribal tattoo stuff. Kind of, kind of. Yep. Oh, wow. He was at the Uptown Art. He's from Louisiana. He's uh, he was at the Uptown Art Festival, I don't know, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I walked by his booth, and he had that, and I was like, "Oh, that'd be perfect for the gym." Yeah, so, that's super cool. Yeah, and then Jerry was like, "Oh, that's really cool. Like, where'd you get?" And then I was like, "Oh, this is the guy in Louisiana. Just contact him, and I'm sure he'll do one for you too." Got the time so, in that. Yeah, yeah, you got you know, when you're in the gym next time, look at it close up. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, there's an you got another thing, the M theory thing that's rice. That's rice. That's the, rice the, the art. The sign that says yeah. M theory is a rice. It's the art? same thing. It's made from like uh, grains of rice what and it the creates world? the logo. That was made from a uh um she's one of the only few people in the world that does this, but she's from Cambodia. So she was she stayed with us for a while. She was in uh the United States. Uh, doing kind of uh, an art tour 
So she was here trying to like sell her art literally across the country. So Minnesota has a relatively big Cambodian population. So she was here for a while. Then she went to Long Beach, which has a big Cambodian population. So she kind of traveled the country. She would like take her art. She would make art when she was there. So she did this around the time of Cambodian New Year is in April. So she did that around the time a couple of years ago. So when she was here, like in between like all of her other stuff, like she made that for us. Like piece oh, by man. piece. Yeah. Right? And how many thousands of grains of rice in that? I have no idea. You ever you ever try to just like scoop those last few grains of rice out of a bowl at dinner and you're like, you know what? Fuck it. Think of the patience. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine, man. But yeah. I yeah. would just waste food because I just don't want to deal with trying to scoop it out of yeah. <laughs> she's pegging one piece at a yeah. time. That's and she nice. was she was here for a while and while she was in Minnesota she she you know, she lived in uh she lived in our basement with us while she was here, so we kind of you know forced her to make that for you yeah no like i knew like she she was here for like several weeks if not months so i knew like uh i found out like as before she was finishing it she was working on it my wife's like oh she's making this thing for you right i was like oh that's cool cool, yeah it is super cool like yeah it's crazy when you look because people are like what is that and i was like it's it's grains of rice yeah. Right, and she heats them to get like the different contrast of color. Oh, and what? Then, and, Are you serious? <laughs> it's it gets oh crazier. My God! And then she takes like a like a like a surgical pickup, right? Like tweezers. Yeah. So she takes those. She puts glue on each grain, oh, and no. then she lays it down one by one. Oh no! <laughs> she needs to go work at that car factory that you you like. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Piece by piece. Piece by piece. Glue on a grain of rice. Again, even feeding my fat belly, I wouldn't be paid, you know? She trains people how to do it. If you want to go to Cambodia, you can learn how to do it yourself. Is it hot in Cambodia? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know that I'm... Cambodia's amazing, though. It's amazing. I bet, yeah. But yeah, it's a little hot. That's where you, that's where you got that shoulder injury. That's where right? Valentina separated my shoulder. Oh, that was Valentina. That's right. What were you doing, Valentina? You what remember? did you do to Daddy to or separate you... his shoulder? <laughs> I think you did. Uh, I think you did Maroto Sayanagi. Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy story. Yeah. I, I, we, we were in Cam, we were in like a really cool part of Cambodia. It was relatively close to Vietnam, but we were in this kind of area of Cambodia, this village where they had built like this school that, you know, now, these, hold on. Why, why, why were you out here as a part why of was what? I in Cambodia? Yeah. Which time? This time. The last time? Is this part of IGF? Yeah. I want to talk about IGF. Okay, I want okay. to make sure we talk so, about IGF. Yeah, so is we'll this part of that? IGF. This is this specific thing. No. Okay. But then it'll lead into IGF. That's, yeah. Cool. So we went to Cambodia in 2019. Valentina had never been to Cambodia, right? So I had been 2003, 2007, so I hadn't been in a while, right? So we decided, oh, we're going to go Cambodia. Valentina's um, was seven at the time. It's like, oh, she's okay. When you go to Cambodia, you got to get a lot of shots before you go. <laughs> Make sure you don't get certain <laughs> things. And uh, so we're like, okay, Also, Valent- it's hot. You know? yeah, so Valentina's old, old enough now. We'll take her, and she can see where her mom's from. So we went to Cambodia, and at the same time, like the IGF, the IGF is like a nonprofit that uh, my wife and I are on the board of. So mm-hmm. we we uh, 
we tried to help kids have access to jujitsu in parts of the world where otherwise they wouldn't have access to jujitsu. So as we were in Cambodia, we were going there. So we kind of coordinated. We were going to go do stuff with one of the people that teaches kids in Cambodia that we help like fund. So we, we give them like a stipend every month and help, we help them buy geese. So we got kind of helped them get their program set up. And it's crazy to think because jujitsu is so popular now, like, you know, obviously in our part of the world, but in Cambodia, when we got, when we helped him get started with the program, there were literally no kids in Cambodia doing jujitsu in the whole country. Yeah. Cause it's just not popular everywhere in the world. Yeah. So we, in, uh, we eventually ended up there. We ended up there on like the last couple of days, but, um, while we were there, we went to two schools that had been set up. Uh, one school was, was helped set up by my, my wife's, uh, family. Um, oh, I guess both of them technically, but my wife's, uh, sister, and uh, her husband had helped set up one of school. So we went there first. That demo was good. So we did a demonstration. But now, So think about it. Like in Cambodia, you go to one of these schools that they've built for these kids to go to. And the first school we went to, like a lot of the kids actually live on a floating village. So they literally live on a lake in Cambodia. So they've, they've helped these kids come to uh, – and they have schools on these floating lakes as well. But the one where we did the first demo was actually like uh, in CM Rips. CM Rips where Angkor Wat, the big temple, is. Um, so we went there. We did a demo with the kids. So imagine like basically what you've got is you've got a building of concrete. So you've got some concrete. You've got uh, basically kind of like a yard area. Of course, there's no way you would have any mats. So now you got to do a demo. So we did the first demo. That one went okay. The second school we went to, which was actually relatively close to like via uh close to the border of vietnam like in like really what you'd call the countryside of cambodia like an amazing place but like really off i mean even for cambodia kind of off the beaten path similar school concrete um yard area the yard area wasn't necessarily flat so it had like undulations in it. So we went through and the last thing we we do, we get through the whole thing with these kids. And, uh, and the last thing is like, oh, like interpret, tell them like my daughter is going to show the power of jujitsu. <laughs> and she throws me. And oh boy, did she. And I help out a little with the throw. Yeah. yeah. But I land on one of those undulations in the yeah. ground with my shoulder and my shoulder pops out. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> luckily enough, there's like a doctors without border group there the same day. I remember you telling me this. So yeah, I yeah. am like, oh, I, cause I immediately, I feel like my shoulders, like something is not right. And, uh, but I have my gi on so nobody can really tell. So we kind of wrap everything up. Like we're like, okay, thanks kids. Like, you know, and then as soon as I'm done, I walk to the person that runs the school it was like, is there any chance there's a doctor here? And they're like, why? I was like, I think I've dislocated my shoulder. And they're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, well, there is a doctor here. And there's a bunch of nurses. There was multiple doctors and nurses there. Yeah. And he's like, what happened? I was like, well, I don't think my shoulder's in its joint anymore. And he was like, well, that's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, and of course he was like, oh, he's like, oh man. Like, I mean, it's a key, it's a school of like, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 year olds. He was like, well, we got to go find a room and I'll try to pop it back in place. But we got to get away from the kids because 
you're going to feel more pain than you've probably ever felt in your life when I do this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not good. So set up a language barrier. So <laughs> it was, it, so it wasn't like fully dislocated. It was separated. Yes. Right. And the doctor was from, uh, the doctor was from like the state of Washington. All right. So, um, so he sits down and, um, it's hard to understand without seeing the video, but he asked me, he was like, okay, we're going to try this first and see what happens. He was like, just put your hand on your ear and then just walk it up to the top of your head. Mm. And I did. And it was like, it went back to where it felt like it was supposed to be. Sure. And, and he sits there and he was like, okay. He was like, okay, now we've got to talk about what we're going to do with you next. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm good. Yeah, that wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> so I get up and take three steps, and I almost pass out because oh, it just comes back yeah. down. And he was like, yeah, man, like you're like you're not going anywhere. <laughs> so he's like, gives me some pills. He, he does it again. Then he puts me in his sling. He's like, I'm going to put this in sling before you like do anything else to hurt yourself. And then, uh, and we're in the middle of like nowhere even close to like a hospital yeah right that's where they filmed rambo four right? <laughs> yeah and um no weapons so the next anything. so the next day like well that night like i can barely sleep the next day we have to like drive through the countryside to get back to a city right and of course it, we go to a hospital but the hospital is super interesting the hospital is actually run by a hospital system out of thailand so they've set up a hospital in uh, Phnom Penh, which is the uh, the capital of Cambodia. So they've set this hospital up, and it's like a super nice hospital. But all the doctors and nurses are from Thailand, mm-hmm. so they've come from Thailand. Like they've set up because you like, I. Some of the things you probably imagine about hospitals in Cambodia are probably true. Mm-hmm. So my wife's brother-in-law is like, well, we're, I'm going to take you to this hospital. The ties run. It's going to, you go, you'll feel like you're in an American hospital. Right. And, uh, yeah, we go in, he does, he does x-rays and he's like, yeah, you have like, you know, I think you have like this grade of separation. I was like, well, I'm supposed to fly back to the United States in five days. Like, can I do that? Is that a good idea? And he's like, well, you know, if the pain becomes unmanageable, you need to come back and we'll figure out. But like, if you feel like you can be in a sling on a plane from Cambodia back to the United <laughs> Minneapolis, which is a really long flight. It's not comfortable anyway. He was like, you know, and of course they gave me some medication. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I made it back, but I know when I when I left Cambodia, like they were like, ah, oh, you know, probably two or three weeks, you'll probably be okay. It was like six to seven months before my shoulder was right again. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was like it was it was it was much worse of us. You know, I mean, it wasn't dislocated, but it was much worse of a separation than we initially thought because it took me months to get better. Right. Yeah, yeah and flying twenty two hours or no. whatever in a sling was not uh-uh. not not the best time. It's <laughs> not the best time in the best case scenario right oh his leg yeah but whose husband Heidi's husband Kyle Kyle he's had a similar kind of thing oh man yeah Kyle almost lost his leg what yeah just forgot where he put it or what not exactly (laughs) yeah yeah uh they were like I think they were somewhere in Asia because they ended up flying to Malaysia or Singapore yeah so yeah so he was like in uh uh he was in an accident in the water where basically his leg got chewed up pretty good and then he goes into a like by a by a propeller 
Yeah. Oh, bro. Bruh. Yeah. Bruh. So, and uh, it's funny. It, well, it's not funny. That's not funny at all. <laughs> what's funny is I remember it so well because I was in Kentucky at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was in Kentucky visiting my, my parents. So it must have been around one of, like, one of the holidays because that's usually when we go to Kentucky. Right. And then like on Facebook, I just started to see like weird messages that to me didn't make any sense because I didn't know this had happened. So then I reached out to Heidi like, and she's like, you know, literally halfway across the world. Right. But I sent her a message on Facebook. I was like, hey, like, is like something going on with Kyle? And then, uh, you know, like, a you know, 12 hours later or whatever I get like, yeah, she tells me like the whole story, exactly what happened. And then I was like, oh, like, you know, just let us know what we can, like, because they started, like, a GoFundMe and thing and for Kyle. I was like, just let us know. I mean, obviously, we're not that close to you, but, like, let us know if there's anything we can do to – because eventually they were like, we have to get him to uh, – we have to get him to Singapore, basically, to try to save his leg. Yeah, so I can't remember what country they were in exactly. Um, God, what country was it? It seems like Thailand's a country that's going to have, you know, westernized. Thailand has Thailand, Thailand, you know? Thailand has pretty good medical system. That's what I mean. I, I feel yeah. like that wouldn't be it. But what the hell do I know about it? Yeah. So. Um, Either way, your your concern with that, much like yours, is: Am I going to the right place? Am I getting the right opinion? Yeah. Am I going to be able to? Because they know? were concerned, obviously, wherever he was, like he wasn't getting. Yeah. And, and nothing against like the system there, but this, sure. it is what it is, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. You know, based upon like you know the economics of the country you're in, and like the their norms of outcome might not match the norms yeah, of outcome I'm accustomed right. to here. So and I the, want those. Yeah, and eventually they get him to Singapore. They get him stabilized, right? But they have to like emergency like vacuum out on a plane to get him here Oof. to get him into to Singapore, and then eventually like I mean everything turns out okay. Right. But it took him like once he got back to the because obviously that changes your vacation plans. So they were there for a while. I think maybe his parents may have even flown over in Singapore. Like I know there was like a lot of stuff going on and and, um, you know, but yeah, it took him a lot. It took him a while. But from my understanding, I think now he's actually in pretty good shape. But, yeah, it was a crazy story because. I was just like, he's like, what's going on with Kyle? Because I don't really know Kyle. I've met Kyle maybe a couple of times, but obviously Heidi's been at the gym for years, right? And but I just caught started like friends of Heidi were just making these like posts and like without like having any information, it was like I was like, uh, what's happened to Kyle? Yeah, like, somebody died. And here? then a GoFundMe what? started for him. I was oh, like, boy. oh, like something's not good. And then she was like, and having her like describe it, like, yeah, like you know, he's lucky. Like if he would have been turned. 180 degrees it would have been his head and or know. even just you know a few inches over you get a femoral yeah. artery kind of thing who knows yeah, exactly Yikes. right so you know, i mean obviously not 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 lucky but kind of lucky you know in a way fortunate that <laughs> yes. you know you were in you know a different kind of position when it happened but yeah so yeah it's a it's a yeah when you're at the gym sometimes you would ask her it's a crazy story Right, because it was like, yeah, I think I think there was real concern, like they were going to have to eventually remove his leg, right? So, but yeah, they they got him to Singapore and they they saved it. So, I think I seen a picture of him, good dense beard on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Respect, yeah, yeah. Respect. Yeah, and obviously I wasn't there, but I think once like it seemed to, like they they got him into Singapore and they got everything kind of like okay, like you know everything's going to be okay now, like it seemed like he had like a really good attitude about it once it knew it was like, okay, like, 
you know, there's a, there's a plan here. There's, there's an expertise here to like help me through this. So, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Memorable, memorable vacation, I guess. So. You got a thing at the gym, uh, where if somebody wins pans, oh. I believe they get to pick the music Panzer, for one night. Panzer Worlds. Panzer Worlds, you get to pick the music for one night. Yeah. And you told me one time that one of your students, who is now a black belt, won and picked the music. Ethan? Ethan. Big country music. Country music. You're a big country fan, aren't no. you? Kentucky? No? No. Oh. <laughs> Do not like country music. I don't like country music in general. Uh-huh. I despise modern country music. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> if it's country, so if you I, can call it country, I, I enjoy country, and I'm like a bluegrass, old timey country kind of guy, and I'm less than preferable toward yeah. modern country. So we find ourselves in some agreement here. I, I, I don't. How I don't, was it training to to shitty modern country music? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know Luke Bryan. I, 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 I'm sure he's a great guy, but no, just no. That's not good. <laughs> no, that's, that's not good. I gotta be no. honest. No, yeah, I was like, I mean, yeah, he, I was like, I went on this like, got whatever Spotify station. I was like, are you serious? And he was like, yeah, this is what I like. And I was like, but no, are you serious? <laughs> like, we're gonna train to this. Um, and then Dave Scora picked Genesis, right? Um, I'm I'm in. I'm down with that. Yeah, that, I didn't know that one, and I'm down. Yeah, he he. I think we picked like the Genesis station. Yeah, um, just let it roll off of that. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So there's been a few people. Uh, Marcus won Pan's No Gi one year, but it may have been before we implemented this rule. So I don't know if Marcus ever actually got to pick the music. So hey, kind of have speaking of that, when you give somebody a black belt and and just the the like time uh at which i wandered into the gym and joined i i've happened to have been around for a few black belts mm-hmm. being granted now um it's sort of customary that they say something mm-hmm. except kyle <laughs> what's it not i don't know if this is, feels like a call out like no, like i'm calling I'm out who's like yeah when i gave kyle kyle's been doing jujitsu for a long time i've known kyle for a long yeah. time like he trained with me at the academy for years oh okay right? so that and, goes uh, he goes way back with Kyle him, goes huh? Kyle goes way back yeah yeah, yeah. and then uh yeah I remember like kind of hustling over to take some photos for him <laughs> of it happening and I was like he didn't he didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it so, was kind of like a Tuesday night or something like yeah sort of yeah so and sometimes like you know like I, Kevin, right? Kevin, Kevin, like when Kevin was on the podcast, I was like, wow, that how you get so much out of Kevin, right? Kevin's a great guy, but he's not like the guy to just no. like open up and share yeah, everything correct. with you. But he, right? but he, well, here's the thing though. He was, you know, personality types being are with there. He was super excited to sit down and do this. He also drank more than me or at least went <laughs> one for one. And then I also edited the podcast. So. <laughs> but, yeah. But when, 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 uh, when I gave Kevin his black belt, that was the war that was going to be like, is he going to say anything? Yeah, yeah. Because when we got it, right, like Kevin, Ethan, and Marcus, like, okay, like I can't remember which one of them spoke first, but it's like, okay, now you know you're going to speak. So I gave Kyle his like the, just a little bit before those guys, right? And I've known Kyle yep. for so long, yep. right? And then I gave it to him and it was like, 
yeah, I mean, I don't really know if Kyle wants to say anything, and if he doesn't, like, I don't want to make him feel awkward. So, yeah, yeah we'll just, like, move on, and, like, congratulations, man. Yeah. And it, it honestly, I don't know him well, but it did seem to sort of make sense relative to his personality. <laughs> so, just kind of quietly in the corner working on his own plot of game just or whatever. And, game. You, know, you know, I mean, like, yeah. it just it's, it seemed to make sense that he just wouldn't, yeah. you know, really so, step up and say anything. Yeah, but Kevin was the one I was like, oh, is Kevin going to say anything, or is he going to be like... I'm not saying anything. No, no, no. Right? But then, yeah, he got, I mean, it was short and sweet, but, you know. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to, like, understand. Like, and other people from other martial arts sometimes have done other martial arts and accomplished a lot. And they will tell you, like, getting a black button jujitsu is different. Right? You have put so much, like, time, effort, tears you've persevered through you know it's i mean well by the time you get it for most people you're in put so much you're time in a into completely it. different phase of your life maybe yes. even two away yep like it's not like i started this handful of years later yep. i got it it's a decade or more yep. for and most, you've had so. ups you've had downs yeah. most people they probably had some kind of injury they've had to overcome and yep. sometimes it's not even a jujitsu injury because people get injured outside of jujitsu yeah life which, which delays their training in jujitsu right. which is this thing they they have or so covid you, happens or covid happens <laughs> so like when you get a like a black belt in jujitsu like it is like yeah there's like as far as like getting black belts in martial arts there's nothing else that compares to it because it's like you've put so much time and effort and you've been humbled so much along the way because it's pretty emotional thing for guys because i don't i, I put so much effort into ensuring Marcus, Kevin, and Ethan had no idea it was coming. It was like a process. I yeah. think Ryan Dixon was the only person that knew. Sure. Because I was like, Ryan, we're going to have to be ready to take pictures of this thing tonight. So, all right. So, and uh, and make sure, like, because he's friends with all of those guys, right? Yeah. And I was like, make sure whatever you do, like, you cannot spill the beans in any way, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, it was quite, and then we got, Jer Jared was the thing, like, that was the thing that allowed us to like, oh, Jared's going to be here, right? Because during like the COVID shutdown, like the first one, like especially when we were like a few weeks into it, a few months into it, like a few of us started getting together and like, oh, we're going to like train like those of us who are comfortable training each other, right? So they had had the chance to train with Jared and I was like, hey, Jared's getting ready to go back and he's getting ready to like, you know, start training again and doing like, you know, his Jared does a lot of training for like military stuff. So he needs to get like ready, like yep. physically ready. So I yep. need you guys to be here this night because you're going to yeah. be the guys that can push him the most. Yeah. Right. So they were all there kind of under that premise. Right. It's going to be a big training day. Big training day. That's, that's why and I'm that's here. why they got the black belt at the start, not the end. Right. So I wanted everybody to be like, okay, before anybody starts to walk out of here this night, they're going yeah. to see these guys get their yeah. black belts. There's a story about Kyle's black belt as well. Like there's more to it than anybody I've ever told anybody Pull this part here. about him getting his black belt. Kyle Chaney's been doing jiu-jitsu, uh, and he's done judo as well um, at the academy. They had a really good judo instructor there for a while that I know Kyle trained with. Kyle's been doing jiu-jitsu. Like, I, I don't know what year he started, but I think Kyle started at – the academy used to be in a really small place, and then it moved into this bigger warehouse space. Um, I think he started in the newer warehouse space. But he probably started in the early days of that warehouse space. So he started uh, uh, quite some time ago, right? So he started, you know, I think it's fair to say he probably started years before Ethan, Kevin, Marcus, 
So yeah. when I gave it to him, I wanted him to be the only guy that got it that night because he had put so much time and effort sure. into it. His right? timeline was different, yeah. if nothing else. So I wanted it to be like, oh, these four people. Uh, I didn't want it to be these four people got their black belts tonight. I wanted it to be like Kyle got his black belt tonight, and he's put like so much time and effort into this. And then Kevin, Kevin, Ethan, and Marcus, it just made sense because they train with each other like every day. It was like, oh, it's right for these guys to get this all together as opposed to, oh, I give it to Keith, Kevin one day, Ethan. Yep. Like these guys train every day together. They're, they're in a large part responsible for each other's success. Yep. So I was like, these guys need to get this together so they can always remember, like, we got our black belts together. We train together. We accomplish these things together. We yep. got our black belts together. So, yeah, so people just thought I was just like, oh, I just gave it to Kyle. No, I, like, there was a reason. Like, he was the only person sure, to get his sure. black belt that night. Yeah, yeah. That's John probably, and Kyle got their brown belts Yeah, together. that's probably yeah. that's probably around the same time, right time they're frame. Both, yeah. They're both kind of old dogs, yeah. Not old mm -hmm. school, right, but old dogs. <laughs> yeah, so. I postulated early on with these conversations that, like, these things come in waves, that there's, like, generations of black belts, which means there's generations of other belts, and that's kind of where Paulie was alluding to earlier that he came in with a few people. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. And the extras drifted away. And then there's this half a dozen people that are still drifting their way up the belt rank and getting better in training. Is that, I mean, is that kind of how it works? It's these waves of people that. Yeah, kind of like, I mean, like it's like people say in jujitsu, like, Oh, like, you know, you have to be 1% of the people that do jujitsu to get a black belt. It was like, it's not even close to 1%. Right. No. It's a, such a small fraction of one percent certainly not of the people who've tried it if we, I, like, I mean literally <clears throat> we have literally had thousands and thousands yeah. of people come through the gym and try it yeah like um a small percentage of those people that try it will get to blue belt and then a small percentage will get to purple belt and then a smaller percentage will get to brown belt Typically, when people get to brown belt in jiu-jitsu, not always, but typically those people, I think, have a really strong chance of getting to black belt. Sure. So, like, I don't know what the number is, but when people say 1% of people that start jiu-jitsu get to black belt, I'm like, no, like, maybe point zero 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 one percent get to black belt. It's like hyperbolically. Right? They're just making the point, like, 1%, yeah, yeah. you know? It's the same kind of thing with, like, the NFL. Like maybe 1% of people that get to purple belt or something, like, maybe that sure, makes more sense. Sure. But, like, 1% of people that start it, like, yeah, it's not even close to 1%. Yeah. You just think of it within a month, how many people strap on a white belt. Yeah, pre-COVID, yeah. let's say, like, there's to not, be it's honest, not even... like, probably at the probably at at the peak we would have 60 or 70 new people tried a month <laughs> and then about half of those maybe a little bit more than half we'll actually stripes <laughs> actually sign up and do it for a yeah. couple of weeks get and then stripe, after three yeah. months then you typically see oh uh, there's a significant drop off of people that have you know what happens is like if you can get people to the three four month period Right. It's pretty good. But a lot of times like what we see is people try it for. And again, like everybody's got their own thing going on in their life. And jujitsu is like super humbling. Like, you know, there's a lot and there's a lot to process. Right. But a lot of times like people like, oh, we saw this person for the first week. We haven't seen them for now three months. And three months is like a lot of times when Ryan will get the call like, hey, like, I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore. Like, so what do I need to do? do to not do this anymore and then you're like hey like and and everybody has their own reason but a lot of, yeah. but sometimes we've had success like hey just come back in yeah, right yeah, yeah. like you know it's hard 
right? It's mentally challenging. It's physically challenging, right? And and we've had sometimes success getting people to come back in and they stay and they, but a lot of times like, you know, and again, like it's hard to say what everybody's situation is, right? But uh, jujitsu, it's, it's not easy, right? And if it was easy, then like, if it was easy, I wouldn't do it. Like, why would I do something that's not challenging? You know, sometimes people have a lot of other challenges in their life and adding another on it makes life really, really difficult. And like, sometimes that makes sense. Like, okay, maybe in a, a year or two, maybe that'll be the right time for you. Right. So we're like super, like we try to be as like understanding with people as possible. Like when they're like, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And we're like, well, no, like you, you know, give it a couple more weeks. And then like, if it's not, it's it's not for you, it's not for you. Like that's not, you know, we're not going to think any less of you. Right. So, so yeah, but like a lot of the things I do is just like, especially with like newer people, right. A lot of people think I'm just like, why is this person that has this weird accent, like talking to me like this? Right. Because like sometimes like newer people, like I will walk up and like, you know, like I'll like tap them on the shoulder and I walk to the other side and they're like, why are you bothering me? And I'm like, I know I'm trying to like, you know, uh, I'm trying to let you know, right. You know, kind of funny way that I'm like there, right. To kind of help you through this, because if you're like, um, you have to learn how to like communicate with like your students, Right. And sometimes it's in a way that's different than like sitting down and having a conversation like I'm here to support you. Right. And for me, kind of like to do that is like uh, joking with them. But some instructors and everybody has their own method. Some instructors like they'll joke with you maybe when you're a purple belt. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's person purple belt. They're pretty committed. Right the white belt's the person that I want to like, that's the person that's going to like, you know, every night go home and like wonders like, Oh, is this for me? Is this not for me? Right. That's the person that needs like the real support. Like, right. You know, by the time they're purple belt, like you've seen them for years, right. You're probably friends. Right. But that person's going to come back tomorrow. Most likely. You ever to kick anybody out of the gym? Oh yeah. We, uh, one person that that's been kicked out of the gym permanently. Um, and we gave this person like so many chances. We put them on probation once. Like you can't train here for two months. Like you, you can't be coming into the gym and trying to start actual fights with your drilling partners. Not like we're going to train hard. No, let's, let's throw fists at each other in the middle of class. <laughs> it was like, that's, you can't do that. All right. Um, yeah. So we put somebody on probation once for two months and then after two months, like he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, like, uh, can I, can I come back? And I was like, yeah, man, it's like been 60 days. Like hopefully you've got your, you know, got your life in order. And then two or three months, like the same thing happened. Comes of in, course. yeah. comes in on a Saturday morning, walks into class late. <laughs> one, one, it's an odd number in class. So his drilling partner is somebody that he, for whatever reason, doesn't like. And then within like 30 seconds, he was like, well, let's just fight. And I was like, you got to go. You can't come back. I was like, you can't. You can't. Well, let's just he was like, fight. He was like, you're supposed to be like practicing like takedowns or something. Like not let's let's throw hands at each other. <laughs> and the person like he challenged to the fight. I was like, this is not somebody you should challenge to a fight either. This is not a good idea. Yeah. 
he challenged somebody he should not have challenged. No, he and challenged I was like, the upper belt poly is what he's saying. Like yeah. he, he, he went deep water. <laughs> he challenged a he he challenged a blue belt. Yeah. Every bit as big as Matt or bigger With that some had wrestled all his life. Oh boy. <laughs> Why would you challenge that guy? Right. So we were like, Hey man, like, you know, you like you you can't train here. I mean, I, I'm genuine as like I, I I wish you the best. I hope you find a place to train, like you know, if you need help finding a place to train, like I just I, I can kind of help you, but I don't want to be responsible for you doing this somewhere else. But like we, you you can't. I mean, we put you on probation, we let you come back, and then within a few months you did it again. But there was like six incidents that led to probation. I was like, so this was like the eighth incident. I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm sick, like, you know. So, but you ever been in a street fight? Never. No real fights. Never in my life. Good. So. Good. Oh. Oh. I don't know if I'd call it a fight. <laughs> <laughs> now he's playing politics. All right. Uh, just like the guy that got put on probation. It's no, not I don't fighting. Know if I'd We're call just, it a uh, fight. I. Uh, I. Uh, mm-hmm. I put a guy. This this was this was really young in my life, right? So yeah, I 43, a, 44. Like I would like have that. just been basically starting to to learn anything about jujitsu when this happened. It's when you're the most dangerous, right? I was at a party with one of my friends who had drank way too much. Mm-hmm. And I was like I Makes was like yeah. I was like, You you can't drive home, man. Like you just can't. Mm. Right? I was and he was adamant that he was going to drive home. So I put him to sleep. Right, so I wouldn't say it was a street fight because, yeah. like, I was like, well, it was a really one-sided fight. <laughs> I put him in, like a rear naked choke and then like yeah. put him on the ground and be like, "Hey, man, like you know, like because because he became like confrontational, like yeah, he got right. like in my face and I was like, yeah, Ish- Ishmael Bentley, that's called a fight. Yeah, you were well, confronted and you stopped it so, with force. That's a fight. Well, but he didn't, you know, and you also, as Paulie just said, saved his life probably and maybe other people's. Yeah, so, so good on you. But yeah, like, you know, yeah, it was a really good friend of mine too at the time, but he was so like, you know, intoxicated and he was just like, I don't understand why I can't drive home. I was like, well, you can't even have a conversation because that's he's like, that's why you can't, shouldn't drive home. It's part right? of being drunk. You're too drunk to understand why I, you can't yeah. drive. <laughs> and then I told him, I said, and you, you, you can't punch me because then we have, so then I was like, Oh, so as soon as I was like, Oh, he's going to punch me. I was like, Oh, so I'm going to put him. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he was, yeah, he was mad at me for a couple of weeks, but then he got over it. And then when he got sober, he was like, yeah, driving, probably not the best thing to right, do in my yeah, situation. Yeah. I was that night. So that's a thank um, you scenario. But, yeah. but that's what jujitsu is for, right? Like I didn't even have to punch the guy. Right. I just basically put him in, uh, and I didn't actually choke him out. I just put him on the ground and said, I can choke you unconscious. Like, so, but, or we can like act like civilized human beings and move on with the night. So, yeah. but that's as bad as it gets for me. So, so far, the true art of fighting is not having to fight. Yeah. The the clinch, like a hundred percent. Like once you get into the clinch with somebody that's never trained, like you know, it's different if you clinch with somebody that's wrestled, somebody's done jujitsu, judo, muay thai. Once you get into clinch with somebody like that has never trained, 
it's shocking how easily you can make them fall down. Right. And, um, and I am a big, like, I mean, you have to take, like, you have to take into account what's the situation. Like, am I somehow found myself in an altercation with my buddy because there's an issue? Am I having an altercation with somebody I don't know? Am I in an altercation where my life is at risk? Right? Um, like, for example, like your buddy, like, you get to the clinch, take him down, be as gentle as possible. Um, because the, I'm a big fan um, of when you get to the clinch, I think one of the most, especially like in self-defense, I think like one of the most powerful things you can do is if you understand like how to actually knee somebody in the body. Because it does, first of all, if you need somebody in the body in the right place and they've never been kneed, they're going to make what just happened to me. The second thing, a lot of times when you knee people, they normally kind of bend over. And in jiu-jitsu, now like, you can put them in a guillotine, right, and talk to them, choke them out, whatever you want to do. And if it fails, then it's pretty easy to get back into the clinch and take them down. Um, yeah, and there's a lot to take into consideration. Like if you if you literally think it's life and death – then like any of the arts that have takedowns in them, taking down somebody on pavement concrete is devastating, right? When there's no mat to, because, I mean, you guys know, getting thrown on the mat over and over is not fun. Imagine if that's a hard surf. And imagine like in, in jujitsu, right? We know how to fall, right? We know how to take the fall and it still is no fun. So imagine if you're the other person on the side of that and you don't know how to fall, and then this person has you, right? Imagine like some of the judo throws like we do, right? Imagine like some of those and like you're flying your feet over your head. And when you land, that's it. That That's probably the fight is over. You're probably unconscious. But you have to take into consideration like some of like the big throws. There's going to be maybe dire consequences to the person taking that throw. And you may and you need to understand like does it warrant it? Right. Is this a situation where like I have to do everything I can to defend myself and that may lead to some kind of dire consequence to this person? Is this my drunk buddy that I need to like talk some sense into? Right. Because like you don't want to take somebody you know or and not even necessarily, you know, but sometimes people I mean, it's different if somebody like challenges you to a fight versus somebody tries to stab you. Right. That's a different situation, because I think even when people, you know, unfortunately, especially like guys, like most men think they have this ability to fight. And the reality of the situation is if you've never trained in any of the real combat arts, you can't fight. (laughs) You think you can fight all you want. You can't fight. And then if you run into a confrontation with somebody that can fight, you're going to learn very quickly like you don't know how to fight. Yeah, like years ago, we used to do uh, these training sessions with um, a security group at one of the churches in town. And uh, there would be like six or seven of them come, and we would do it like on Saturday. And this was after like some of the like really bad shootings. So they were like, oh, we think we need to have a plan on how to protect the church just in case somebody comes in. And it was like, okay. And then we had one person in the in the group that had done like traditional martial arts Right. And uh, he just didn't buy it. He just didn't buy like jujitsu worked. And then finally I was like, well, there's one way we can find out. 
And I was like, literally, I was like, okay, like you can do whatever you want. Right. And he was like, no, like, you know, I was like, no, trust me. Like you can do whatever you want. Like whatever you think is works in a real fight. Just you go for it. I was like, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm going to show you like what somebody that knows jujitsu can do to you. And like 10 seconds into it, he's like, oh, I get it now. And, and that's exactly what I did. Like he's like, you know, he tried to like, you know, throw a punch and then I went to the clinch. I took him to the ground. And then I was like, okay, like, this is over now, right? And I was like, do you understand? Like, this is over. And he was like, yeah, I understand now, right? But he needed to, like, see it and feel it, right? Because he's in the same mind space a lot of people are that don't do combat arts. He was like, well, in the movies, on TV, what I've been told on YouTube, I was like, well those people are all trying to profit off you. They're going to tell you something that's going to hopefully lead to you, like buying something from them or watching their channel or what. Like I'm here to like help you understand, like if you find yourself in a confrontation, this is what could potentially happen. And if you are not prepared for that, then right. You just, you just two guys just swing at each other, hoping who's going to land first. Because there's always a risk. And if I tell people that, I, and I'm private today, I, you know, I, I just, I'm just very honest with him. I said, hey, I was like, you know, like, because I was like, we're going to start here. We're going to defend this punch. You have to get to the clinch. We're going to do this. But I was like, but there's always a risk, right? Even from an untrained person that when you're doing this, there's always a chance you're going to get hit. We're just trying to minimize that risk. No, no, anybody that tells you like everything is, is foolproof. Like there's no way this, this, there's, this will work every time under all situations. Like that's just not reality, right? You can even like watch sometimes like really elite level, like MMA fighters. And then you'll watch them fight somebody that's maybe not quite as elite, but super gritty. And they can make it a really competitive fight, even though the skill level is obviously different, just because they can kind of create absolute chaos in the ring or the cage. Yeah, Caitlin was talking about uh, elite level grit. Darren Elkins is a fighter in the UFC, and his nickname is The Damage. The Damage. And that guy has elite level grit. He gets in fights, and you're just like, on paper, there's just like, should not win this fight. But he is going to outgrit this person, and he's going to probably be a bloody mess at the end of it. But putting him away is so hard, right? And I'm sure, like, people, like, as they're, like, you know, as he's won some fights and probably moved up in the rankings, um, I'm sure there's people, like, that are maybe above him in the rankings. They're like, no, that's I don't want to fight that guy. Even people that probably, like, I, I'm confident I will beat him, but he may make me look not like a very good fighter and I don't want anything to do with that. Right. Yeah. So like, that's a guy that has like elite level grit. Right. Yeah. Cause that he's some of the, he's won some fights and I'm just like, especially before I like really knew who he was, like before I judge and I'm just watching him. I was like, Oh man, like there's no way. And then like he fears it out. And now it's just like, Oh, the damage is fighting like this is going to be ugly but it's going to be so entertaining because <laughs> you're just like you're going to be on the edge of your seat the whole time <laughs> what's the best sports movie of all time best sports movie of all time napoleon dynamite 
I find myself largely in agreement. He throws I'm, football. But I'm, yeah, over the mountains. How much you want to make a bet I could throw a football <laughs> over the mountains? Boy, that's a great movie. It is a great movie, yeah. It's such a great movie. Best sports movie of all time. Oh, man. That is a good question. Taking out Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> huh. I threw the replacements on Facebook, but it's because I'm a troll. I'm a clown. No. Not the replacements. Little Giants. That's another good one. Yeah. Ed O'Neill and Rick Moranis in a in a Little League football battle. Are you kidding me? What's more American? <laughs> Have you seen... Uh, Probably. I think it's. I think the name of it is When We Were Kings. Oh, I don't think I have seen When We Were Kings. About Muhammad Ali? Yeah. When he's fighting George Frazier? Yeah, I haven't seen George it. Form, when he's yeah. fighting George Foreman? Is it a documentary or a movie? Uh, it's a documentary. Yeah. Mm, so that doesn't that count? Then. It has yeah. to be fictional? Well, like, so I just watched the Foxcatcher the Fox Catcher documentary yesterday, but there's and also the a movie? movie about it. Both of them yeah. are good, right? Yeah. When We Were Kings is amazing. I haven't seen it, but I'll have to check it next okay, so level. I'll give you another one but we'll talk about when we were kings first vision quest is that the is that the other one oh I've got a story about vision quest all right let's do okay. let's do let's but do we let's were do kings. when we were kings yeah. first so when we were kings like you've got to watch it I will like you, you know where Muhammad Ali's from right Louisville. Louisville Kentucky Louisville Commonwealth of Kentucky so you got to watch it so I will. when yeah. he's getting ready to fight George Foreman in that's the grill guy right Oh, you're talking about Joe Frazier. What? All right. They're different. There's two different. Get out of what? All right. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. He's going to fight George Foreman. George Foreman, like, had was, uh, I mean, this is well before my time. This was, like, in the 70s. But you can go back and, like, like research and watch all the things that led up to these fights. Yeah. And, like, you can understand, like, oh, George Foreman was, like, a terrifying human being at the right. time. Right. Had just literally, like. I think when he beat Joe Frazier, knocked him down like eight times in two rounds, just ridiculous. And Joe Frazier had beaten, you know, Muhammad Ali in their first fight. So basically people thought, you know, Muhammad Ali was going basically just to be, basically just to be a punching bag for this fight. Right. All right. And then obviously he had this brilliant strategy in the fight, but the stuff that leads up to the fight is what's amazing. So... At one point, he goes into George Foreman's camp when George Foreman is just hitting this heavy bag and you're just seeing this person that can punch so hard. And then Muhammad Ali walks into the camp and he starts chanting, the champ is here, the champ is here. <laughs> so by the time they got to the fight, he has he had so gotten into George Foreman's head. Yeah, I'm good. So you got to watch When We Were Kings. Mm-hmm. And there's some other stuff that happens oh, yeah. that, that he gets the people from the, the area where they're fighting right. to chant to George Foreman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole narrative. Like, he yeah. he was a master of narrative before. Um, Hip-hop yeah. was a thing before the WWF was a thing. He was he was doing all that business, right? I'm not – I'm I don't have the expertise to sure. argue about this. Let's go. But a lot of people claim he was the first rapper. Yeah, I've heard it Muhammad too. Ali. Yeah. Just like a lyricist before the format was there. Yep. I've heard yep. it. Yeah. Yep. So, and then, so what was, oh, Vision Quest. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean Shirk used to watch Vision Quest every night before he fought. Yeah. Every night. That makes so, perfect sense. And he had a lot of fights. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, what? I watched it with great regularity and I was never a wrestler or anything. I've watched you know? it once. And when he told me this, I was like, you watch this every night. Every night. Yeah. I was like, you're committed. 
Um, oh, favorite. It's just got a vibe, man. Raging Bull. I mean, that's about the life of Jake LaMotta. That's pretty intense, though. But that's like, doesn't not feel a like documentary, a sp- but kind of. It doesn't feel like a sports movie, either. Right. I mean, it is. Movie? I know, but it, I don't know. It feels like just bigger picture than Any that, Given but. Sunday. <laughs> Any Given Sunday. Oh, baby. Uh, Jim Brown's Pinnacle. <laughs> Jim Brown, he was the coach, right? And and LT played the linebacker with all the concussions, much like he was in real life. Yeah. (laughs) Have you watched one night? I don't uh, get strokes, motherfucker. I give them. I've watched it. Yeah. You did. I saw. I haven't watched that one. Yeah, it's it's on the list, but like I want to give it its due. I feel like it's heavy. Miami's worth worth watching. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, Well, best sports movie since I can't name a documentary. (laughs) The real story is better than the. You're going to what now, Polly? Young Blood. You said Young Bloods to me in a text earlier, but I thought you meant like that Western movie. Like with uh, the Mighty Ducks? With is the that Mighty shit? Ducks guy. Is, is, in that, it. is, that, is that like in Minnesota? Is that that's a Minnesota a, movie? That's a sports movie. You have friends? Oh, really? Of course you have friends that were in Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. What are other God, like Minnesota me. sports movies? Oh, the hockey one? Whatever. The, the Miracle. 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 Yeah. Do you believe in miracles? <laughs> yeah. Was he Southern? I don't so, know. Uh, I go with Raging Bull if I can use that, even though. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie, good. but it's about a person's life. Well, no, it can be based on real so, stuff. Okay. We're getting too picky here. This yeah, is yeah. silly. Like We're drinking tequila. Yeah. Let's just talk about it. But Yeah, Jake uh, Mata was an intense person. And I, I think I watched it like last summer. That was like a COVID watch. I think it might have been the first time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I dig going back and watching like the great movies, yeah. but that one's one that slipped yeah. through the cracks, and it was good. Yeah, and boxing sure. was different back then. Right, it was like yeah, it's like the cultural. It's like horse racing. The cultural so significance of horse so, racing at one point was yeah, he huge. Fought, like same thing with boxing. Sugar Ray Robinson like five times. Yeah, just crazy. Right, the idea of somebody fighting five times a day just seems like that's not even possible. You might have five jujitsu matches against somebody, right? But five boxing matches, five MMA fights, like. How would that ever even happen? Like a best of th- best yeah. of three best of, is because they're yeah. like the top yeah, in like the game. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible to make the trilogy a lot of fights because yeah. I'd be like everybody wants to see Conor McGregor and, and Diaz again, right? Well, but it's like they just cannot make figure out how to make this fight, right? right? What, what I, was the last? Was it DC and uh, DC Steepy? and Steepy, Yeah, that's yeah, good. that's a good one. Too. And that one kind of had to happen, right? We have to right. decide who's the best of these two, so. Um, it, yeah. wh- who was the best of that? Was did Stepe take two Stipe of them? One, two, and yeah. three. Yeah. Slapshot. Paulie pulls out. What? What's the other one? Young Blood. What is Young Blood? Young Blood by uh, featuring Rob Lowe is the greatest sports know, movie of all time. I know time. I'm probably going to uh, offend the entire state. I've never seen Slapshot. So Neither have I. I've never seen it. I've never skated. I've never. Yeah. Ishmael. One of the last things I ask people on here is uh, advice you'd give to people doing jujitsu. Yeah. You've, you've taught a couple of jujitsu classes now. Yeah. So. So I, I won't like talk about like like necessarily through rank, but it'll progress and it'll be like, oh, that that is progressing through rank. So I won't I won't necessarily like break it down to blue belt, purple belt. Um, I it's like rank sometimes is kind of a controversial thing right mm. so like oh some people are just like you know the belt doesn't matter but we're like we're human beings that's the thing like 
yeah, like maybe theoretically the belt doesn't matter, but getting the belt like, is a recognition recognition in front of your peers that you've accomplished something. So that's why a lot of times I think it's important for like people, like, you know, emotionally, socially, it's like, oh, I'm being recognized for something I've accomplished, right? So on paper, like, yeah, just be as good as you can at it, right? But like, I think it's like, not every person, but most people need to be, you know, recognized by their instructor in front of their peers that, yeah, you've put the time to work in here. You deserve this thing. So, so I do believe like, you know, rank from a, and I speak specifically to jujitsu, right? I do think like rank and jujitsu is really important because of like so much time and effort has to go into like, you know, getting a, a belt or a, a stripe on your belt so um but as far as progression i look at jujitsu as like imagine you're in las vegas and you're there for the first time and you're going to go to the biggest buffet in the world okay i'm in there's a lot of stuff on this buffet Mm -hmm. right and first you got to get on the plane and you got to go to las vegas so you got to show up first, okay? So now you're going to go to this buffet, and you've never been to this buffet before, and there's because jujitsu is there's so much to it; it's so vast. So I'm going to go to this buffet, and then I'm going to sample what's on this buffet. But I'm going to sample like a little bit of everything, right? So that's kind of jujitsu when you're in. You need to like take it all in. Like I need to absorb as much of this as possible. The next time I go to this buffet, I'm probably going to go, no, I'm going to go to like this section of the buffet. Like, well, this is kind of the things I know from the first time that I enjoyed, right? There's some things that maybe I liked, maybe I didn't like. I'm going to give them a try again. So now you're like progressing. Like, you know, I start to develop skill. I know if I get to these positions, I have success or I'm comfortable. Okay. So now... You go back to the buffet the next time, right? I know exactly what on the buffet I want. Like, I just go there. I don't need to go anywhere else in the buffet, right? I know exactly what I want, and that's where I'm going to go directly. So as you get, like, into the higher belts, like, okay, this is my game. These are the things I'm going to focus on. And maybe occasionally I'll I'll try something else on the buffet. When you get to the next progression of that is you, I'm gonna I know what I want to put on the buffet, but now I I I want to learn how so I can make this at home, right? So I'm gonna do all of this now on my own, right? So I don't need to come to this buffet anymore because now I'm gonna understand how to. Uh, make the things that are on this buffet so I don't need to like come to this buffet to get these things anymore eventually over time you're going to master learning how to make those things right and that's kind of like what a black belt is like I know what I like I know the things the ingredients to make that I know how to not just cook this on a and on like a simple level, I've mastered how to cook this dish, right? So now I'm at a point where 
in my in my progression in jujitsu is I don't have to right go sample everything anymore right I know the things that I've mastered I know the things that I'm good at right and I and I'm looking at it as like you know somebody progressing and like looking at it as like these are the things I want to be able to do like because for me like for example like I'm like oh I'm always want to like willing to experiment stuff but I'm talking about okay like let's let's compete against each other your best against my best right there's a progress before i had this big funnel of everything everything on the buffet and then i just slowly trimmed that out right and now my best right my my best thing i can cook right these are the five things i'm good at right these are your five things you're good at like let's make and see who makes the best dish so makes sense at all yeah, no, I, of, I, I was following it level by level. Like you said, it'll make sense right. when you're done, you know, this level, that level. And I was following it white belt, blue belt. So six months into jujitsu, if your primary focus is coming in and beating the person you're training with and you know the things you can do to uh, accomplish that, you're going to miss 99.9% of what jujitsu has to offer because it's so vast. When you become a black belt, okay, I'm competing against another black belt. My singular focus is to take the things I'm good at and beat that person, all right? And as a white belt, blue belt, like, that shouldn't be the concern. And blue, some blue belts are different. Like, I mean, you have some blue belts that are like, oh, I want to go be pants champion. I want to be world champion, right? But, for, and, but those are blue belts that usually are training a lot, of t- a lot, so they put a lot of time in. But if you're like a blue belt that's two or three – days a week right by the time you get to blue belt you should have like a fundamental understanding of like you know this is a kind of how jujitsu works right but don't worry so much about like i have to today i have to figure out how to beat the black belt i'm like it's probably not going to happen right you need to just keep just taking in information right um that's why I, that's why i actually like the buffet analogy because i know like you know, every time I've been to a buffet and been there multiple times, it's like a process for me to like, I just need to get to the point where I like, okay, I just need to go here. I don't need to go here anymore. I just need somebody to be like, can you deliver it to me? Because like, I know, I know what I want. All right. And that's what being a black belt is like, uh, if you're a competitor, especially a competitor, right, is like, if you go compete against another black belt, I know I want to be in this position. How do I get to this position? Because if I can get to this position, I'm going to win the match. Right? Um, so. Could you extend the analogy to, but then at some point you go back to the buffet and see what's changed because the game keeps evolving. So now there's new offerings on the. If you're competing, you have to stay on top of what's happening in the sport. If you're like learning how to, to like my primary goal is to learn jujitsu for self-defense the things that worked 20 years ago are the things that still work today in a self-defense situation with someone that doesn't actually train like in a combat art right i mean if you get in a self-defense situation and the other person is a wrestler or they've done jujitsu or they've done muay thai that's completely different than fighting an untrained person Right. So the things that worked 20 years ago, cover your head, get to the clinch, take them down. If they don't know jujitsu, right, that's the fight is now basically in your hands. Mm -hmm. But especially if you're somebody that's actively competing 
you have to stay on top of it because I know a lot of people say, well, there's no moves that get invented. They've all been done before in gi jujitsu. It's absolutely not true. There have been moves people have done over the last two or three years that I am 99.9% confident nobody on the face of this earth has ever done. It's like lapel guard kind the of stuff. The lapel stuff yep. is at, nobody was doing lapel yeah. gi jiu-jitsu 200 years ago, yeah. and we've just read That's absolutely not true. Even no gi jiu-jitsu over the last 10 years like has like you know dramatically like you know obviously like the gi jiu-jitsu brings a whole different especially like with all the modern stuff where they're wrapping lapels brings like this element to it that obviously no gi you can't do but like even that version of jiu-jitsu the the no gi version of jiu-jitsu has like dramatically changed over the last 10 years and for the better like 100 percent for the better like you know i know a lot of times people say like jiu-jitsu is you know, maybe losing its effectiveness because of the kind of the sporting side of it. I completely disagree with that, right? Because the the people that are like making the the sport progress in jujitsu, like it's a uh, it's a competition with a defined set of rules, just like wrestling is a competition with a defined set of rules. Just like boxing is a competition with a defined set of rules, right? And everybody that's participating in those know that, well, the rules dictate kind of what I can do. And if I find myself in a self-defense situation, like, like I'm not going to try to, like, wrap your lapel around my leg. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to get on top of you, right? But sometimes it's hard for people to accept as, like, as like it has progressed so much. Because I've had this conversation with 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 black belts that you know i've known and trained with for years and that don't like modern jujitsu and i'm like well you know me i like modern jujitsu i like old school jujitsu i like jujitsu for mma i like jujitsu for self-defense i'm like i like like all the branches of it but sometimes it's easy to be like well i don't like modern jujitsu because a lot of times to be honest it's because you don't understand modern jujitsu and it takes time and effort to understand it. And sometimes like, well, you know, in a fight and I'm like, well, let me explain something to you. <laughs> if you got in a fight with this world champion, right, that does sport jujitsu, right, it's probably going to end badly for you. Because <laughs> once they get a hold of you, you're going to feel like a what a world champion in jujitsu feels like. And like. You know, anytime you've had like a super high level like wrestler or a super high level jujitsu person get a hold of you, you're like immediately like, this is a problem, right? This is not a normal human being. Yeah, me as Normie Trash taking a wild swing at some kid who's a varsity level wrestler who then decides to do a double leg takedown. Like, yeah. I can get as angry as I want, but I just hit the concrete real hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, you start throwing in all the rules of wrestling and the rules of jiu-jitsu that I normally adhere to. Well, okay, I can throw a punch, too, even though I'm yeah. doing jiu-jitsu, you know. Also, you just hit the ground real hard, buddy, you I, know. I was at a, so, I did karate for a long time, right? So, I was at a karate seminar one time, and, uh, and, um, uh, and this was when the UFC was first starting to become popular, or first people were first starting to watch it, right? And the Gracies were just like that was the thing in 
in the martial arts world, like all oh, the Gracies are taking over the martial arts world. And like, and, and understandably, like, you know, you got karate and things like that were like so popular before the UFC and people were making really good livings off of it. And then this thing shows up and it's like, oh, like, no, this is a problem business wise. It's not just like martial arts. This is a business problem because like, are they going to take like all of our students? <laughs> so I was at a seminar one time and, uh, the guy teaching the karate seminar was his, he was like, well, the Gracie jujitsu thing, well, here's the problem. Like in a fight, when they try to take me down, I'm just going to gouge them in the eyes. And then somebody at the seminar, right? <laughs> cheers to this person, <laughs> raises their hand and says, what if Hoist Gracie decided he's going to poke you in the eye too? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, the, and the guy was That's just like, yeah. Yeah, fair point. He was point. like, and he can like wrap you up in a pretzel yeah. and then he can actually poke you in the yeah. And the guy was just like, oh, wait, that no. guy doesn't need to follow the sport <laughs> rules in the street either. Right? One more and we'll wrap it up. Two Two versions of it. Two versions. Two versions of it. Gee or no gee. Mm, no. I knew it was coming. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Gee or no gee. Do both. Do, Do both. whatever you want as long as you can Do apply both. it. What's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the pros and cons of gee versus the pros and cons of no gee? I'll ask the questions here. Oh. Ishmael. Oh, okay. My question is this. The answer is there's no cons as long as you're doing one or the other. That sounds like something I'd say. So I'm going to take, take credit for a right, good so answer. Do one, you know, as long yeah. as you're doing one or the other. Um, but yeah, you should do both. I've done exactly like probably 90 minutes of no-gi training <laughs> yeah. in the year, year and a half of that I've done. Just in terms of availability. Um, and then you're going to start doing the 1230 MMA class at uh, the Striking Institute every Saturday. So you know, good. You know what's wrong with that? It, she messaged me yesterday and said, I got a pair of gloves for you. Like, are people <laughs> conspiring to get me punched in the face? What's going on here? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, they are. That's right. Uh, my question for you is this. Uh, two or more versions of this question. It'll be the last one. And we'll call it. First version is greatest of all time in jujitsu. Hodger. Uh, God, I knew it was going to be too easy. That's my answer, too. But it's big guy bias. It's also just fact Hodger Gracie on the male side be a mosquito on the female side be a mosquito on the female side she's current uh, yeah she's yeah. active yeah. Yeah, yeah she just competed a few weeks ago on That's the right. JJ stars thing yeah 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 B has been to the gym a couple of times is yeah. she current greatest on the female side yeah uh-huh. Then I mean that's sort of a weird question, but you never know. Yeah, she's the greatest of all time. Doesn't matter. How about uh, like cur- is she the current? Like, is, is, would I say she's the person right now that could beat everybody on the female side? No, but if you take her career as sure. as an entirety, she's the best. Sure. The the woman that can probably beat everybody on the female side right now is I mean Gabby Garcia is always someone you have to take into account. Gabby's not as active as she's been. Is Gabriella Pasania, which is a nineteen year old woman girl in brazil who literally i think has been out of high school for like a year yeah in adcc gabriella is amazing in uh was beating world champion black belts when she was in high school yeah so she's the one that's coming that like is is already like oh she's special now the question is how special will she be will she be she will she be the person that can potentially be like in the conversation is like Oh, who's the greatest of all time? Is it be a is it be a mosquito or is it Gabriella? So, current for men. Current for men. Yeah. Are we talking who can yeah. beat anybody, or are we talking pound for pound? 
Give me both. Moose and Mechie. See pound, pound for pound. pound. Pound for pound. I'd go with uh, gi or no gi or just yeah, I general. knew you were going to break it into four. I knew you were going to uh, do it. See, hold on now. You thought I was going to ask you about gi or no gi, and I and you said do both. So my question okay. is, give me all of them. Active. Man, that gets us into like eight categories. Let's say right now. Yes, right now. Not all time. Right now. Um, we said Hodger's best all time. So. Okay, let's clarify. Like, what do you mean by best of all time? Let's take all the best grapplers, regardless of weight, put them in a room. I like that. Bring it. Let's and go. see who's the last person to not get tapped. I like it. Bring Hodger it. Hodger Gracie. Hodger Gracie. Everybody's the same size. Mm-hmm. All right? Everything's okay. equal. Yep. Who's the last person left? Hoffa Mendez. So Hodger is the person, I think, in jiu-jitsu history, like regardless of weight, would be the person that – like would submit everybody else that literally has ever lived. Yeah. But if Hodger Gracie and Hoffa Mendez were both 150 pounds, Hoffa Mendez pound for pound may be the greatest, like just pure sport competitor, jujitsu competitor of all time. Just from a pure athletic standpoint, the best athlete I've ever trained with. No, no doubt about it. Like just from like this person has such an unbelievable control of their body. I've never felt anything else like it. So, current, current, uh, I would say Mikey pound for pound was yeah. the best. Mikey was the best. Yeah. Yeah. And the overall best Bujeta has transferred to MMA. So, um, oh but, man. But he's on the list, huh? Bujeta is amazing. Athletic beyond his size yeah. kind of thing. That whole deal. Yeah. I think like, um, at the time Hodger beat Bujeta. Yeah. I think Hodger's the only person in the world that could have beat Bujeta. Yeah. But do you love that match? Like, I love that match. It's the dumbest, lamest athletic display ever. It's an amazing Because you know match. for an absolute fact yeah. that there's not an inch to give, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah. And and from a tactical standpoint, like, yeah. Hodger's, like, plan was brilliant. Like, okay, I'm, like, going to make him work for five minutes, not get taken down. Because mm-hmm. he got run out of bounds a couple, a, a yeah. couple few times. Yeah. Right, but I'm not going to give up any takedown, right? And I think I've read or saw an interview with him where he actually said, and at that five-minute point, I'm going to look at the clock, and I'm going to hope that I haven't been taken down yet, Yep. right? And that's when I'm going to start the match on the ground, right? And as soon as it hit the ground, it was over. Yeah. Right? Um, because by that time, my Buchech is an explosive athlete, but just to make him work for five minutes, yeah. right? Took a lot of that explosion to weigh. And then, then it became like a technical battle on the ground. And like, and Buchecha is amazing, but technically I don't think Buchecha is the same, same, does, has the same technical skill on the ground as Hodger Gracie, right? And he had taken away, he would basically get that, okay, I've equalized us, so I've made him work, right? Now, like, I would say Buchecha is probably still a little bit better, but okay, if Buchecha is a ten on the athletic scale and Hodger's a seven, now I feel like maybe he's an eight and I'm a seven. Now it becomes more like okay, who has the better technique? And Hodger for sure on the ground is was I mean he showed it. I mean, well, combat so. is neutralizing the other guy's strength, so yeah. your strengths might be stronger than my strengths, yeah. but if I can level the playing field, and right? yeah, I mean, brilliant. I mean, just the way yeah. he approached the match was brilliant. Like just like yeah, this is. Yeah, this was like the way to beat Buchecha at that point in time. So, yeah, because most people I think probably thought Buchecha was going to beat him. All right, and then I think people. Kind of 
I think when people when it hit the ground, I think people I think people are still shocked to to this day on how quickly it was over once it hit the ground. So, um, best active person that could submit everybody else. I think the, isn't the answer clear? What's the answer? I mean, I know you know that, but hasn't he done it? Has submitted everybody else yeah. in the gi. Oh, we're talking in the gi? Okay. In the gi, I don't know. Oh, I mean, like gi? Gordon Gordon Ryan is taking everybody down outside of the gi, right? In the gi. Yeah, Gordon's amazing, though, yeah. gi. Yeah. Yeah, Gordon's In the really gi, who good. is it? I don't even know, frankly. The person I don't, I, the person I personally think doesn't get enough talk yeah. in no gi, who I actually think you can make, he doesn't compete as much as, uh, he doesn't compete as much as a lot, you know, Gordon yeah. included doesn't compete as much as a lot of the other guys. Right. He just basically competes when ADCC rolls around. Is JT Torres? Sure. I think the first ADCC happened in 1998. When ADCC started, I think ADCC thought we're going to create this blend of wrestling and jujitsu and it's going for submissions. So still, even in ADCC, ADCC, you definitely see people that. Um, they know where they have the strength advantage, like from a technical standpoint. So a lot of people will still like pull guard, right? Um, but maybe they're not so good at takedowns. Some people maybe are better at takedowns, so they're not going to pull guard. So they won't. They'll try to play the whole match on top. In my opinion, JD, uh, JT Torres represents what ADCC wanted ADCC to be when it started. He's phenomenal at jujitsu. He can wrestle. He can play on top. He can pull guard. He can do everything. And so I think a lot of times, like, people leave him out of the conversation just because he's not that active. But from a pound-per-pound perspective, I strongly think that from a pound-per-pound perspective, he's as good as anybody in the world and no gi jiu-jitsu. He's just not as active. Yeah, and it's amazing to watch from a from a technical standpoint because like oh like oh he can wrestle like if he steals he has the advantage he's gonna like um, like Gordon is like really really good at no gi jujitsu, but you know Gordon's like when the based upon the rule set you know he's probably gonna try to pull guard and he's probably gonna try to put you into some type of leg attack or you know maybe like go for triangle or sweep you or something along those lines. Um, and he's really strong at all of those all, all those positions and techniques. Um, but when I watch JT, I'm like, yeah, this guy is kind of like the poster for what people have wanted no-gi grappling to be. Like strong wrestling, strong jiu-jitsu, strong submission game, gritty, in incredible shape. Like he's got like everything. So, yeah, JT's amazing. Oh, in the gi. Oh, where do we start? <laughs> Kanan Dwarch may be the person in the gi right now that can beat anybody else. Is he still pretty early in that status though too? Kanan's or, young, yeah. Yeah, that's that, my like impression is like he's he's toward the top of the game but he's relatively yeah, new Victor to it. Victor Hugo's amazing. The only thing about Kanan is the only thing about Kanan is now, like, you get into, like, well, Kanan has a theoretical world title, and then he passed, he failed the PED test. Mm. So. He made the mistake of getting busted. 
He got busted. He's got to get a cycle coach. Right. So yeah. then you go into the conversation like, well, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, most of them are doing it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he got caught. So yeah. most of know, them aren't getting caught. It goes back to the conversation <laughs> like, you know, after Khabib uh, won his last fight. Right. And the conversation was like, well, who's the greatest MMA fighter of all time? And then people were like automatically, well, you got to disqualify this person. You got to because they both they've got caught. Sure. Right. And then other people was like, well, do you really disqualify him? Because some other people have not been caught and we know they're. Yeah. So like Kanan, like, where does where do you sit in that argument? Like, do we not include him because he got caught? Do we include him because uh, there's probably others doing it? Um, Right. So Victor Hugo, the guy Marcus competed against is like Victor's incredible say it for marcus for marcus's like emotional health and sanity <laughs> say the phrase that paulie said a second ago off mic what that, did he say that marcus almost oh. armbarred <laughs> marcus is arm victor bar hugo victor. yeah victor's amazing though and victor's yeah. i think i think, think victor's yeah. 24 i think he and marcus are basically the same age right and uh yeah yeah, Victor's Your guys named Victor yeah. aren't twenty four. Yeah, That's Victor's, weird. I yeah. feel like he's in his like late forties so, or fifties. That's weird. Yeah. But yeah, like so that I mean Also he, for the record, the greatest MMA fighter of all time is Butterbean, and I won't hear another <laughs> word about it. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah. Butterbean I Ginky Sudo beat Butterbean, so and Ginky Sudo weighed like hundred and forty pounds, but anyway. Good for him. He heel hooked him. Didn't have the the punching power. Oh, you yeah. see, heel hooking that's cheating. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how he beat him. That's like, cheating. Yeah, there used to be some crazy stuff that happened in Japan. Like, There's, why? Hold this? on, used to be. <laughs> Japan is the central hub in the world for <laughs> well, crazy stuff. Yeah, isn't like, it? just know, culturally. You know, Gabby Garcia's had some interesting matches in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Like so, yeah. Hold on, did you give an answer for the greatest current, best current in the gi? We're a couple whiskeys in. Me and Polly are a couple whiskeys in. Yeah. You responsibly sipped one. I do. I do. Do you include or not include Canaan in the conversation? Bring it, all of them. I say Canaan. Canaan, yeah. Like as far as like this is the person that would I think beat everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. he's competing again, so he's kind of out of his suspension or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's such a that's a, I mean, coming from the strong man world, you you know, right? That's such a slippery slope when you go down like, yeah. okay, do we include, do we not include, right? Right. Well, we don't know, but we're highly suspicious that this person is definitely taking something like, yeah. yeah. Oh, one and of the, like, one, if you, since you mentioned one of the better, more legendary strongmen of all times, Zadrunas Zavikis of Lithuania, he was at the top of the IPF powerlifting, which is squat, bench, and deadlift for years and years. And then he struggled to pass the drug test, so he just found some other sport where they didn't test, and he started winning that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do we know? Do we not know? Come on, man. And I, I think a lot of times, like, people in the jiu-jitsu world, like, oh, this is a martial art. It's honorable. I was like, people in the, that think jiu-jitsu people aren't trying to figure out how to get every advantage they can for competition. Like you're 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 either naive, yeah, or you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Well, so. and 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 even more basic, like your income depends on the performance of your body. Yeah. You tell me you're not doing what you need to do. Yeah. You know, I make more money, or I make money at all if I win. Let's say. And yeah, I know a lot me of me win is this. I'm doing yeah, this. I know a lot of people that have struggled with it, like competitors, like not just in jujitsu but in MMA, like you know, like. 
you know, I know other people I'm competing against are doing this, but it's against the rules. Like, and I, I know, and it's a, it's an emotional struggle for people sometimes. Yeah, like, it would be great if we lived in this perfect world where you just couldn't do it and we're all competing on the same playing field, right? But, I mean, you know better than I do. Like, people are constantly going to be, like, gaming. Um, can I pick Icarus as my favorite sports movie? Or that's yeah, a documentary? Yeah, you can know. Maybe I can't. <laughs> It's you no, know, and where you're going, where you're going though, it's the cat and the mouse thing, and the mouse yeah. is always just a half a step ahead of the, yeah, the cat, yeah. right? The cat gets real good, but the mouse is yeah. you know, always figuring yeah. something. What's the what's the main the guy in Icarus? What's his name? You remember oh, the man, the doctor that they're that's the head of the yeah. Russian program? Only watched it once. Yeah, yeah. For that's me, that's the goat. <laughs> that <guy. laughs> but for me, for me, I thought that there's a point in that movie that was like so telling to me because I was like, as I'm watching this documentary and listening to this guy talk about this, at some point the interviewer asked him like whatever Olympics like they were interviewing him after, and um, and I like consider myself like oh like I know there's definitely people like in combat sports that are that are taking PEDs and they're trying to figure out how to cycle and do mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it, I mean, this guy was, I think at one point considered maybe the most foremost expert on PEDs in the world. Right. What is it? I think Paul? it's something Gregory, right? Gregory or yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And they ask him like, Oh, in the last Olympics, do you think there was anybody that won a gold medal that was not taking a performance enhancer? No and way. he looks in the camera and he was like, I'm confident there was nobody on the podium. Yeah, for sure. That maybe they were clean that day, but yeah, they, were they, they clean three months ago? Right. Right. And he yeah. was like, I'm confident there was nobody on that podium. Yeah, that was yeah. a clean athlete. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow. That's from coming from that person that's like, yeah. that's so when people would like tell me, like, oh, on jujitsu, like the, you know, like, I was like, yeah, man. I was like, yo, you know, hopefully there's clean athletes on the podium. Hopefully yeah. there's clean athletes yep. winning. But to assume like every world champion is clean, that's a that's a strong assumption. Yeah, for sure. Ishmael, you want to call anybody out? Looking for a fight? No, I think okay. that used to be a TV show or a documentary. Look, oh, that's no, that's Dana White's show. Looking for a fight, right? Looking yeah, for yeah. a fight, that's a oh, thing. God, looking, oh. yeah, looking and you're not down with that. You, you ain't got nobody. You're at peace. No, I, I got nobody to call. Any out. shout outs? Uh, yeah, everybody at the gym. Which gym? M3 Martial Arts. Where do I find it? Right, M3 Martial Arts, um, uh, St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, that's yeah. the place. That's all the white walls, white yeah. mat, all that and stuff. Then, uh, yeah, and then all of our kind of our compatriots in the whole thing right Hayden at Academy Eden Prairie Jeremy at Minnesota top team yeah right yeah those guys have all been pretty close to us over the last few years so so yeah so. I go to both cool the jiu-jitsu hold on Paulie said what keeps you coming back to jiu-jitsu to the gym to training yeah outside of my like a wife daughter family it's the most important thing in my life easily like I, the idea of like not doing jujitsu is like, like what would I do? Like what if I just got up every day, right? And imagine like, imagine like I'm in a situation where, let's imagine I can just get up and not do anything every day. Like I don't have to go to work. It's like what would I do with my life? I was like I wouldn't know what to do. Like if I didn't go to the gym like six days a week, it would be like oh, 
so yeah so outside of like sue and valentina and like you know and the jujitsu like it's cliche right but like it becomes like your family right it was like the the relationships you develop in jujitsu like you know for a lot of people they would probably say yeah the people i do jujitsu with are like i'm a lot closer than like maybe even my cousins and sometimes because you just do this thing where you i mean you have to have like the ultimate trust factor in like your training partners in a in a in a in an endeavor where the goal is to choke your partner unconscious or put them in a submit position where a limb will dislocate something will hyperextend so you develop like a relationship with them that you'll never develop doing anything else because you have to trust each other that much like oh i can let you practice like a kimura on me and i know you're not going to dislocate my shoulder right so no i'm as passionate about it today as i was 22 years ago when i started to be honest like i probably watch it more now since i'm a little bit older than i even did then right and i'm sure for a lot of people like as you get older you're probably like oh like you know i've been doing this thing for 20 some years like i'm gonna i watch it more than i than i did even five years ago i spend more time just like sitting on like you know and, and i'm fortunate i have the ability to like sit during the day and do that but but yeah, at no point do I have ever gotten to like, yeah, I just don't want to do this or watch this anymore. Like, no, it's like I wake up. I, I tell people sometimes as soon as I go home from the gym that, that I get on my iPad and I start watching like, you know, MMA fights or like jujitsu matches. And people are like, really? Like you've been here for like this many hours? Like, yeah, this is what I just do. Right. I don't know what Sue thinks about all that, but she knows it is what it is. Right? <laughs> it's kind of what he smells thing. And like, you know, and at least like, at least I know where he is. He's sitting in the living room on his iPad watching some, some, some MMA fight from 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> at least the, he's the GM. He's on his iPad watching these. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's probably it. That's fine. All right, brother. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Is that like an hour and a half? Something like that. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. If you've made it this far, odds are I've convinced you somehow to enjoy listening to this show. So before we hear a clip from Travis, do me a solid and tell a friend about the podcast as well. And here's Travis. For I understand, what happens a lot with the people is they're, they're on whatever they're you know meth or k2 and these other things and they're either being violent towards staff and so i work charge nurse trauma nurse a lot there and so it's kind of my job to oversee like respond to everything and oversee and then obviously like i don't trust our security because i don't think they're well trained enough and so i take my staff safety very personally i actually did a huge like violent study and these other things to get stuff going um in the hospital a couple of years ago um like a ton of research and stuff on it i actually wrote a paper about it but so i take like our staff safety paramount like so our staff safety comes above patient safety to me because if we can't care for people and it's kind of that, that mass casualty triage type of thing is like your safety's first because if you're dead you can't care for others so it's it's extremely uh, like I'm passionate about it and I really take it to heart um, and so when patients start getting violent and acting up stuff like that like it's, I'm just there like right in front of them and my rule is so if you're squaring off you take one step towards me it's go time <laughs>